Hello, Legionnaires, and welcome to episode 144 of RPG Digest. In segment one, we read through a tabletop RPG to introduce it to you and oftentimes to ourselves as well. In segment two, we provide higher level overviews and fundamentals and even the occasional how-to of systems, settings, and game mechanics. I am John Max Liaoshlo, your favorite curmudgeon, critic, and judge. Along with me as usual is your resistance leader, Brett Heathen Dog Grissomer. How are you doing today, sir? I am above the law. <laughs> no, resistance leader. That's the way it is. That's it. We'll be it, talking it's about that in segment one. Form of terrorist. <laughs> kind of, yeah. <laughs> but terrorism against robots, so it's okay. Oh, well, that's that's fair. That's Terminator 2, baby. That's that's all it is. <laughs> it's good stuff. Humanity lives. <laughs> but I, I am doing well. I'm doing well. Um uh this week for me has been uh basically uneventful i mean not not a whole lot has happened my my son is trying to teach himself a new instrument that's i've got jokes i've got jokes yeah you got jokes he's 11 (laughs) keep keep the jokes keep jokes sane all right but uh he's uh, when when you're when you're he's a lot more frustrated than usual because he's starting over from scratch jokes on a new instrument and uh it's it's rough so he's getting a little frustrated stuff like patience that. That, that was the thing that ruined me with yeah. instruments was uh like when i learned piano and so forth was uh patience and i didn't have it yeah i just had to every once in a while i put it in perspective for him you know like when you started your first instrument how did you do well i had trouble with this part and like what are you having trouble now the same part that makes sense right he goes well yeah kind of makes sense all right then then he uh he calms down and moves on so that's good but other than that no nah, not a whole lot what about you uh my week has been uh busy uh, so remember I was supposed to have a training class last week? Yeah. I was mistaken. It's this coming week. Oh, good for you. I, I was all prepared for it and then I didn't. No, um, I just yesterday was a lot of yard work and, you know, uh, stuff throughout the week. Trying to trying to prepare us for 2024 might sound early, but it's not. So, uh, you know, things that I may or may not want to do, you know, for 2024 and, you know, how to look at the show. And the one thing, the one notable thing, and I have to say this before we introduce our guest because... It's already worked better than I thought it was going to, especially since the beans were spilled on Friday night. I decided this week on, on Friday, no, Thursday, I wrote down about 60 tweets. Oh, I read that in Discord. Yeah. And they're all trolls. Like <laughs> the first one. Imagine this. This is what I put. Tell me how real this sounds. You knowing me, that is. Uh, Advanced uh, Dungeons Dragons 2nd Edition is only good with the with the player options black books because it fixes ability scores it fixes magic it fixes proficiency heck it fixes everything so wow. if you're if you play second edition AD&D without the black books you're really just playing first edition AD&D without Gygax's name and with better art you just went and, full bizarro on that because <laughs> you know i hate those black books i hate players options i think they're god awful but it's funny because man twitter has been lighting me up and i'm like yeah see you people take elf games too seriously i mean you do too max yeah well throw, people throw money at us to do that so you know there's a little difference but uh, yeah that's really the only thing of of uh excitement that's that i had going on everything else has just been Trying to figure, uh, trying to get things set up. I kind of stopped playing Satisfactory a little bit. I've toned it down, but uh, still, some hours have gone into it. So, yeah, I need to step away so that I can get back to writing my book. But that's that's really it. So uh, that's it. But I'll, I'll let you take over so that you can introduce our guest because it's gonna be for your segment. All right. Well, our guest today is going to be featured in our uh, segment two. He's gonna be with us for segment one, and that's actually good because he has absolutely no specific or 
even a lot of general knowledge about the game and that's who we're talking to so if he has a question it's probably a question you all have too so that's good and uh we discovered him by he him commenting on some of our posts i looked at some of his his posts on his webpage, and all of it all of his links will be in the description below right now so uh check those out either concurrently while, while watching us or after we're done <laughs> so do that but i'd like to introduce adam from uh the mage podcast adam say hello hey everybody uh my name is adam i've been uh, working for a few years now on uh, mage the podcast a uh, big fan of the game uh, mage the ascension and uh, always enjoy a chance to talk about it uh, mage is one of those games that can be a little hard to talk about because when you, you talk to other gamers you say i really love mage and they say oh you're pretentious you say well yeah but i'm a nice guy too <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one yeah uh, a lot of the world of darkness is polarizing uh it's really up to the storyteller or game master to uh, to fix that for your table, but I found it to be easily done. But we'll 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 talk about all that a little bit in uh, segment two. But uh, Adam's here, like I said, to talk about some some fundamentals of Mage to to get your party rolling if they're if they're new to World of Darkness, if they're new to Mage in particular, uh, how to how to use the the in game factions and and politics to not be so uh intrusive to a new gamer and then at the end we'll be we'll be talking about a little bit of a little bit of mechanics probably but we're gonna we're gonna round out the 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 new player uh experience to try and get your people to uh, try something new and have fun doing it i was talking about it a little bit before the live stream started um yeah, some of you may know if you watch Friday Night Chill Stream that in the 90s, I studied a lot of occult and uh, I, I still have some of the books, but uh, I gave away most of them. But uh, I did a lot of studying when it came uh, when it came to things like, you know, everything from Wiccan to Druidism to uh, Hermetic. Again, RPG Pundit and I, we you know, 20 years ago, we could have had a great conversation. Unfortunately, I forgot most of the stuff by now. Used to have the watchtowers put up. The, the Anakin folks will know what I'm talking about with that. You know, things like that. So Mage really spoke to me at that time uh, with regard to like, wow, this is cool. A game that's kind of based on this. Some of you might know that I have the game Nephilim down there. I have Innomine, which really sucks, by the way. Oh, yeah, um, nominate blows. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so, I mean, uh, that style of game. Uh, it, it was, sorry, I'm looking over. Apparently, Rumble's not working again like normal. Uh, but anyway, so, I mean, that spoke to me. But when I read Mage, I was like, man, this is all just goth nonsense. Like, everybody in here is like, oh, angst. You know, like, leave that to the vampire weirdos. Let, let the vampires, let the mages, you know, you know, be out there in a different form. And well, when Heathen Dog ran his game, one of the reasons I played it, because one of the first things he told me is that, uh, okay, I'll, I'll check that in a second, Violence. Uh, as I took that out, I jumped in and I, I love the way the mage system works. If you're a sandboxy style game master, and you don't have to be, but it's really catered towards sandboxy style player or game master because of how the magic works. And I love that. I wasn't stuck to first level spell, second level spell. No. What do you want to do? Okay, well, if you have the dots here, if you can find a way to conjigger them together within the, the the power level of those dots, you can make it happen. Oh, oh, by the way, there's a tornado coming to suck you up and send you to the abyss. Wait, what? <laughs> you know, because paradox. I I love the concept of paradox. I think it's absolutely yeah. fantastic because with ultimate power, let's be honest, mages are the most powerful of all of the world of darkness, as they should be. But, but yeah, do you mess up? The universe is the one thing a little more powerful than you. Yeah. 
Yeah. The, the, the reason I took out a lot of the angsty stuff, because I asked myself, I, I looked at first edition hollow ones and I'm like, why are you so whiny and bitchy? You have, you've discovered, you have the ability to literally alter reality. The only reason to be angsty is if you are stuck in a reality that, that you don't agree with or, or a situation that, that, you know, weighs on your soul. You have the literal ability to change the situation. Why are you so whiny and bitchy? I don't understand. Nobody gets me, man. Nobody, nobody gets understands you. Well, make them. Me. Make them get you. Change, you can literally change people's minds. What the fuck? You know, no, I'm taking it out. Oh, RPG Digest. Again, heathen dog starts with the cursing. Get that swear jar. I'm going to get a button for a swear jar. <laughs> but anyway, uh, let's let's go uh, ahead and, uh, yep. and move we'll on. Thank the folks, and then we'll, we'll start diving into what we're going to dive into here. So... There we go. I want to thank all of you wonderful people who support us monetarily. Remember, on Rumble, 100% of the money goes to creators. Your gracious donations help us provide giveaways, produce more content, and generally give back to Legion Myth community as a whole. We are just one under. We are literally one subscriber under 4,400 YouTube subscribers, and we are thankful for each and every one of you. Thank you very much, and check the Except description. for you, Jim. You know who you are. So obviously somebody named Jim. All the Jims. If your name is Jim, it's just your fault. Just deal with it. <laughs> Check the description below for links to the various Legion of sites, social media, Discord, merch, etc. And get that off the screen, and we'll let me get set up here for... By the way, Rumble, if you're listening, because I know I'm such a huge channel that you have to listen to me. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I said that with a little bit of sarcasm. Not much. Uh, fix your dang stream key. Just saying, give me a permanent stream key. I don't need one every freaking time I want to stream. Just saying. <laughs> Crafting gamer. <laughs> I'll let Heathen Dog read that one. For the square jar. That's right. If you don't, if you don't uh, swear, if, if you don't go off the handle, you're a square, man. And every, every time you couch your answer, every time you suppress your, your native impulse, you got to put a dollar in the square jar. <laughs> Anytime you try to put a square peg in a round hole, square jar. Square. Um, also, I just I want to put out there for people in case you didn't hear it before. Links are in the description of the, the live stream and will be for each of the segmented videos that uh, Adam's in for his podcast and a couple of references, resources that I think they're going to look over later. So... All right, for the first part of segment one today, we are going to conclude the efforts that we have. That's right, I said efforts on uh, Mutant Year Zero Gen Lab Alpha, where we're going to talk about what is Paradise Valley. We have told Heathen Dog that this is a post-apocalyptic world, but we keep calling it Paradise Valley. I know. And he's, and he's confused. I am. So we want to remove that confusion today and tell you why is Paradise Valley your home and also your prison. We believe that role-playing games should take place in fantastic worlds. The focus of the game should be on role-playing and having a good time. The core values of Hashtag RPGate and any good tabletop group are escapism, not representation, entertainment over activism, and natural, organic inclusion, not forced diversity. The charity we support is the Wounded Warrior Project, 
a national nonpartisan organization whose mission is to honor and empower wounded warriors. Please refer to the description below for the link to where you can make your hopefully tax-deductible donation. Join us Thursday and Saturday evenings on twitch.tv slash legionofmyth to watch Heathen Dog and his team of dirty casuals play multiplayer games for your mockery and enjoyment. Here on our YouTube channel, you can watch these game-related segments live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Central Time, or check out the Friday Night Chill Stream, where our panel of guests opine, comment, and editorialize on the TTRPG hobby as a whole. Please like this video and leave a comment to appease the algorithm gods. Share this video on your favorite social media platforms to help us peer out of the shadows cast over us. And if you have not done so already, please subscribe to Legion Myth for more tabletop RPG goodness. I want to thank uh, Violence Solves Everything. <laughs> it's a $10 Rumble rant. Thank you, Violence. I appreciate that. He says, here's a paltry tip for being on Rumble. And because I snubbed you on Friday after saying you deserve everything you got or everything you get. That's why he's like, you deserve everything you get. And then didn't send anything. He's like, well, there's a message for you. Right. <laughs> No, but thank you very much, Violence. Really do appreciate that. And you know what? Uh, thank you for all your palladium corrections because I'm not, I don't care about the rest. I only care about the ones that fix him and not me. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's uh, let's get <laughs> let's get to uh, talking about Paradise Valley. He Doug, you've got the comment section, right? Yep. All right. So where are we looking here? So I, I'll, by the way, just so folks can know, let me un F eleven this for a second. I have uh, we're gonna I'm gonna bounce to the map a little bit. And later on, actually, that's going to be the next part, so we won't do that. But I will show off the map a little bit today. But for now, we're going to go here. And what page are we going to be on? We're going to be on Paradise Valley 86. So I'm guessing it's what, 89 or 90? What do you think? Let's try 90. 89. Ah, 90 is closer. 91. Now, we're going to skip some of the specifics of this. But Max, it's a read-through. I know we're going to give you the feel of Paradise Valley. And from that point, you're going to decide if this is a game for you or not. I mean, we've talked about character creation. We've talked about the skills. We've talked about domination over, you know, sense of motion because, you know, you're an animal. So let's let's look at what Paradise Valley is about. And we are we are going to convince that Paradise Valley is a prison and Heathen Dog wants to escape. Uh, see, I, everyone says gilded cages are like the worst insult ever because you're a prisoner, but you're in a prisoner in luxury. Uh, I just see the luxury, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? It's that, what do you call it? It's that illusion of agency. You have there the you illusion go. of richness. That's it. <laughs> now that you have learned the rules of the game, it's time to take a closer look at your home and your prison. Paradise Valley. You have lived here your whole life. You know the paths and streams well. The glades and cliffs are as well known to you as your siblings in your own litter. But the familiarity of the valley is a false comfort. The valley is not your friend. It holds the hidden secrets of the Watchers. Those are the robots that, uh, for whatever reason, um, don't like you as much as you think they do. In the Forbidden Zones and in the Labyrinth, in the depths of the very bedrock. You were born in Paradise Valley, but you refuse to die here. From the slopes of the mountains, you have seen the world beyond the fence. Really not much there to it, by the way. Towering mountains and mysterious ruins in faraway valleys. Someday you will go there. Someday you will be free. So one of the things that I did not express well, part of it was intentional, part of it was because I didn't want to dive down the rabbit hole until now, is the traditions of the animals. When you play 
Mutineer Zero, you're at a crossroads, so to speak. Those who venerate the humans who are not around anymore, who basically worship them, and those who are like, you know, so we'll, we'll call it religion for a moment. This whole religion thing worked, worked for a while, but where, had, where have the humans been for me recently? What have you done for me lately? Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So there's that. Now, the presumption is your characters are on the second part of that. Humans, humans aren't here. The humans aren't here to save us. Now, you could have doubt how far you go with that is up to your character, but you're presumed to be on that side. And that's a lot of what the resistance is about. And we'll get to the resistance in the next video, but we'll talk about it a touch here. So, oh, hang on, hang on. For for Adam's sake, and for the people who this is their first uh, Mutant Year Zero video you've watched, and shame on you for that. But uh, Paradise Valley is a is a refuge, a protected area in a destroyed world. Mm -hmm. The problem is all of the science experiments, the animal human hybrids that live inside Paradise Valley, are not allowed to leave. They right. they get they get to the to get to the fences that separates Paradise Valley from the dead world, and these giant robots called Watchers stop them, either from electrifying the fence or just plain old shooting them. And personally, I would think that's okay. But also, every once in a while, one of the animals inside Paradise Valley will be abducted and experimented on, and if they come back, they come back messed up, or they don't come back at all. I showed you a picture of an abomination, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> you know. I understand their their hesitance to stay. I get it. If not for the abduction and uh, uh, bad touching that happens during <laughs> these abductions, I would probably say, why the hell do you want to go out there? Have you seen out there? It sucks out there. But but here's but, the thing. You have knowledge that they don't. See, we covered Mutant Year Zero, right? Yeah, fair. You know what the zones look like. Yeah. These and, people are like, all I see out there, all I see is emptiness out there. Like, is I see grass and trees and mountains. They don't see, they don't see the nuclear fallout. Oh, I'm sorry, or the rot, rot. Or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, so it's 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 kind of funny that in my eyes, because we haven't gone through this section yet. In my eyes, it'll be like if they do succeed in getting out of Paradise Valley, they'll just go back. That's okay. Can we shut this cage again? Yeah, shut the Pandora's shut the door box. Again, We're closing it. So okay, let's move on. All right. Living like animals, the tribes of Paradise Valley follow traditions whose origins are lost in the haze of history. The most important task of the tribe elders is to make sure that the traditions are passed on to younger generations. The traditions may vary somewhat between the different tribes, but the principal features are the same in every habitat. Again, for clarification, uh, tribes are the different animal groups. There's the dog yep. tribe, the cat tribe, the badger tribe, yada yada. Lately, as mistrust of the Watchers has grown, more and more young animals ignore or even openly defy the traditions. This dismays many of the elders, and offenders may well be expelled from the tribe. So you're starting to get a feel of like the more roleplay aspect of the setting. And yeah, this okay. is what I'm going to focus on. Of all the stuff that I skip later on, I'm focusing on this intentionally because we never did cover this. Yeah. It sounds like when when paradise valley was introduced and put online these traditions were pounded into these uh, genetic uh, genetic uh, uh, experiments to keep them quote unquote safe inside paradise valley and not venture out um there's more to it than that i, I see where you come from yeah. but with with the information that you've got 
that yes, we'll go with that. Uh, though the whole point is they revere humans because revere humans are the one uh, humans are the ones that uplifted them from their animal nature. That's true. Yeah. So literally, they're creators. Yeah. Right. So now everything that's human touched is holy. Like think of it that way. Like uh, I use the the game doesn't. I use the term religion because it makes sense. I want you to think of it like everything the humans touched. The humans are the gods or the angels. They're whatever term you want to use for that. Uh, so everything that they touch, like the robots who are there for your safety, right? Sure. They're, they're okay. actually the good guys. No, they're not. Yes, they're. No, they're not. Yes, they're. See where, where I'm going with that? Yeah. Okay. So the tribe in the pack. The tribe is the most important aspect of life to the animals of Paradise Valley. According to the ancient traditions, the needs of the individual are always subordinate to those of the tribe. Insert comment random uh right wing comments there no no it, it it makes sense because that's how animals work they they, they yeah. work in a small socialist structure and that's what works for them and you know but you know we're going to get comments on that so i just of had course, that. yeah we're going to get comments on it go, go ahead adam so, yeah so socialism in in a small group of say 20 30 40 members does work but it doesn't scale up all right so there you know take that as you like uh, one thing I'm, I'm starting to see, but I may be off on this, is oh, um, if the robots are keeping the animals in the valley, and yep. then some, you know, the player characters are the, the smart, savvy animals that uh, figure out how to, to uh, get free and, and go uh, yeah. see the world. It, it seems like it's setting up this conflict of we used to think the humans were so great, but uh, the humans... Uh, trapped us in here with their robots so we don't like those humans so once they travel way out into a distant land and meet some humans they're going to have a chip on their shoulder saying hey you're the guys that put sick your robots on us and we don't want to cooperate with you and we don't like you you absolutely could have that happen yes that is entirely possible it, it depending on your game it could go one of several ways it could go <laughs> that way where the the animals lose all reverence for humans be because of the of the perceived slights they've done over generations and when they get out and they meet humans they just attack them because oh you 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 did this to me yeah yeah you did this to me you locked us in this cage you suck or they could get out realize the world sucks and the humans out here they're all jacked up they're all messed up they're rotting from the inside but they saved us all these years by making these robots keep us in a place that is free of this disease and degradation that the entire world has. It all depends on on how, what what lessons the player characters take once they mm -hmm. get out and are free of Paradise Valley. So, or one one other thing. Oh, humans are just as fallible as anybody else. I could take them or leave them. Yeah, middle of the road. It could yeah. be that. It, it it all depends on the on the game master and the players how their how their characters you know process the uh, the information and events that happen to them yep so you're, you're absolutely you're absolutely right with that adam where um that is a way of looking at it and if you go past so one of the things about mutant gen lab alpha so there right now there are four versions of the game mutant year zero mutant gen lab alpha mutant mechatron and mutant elysium uh when mutant year zero is like the core world the other three have like we'll call them prelude adventures for here, it's escaping Paradise Valley, going out into the real world. For the robots, it's uh, escaping the underground dome that's about to crack and you know, have a rush of ocean water come in and kill you all. Uh, they each have their own little introductory story. But once they get out, yeah, they're all co-mingling. And how you decide that happens? What does a mutant animal from Gen Lab Alpha who has this problem with these robots do the first time he meets a robot character? Freak like, out or kill yeah, it? He, yeah. 
I mean, and the robot characters like WTF. I don't even know. What it, I didn't even know there were mutant animals. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like so. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And that'll be how, however, your table wants to handle that. In fact, most of the comments I get about Mutant Year Zero really shoot everything with regard to the story. Like, oh, we just do this in our games. Like, that has nothing to do with Mutant Year Zero. You're playing almost a different game. Like, this rule set, but a different game. So a lot of people don't even play with, with all of this, but we're covering it as, as the game provides it. So, Oh, uh, where was I? Uh, the tribe is the most important aspect of life to animals of Paradise Valley. According to the ancient traditions, oh, I already read that. The needs of the individual are always subordinate to those of the tribe. What the needs of the tribe are is decided by a tribe council made up of tribe elders, usually a group of 10 to 20 individuals. The meeting of the council can be heated affairs and sometimes leads to physical confrontation. Remember, they're animals. Mm -hmm. But once a decision has been made, it is followed to the letter by all of the members of the tribe. That is an important statement. At least this is what the traditions decree. In reality, things are not always so simple. Your resistance. Uh, there are no formal families. You, uh, your pack and your pack is uh, what's important. It's usually tied to, tied to your animal type. We're going to skip some of that. Exiles. This one's important, though. Individuals who refuse to conform to the rules of their tribe are eventually cast out from the community and are forced into exile. Most exiles are killed quickly by monsters or other calamities, but some live for years in solitude, usually in inaccessible parts of the valley. Tainted animals, especially those with very obvious mutations, are often cast out simply because of their defects. Again, animal society. One of the things I... Oops, uh, where is it? I want to... Uh, where's the map? There's the map. Before we go in, so you can see the map from edge to edge, right? Sure. This is a 30 miles. This isn't like, you know, a day, you know, just a, ah, we'll, we'll mosey on over here. This is 30 miles through pretty messed up terrain. It's hard to see, but here's like an inner fence right here that blocks off the cat enclave from over here with the rat enclave. Or down here, where is it? There's the fence. There's the fence for the badger enclave locked off from the dog enclave. So this isn't a small area and you're going to be going through hostile territory. And I'm going to show a couple of creatures later on, probably during the next segment, but uh, I'm going to show a couple of creatures later on to give you an idea of, yeah, you're just not wandering around. Like, ah, yeah, let's, let's, get, let's go over here. We'll be fine. Oh, no. Think of your random encounters from old D&D. Habitats. The tribe's territory in Paradise Valley is, is its habitat. Is defended ferociously. Animals. Each ha what's, what's that? Animals. I get it. Exactly, yep. Each habitat is enclosed by old metal fences, but in many places, these internal fences have decayed and rusted apart. Now, there's the loophole to how you want to get from here to there. It's not just meandering around, but at the same time, there are ways to sneak through. And this is where the role-playing game comes in. Uh, comes, the Watchers are traditionally not seen as a threat. Oh, well, that kind of goes against everything we've said so far, right? Mm -hmm. We'll get to that. They are allowed into the habitat without resistance. Pretty much because you have no choice. Let's, let's be honest with that. As the metallic creatures are seen as holy beings. However, more and more animals in the tribes want to change that. See the resistance below. And we'll talk about that next segment. So, are you getting the feel of this yet? Yes. Every, every one is sectioned off, but not completely separated from one another because of the fence failures and stuff. Yep. And uh, everyone is extremely territorial, protect yep. what they have because animals are territorial. That's how it works. But uh, if you don't toe the line, if you don't follow the rules, 
for long enough, it's not like a one strike and you're out thing, but for long enough, you are exiled. That is the worst thing that could possibly happen to you because literally everything outside of your habitat wants to kill you in some way or another. So it is almost certainly a death sentence to be in exile. That's what I've gotten so far. Generally speaking, you are on the right track, yes. Okay. On occasion, the tribes quarrel, despite the old concords between them. Sometimes these quarrels escalate into open hostility. Common reasons are disputes over hunting grounds or some valuable artifact. Now, artifacts, as we've talked about, at least in the previous game, I'm not sure if I talked about it in Gen Lab Alpha, are things like guns, cars, coffee pots, you know, things from the old world. Throughout history, such conflicts have grown into outright tribe wars a few times. It's been many years since this happened last, but many fear war is now about to break out between the cat tribe and the rat tribe. So that, so that one coming. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, more on that that below how could that possibly happen what who the hell put the cat tribe close enough to the rat tribe to even have a physical confrontation to me they would be on opposite sides of the fucking yeah but oh you cursed little rats are saying hey you know those really big cats let's go start a fight with them that'd be a great idea yeah that's hey hey hey, spoilers (laughs) spoilers (laughs) but wait why are they close enough to even ever meet each other let alone start a war well there is trade between them so the, 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 they do trade, and we'll get to, oh, here we go, trade. Trade between tribes is commonplace. Every tribe contributes whatever they're most skilled at finding or, yeah, finding or growing. Trade missions to other habitats, down here, are common and generally accepted by the watchers. There's no fixed currency. Trading items is the primary form of commerce. So, you know. Bartering. Yeah. yeah. All right, uh, I'm not going to go through travel in the valley. Just know that it is not necessarily safe. When you, we'll look at some things later. Yeah, there aren't any highways. There, there are a couple of, of decent Road. roads, but yeah. guess who controls them? The Watchers. And guess who doesn't necessarily want you going wherever you want to go? Probably hey, the Watchers. Get off my screen. What is that? Go, wait. Um, all right, ability to speak. Yeah, they can talk. Feral ones can't speak. That's a role-playing thing you can get into in your game. The myth of humans. Humans are myth- uh, mythological entities to the animal mutants. According to the... And, of course, right now, he's just... Chomping at the bit. Gen, uh, I want uh, mutant Elysium, mutant Elysium, mutant Elysium. <laughs> According to the traditions, humankind are your creators. Those that raised you from... Okay, apparently I go to column two. <laughs> right. Raised you from savage state and made you what you are today. There are many remnants of humankind's world in Paradise Valley. Wonderful, wondrous ruins and objects whose purpose is often mysterious and inexplicable. Some of you have seen pictures of humans. Scared, furless apes. Okay. I, sometimes I don't like the way these uh, sentences are written. Sacred. Oh, yeah, sacred. Not scared. You're right. Uh, some of you have seen pictures of humans. S- should be a semicolon there. Sacred, furless apes. Humans were benevolent makers. And the seers often prayed to the human spirits for guidance. Now, how much do we like seers? We don't like them at all. Okay. But the humans have abandoned you, left you alone, trapped with the Watchers. Why humankind did this is at times debated intensely among seers and elders. Some seers claim that humans will return someday and set you free. All right. The Watchers, according to the traditions, the Watchers are the deputies of humankind. The Watchers have been charged with watching over you, taking care of you, but also ensuring that you follow the rules and regulations set by humans. 
According to the traditions, all trials and tribulations the Watchers subject you to are opportunities to show your worthiness in the eyes of humankind. So, you know, when you're kidnapped and turned into an abomination, hey, look at that. Yeah, you know, you're helping the humans. You're helping society. Good for you. You're a hero. You have a chance to excel. Only when you succeed in doing so will humans return and set you free. Doesn't this sound like Ascension from Stargate? Like, do some stuff. We don't know what it is, but just, just play ball. And, you know, one day you'll turn into a form of energy. There you go. The eldest say that the Watchers, being the deputies of humankind, must be treated with veneration and respect, regardless of what they do to you. More and more. You know, well, it's understandable. Humans are your God. God can do whatever he wants. Shut the hell up. More and more, young animals, or young animal mutants, question these old truths. They claim you must fight the Watchers and gain your freedom by force. This is the only true test. And once you've, you've completed it, you will have proven yourself equal to humankind. This is the ideology behind the brewing resistance that attracts more and more animals into its ranks. All right, so you got, you got uh, sacred rights. We're going to uh, skip those scrap idols. We're not going to go into that. The oppression of the Watchers. We are going to talk a little bit more about that, though. The Watchers, your metallic jailers, affect your lives every day. They are always present even when they are not there to be seen. You never know if their cameras see you, their microphones hear you, or if the animal next to you is an informant. Being an informant is a big deal in this game. The Watchers control the animals of Paradise Valley in many ways. They have drones. Oh, I love it. Beautiful drones. Yep, there's a drone. And notice it does have guns. Of course. These are animals, man. Some, some of them are like bears and stuff. They, it's going to take a 50 cal to take them out. Uh... So clever animals, mutants, especially those that are part of the secret resistance, have evolved methods to avoid watchers' eyes in the sky. This is all in the player section, by the way. So slowly sneaking under the cover of forests and thickets, using animal skins to disguise oneself as one of the monsters in the valley. Remember, there are a lot of mutated weirdo monsters that are out there as well. So light fires on the smoke, hide movement on the ground, to, or divert attention of the watchers. Like, hey, we're here, we're here. Watchers come flying in, you're actually over there. Anyway, and there are other things that you can do. So you can get around the Watchers. Uh, is there anything else here? Checkpoints are, yeah, this is important. Each habitat has main Watcher checkpoint. Each habitat. Controlling movement of the animals in the valley. These checkpoints marked on the map of Paradise Valley are normally manned, and we'll talk about that when we get to the resistance side about how that may or may not be true, at all times by a squad of Watchers, usually a few Sentinels. And I'm not going to spoil what the stats are for the Sentinels. I know it's in the book. Anybody can look at it. You buy the book. Players have access to it. That's dumb, but whatever. Especially since there's a role to figure out what it can do. Why do you put that in the player's book? Okay, I'm done, done arguing about that. At the checkpoints, the Watchers ask where you're going and why in their metallic voices. They go through all of your belongings. They make you sit on the ground and wait. Finally, they let you pass. Well, maybe. Sometimes watchers also set up sudden roadblocks. This is like a DUI checkpoint. Yeah. <laughs> Generally, they are set up at bridges, boards or gates in the inner fence, but sometimes sentinels show up in seemingly meaningless places. Sometimes a whole outpost will be surrounded by roadblocks, letting no one in or out. Often the purpose of a roadblock is inexplic inexplicable. And here's the thing. It's inexplicable to them as well. Not fully true for anybody who knows some of the secrets going on, but if you were to ask a watcher why you're doing it, they're like, oh, following orders. This is what, or not even answering you and just doing what robots do. You know, um, 
Other times, it's obvious the robots are looking for members of the resistance. They are aware of it. And yes, they can raid your areas and ringing. Ringing is something that uh, basically means you've been marked. You are now tagged. If you take it off, it's like taking off your ankle bracelet as a criminal. So uh, let's say you're a member of the resistance. Heaton, though, for just a moment, you're a member of the resistance. Yep. And I've just ta- I, I just ringed you. Um, I'm no longer a member of the resistance. <laughs> no, well, really. They're, they're going to kick me out. They don't want me around. If the watchers can track me with 100% accuracy and I cannot stop it, they're going to want me to stay home. I'm a farmer now. Hi. Or use you in diversions. That's objectively awful. I don't like that. (laughs) (laughs) You go that way by yourself. (laughs) But yeah, Uh, collaborators. The Watchers don't always carry out their dark deeds on their own. A few animal mutants are their chosen minions and underlings. Okay, I'm going to ask a question. I just want to see how intuitive. It's not intelligent. This is intuitive. Heathen Dog happens to be. And Adam, if you want to jump in, you can as well in this one. You know, you do you remember the various animal types? Yes. Dogs, cats, badgers, bears, moose, uh, rabbits, rats. I, I know that's not all of them, but that's a lot. What animal type do you think would be the ones that probably turn you into the watchers the most? Well, the obvious answer are the rats. Because they're rats. Rat bastards. I mean, that that's it's in their name. <laughs> Adam, do you do you have a, do you have an idea? If I had to hazard a guess, I would say foxes. They're really quiet. They're really good at sneaking around, and they, uh, you know, in folklore, they want someone else to take the fall so they don't have to. Okay. Well, Adam's closest because foxes belong to the dog group. Dogs are loyal. <laughs> oh, loyal to humans. But I, yeah. I thought it would be directly to humans, not to a machine. That, that's fine. But, okay. Again, you don't know the game. That's fine. This wasn't to make the heathen dog look dumb or anything, but but the dogs, and we'll see that when we talk about the resistance. Yeah, never trust a dog if you're a member of the resistance. Stupid mutts. <laughs> All right. Um, collaborators, uh, collaborators of the open kind are most common. It's right there on the screen. You kind of just read it. No, uh, are most common in the dog tribe. Other tribes often consider the entire dog tribe as the right hand of the watchers. Not completely true. Even dogs sympathetic to the resistance. Like I said, well, you know, a few of them might be okay with the yeah, resistance. Couple, couple. <laughs> Randy over there, he's a little <laughs> weird. But yeah, the rest of the dog tribe, yeah, they're 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 all they're on board with Team Human. <laughs> uh, but it can't be denied that the dog tribe is closer to the watchers than any other tribe. All right. So let's. Um, is there anything else here? abductions Abductions. that's probably important to know i mean we we talked about it a little bit but uh this this i think is the only reason why anyone would want to leave paradise valley especially if they know what's outside the abductions okay there's no warning and no way out at irregular intervals the watchers capture animal mutants and take them away where the victims are taken is unknown but legends claim that they are taken to the labyrinth the underground domain of the watchers deep under the mountain. There is no discernible pattern to when or how often the abductions happen. Sometimes there are several in one day. Sometimes weeks pass by uh, without a single one. Who is abducted is just as unpredictable. It is simply put an ever ongoing life or death lottery. No tribe is spared, even though there are those that growl that the dog tribe seems to be targeted less than the other tribes. Now, if you had to guess, what tribe do you think is caught the most? And I will tell you now, it is an animal you guys have not mentioned yet, and I forgot about it until just now. 
uh weasel who, who goes through the most scientific testing rabbits there it is <laughs> the rabbits are abducted more i get it yep um it's just weird how that kind of plays into that uh so as you do uh, animals sim- sympathizing with the resistance also seem to be at greater risk of being abducted than others the manner of abduction varies usually animals are caught while hiking through the valley but it is not unknown for death dealing watchers to march straight into a habitat and seize whoever they're after even though come with me i don't want to sometimes they come looking for a specific individual other times the choice seems completely random the big part about this i wasn't going to read this but i think Ethan Doug, you're right it was good that i did that i want to put out there for game masters is this if the resistance becomes too open this happens if your players like screw it i'm just going to shoot every watcher i see blam 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 you know um guess what happens cameras man when when you shoot one if it happens to get a camera shot of you all of them know your face now. They look in their database. Now they know your name. They probably even know where you live now. They're going to they're gonna go to your village. They're going to find you, if not you, your family. And they're going to take somebody. Exactly. According to tradition, it is both futile and downright reprehensible to offer resistance to an abduction. How dare you resist this abduction? How dare you, abdu- How dare you not take your abduction? Right? Do it. Get into that white van with no windows right now, mister. It even says candy on it. Come it on. says candy on it. <laughs> oh, my God. Abductions are part of an animal's trials and must run their course. To be abducted is an honor, according... <laughs> Sorry, it's hard to read that with a straight face. According to the traditions, the few occasions where a victim has attempted escape or when parents have tried to protect their child from being taken have ine- inevitably ended with the victim captured by force or even killed. So why yeah, so resist? You can't win. They are they are giant T one thousand flying murder robots, and and you are a half rat, quarter man, quarter idiot, for even trying to to you know stand up to something like that. Uh, you can return, but I showed Heathen Dog a picture in a previous episode. Yeah, you, you don't want to come back. You want to die. Yeah, you want to die. You, you uh, hope you don't come back because otherwise you turn into one of these. An abomination Usually. is not good resistance so this is on page 98 of the pdf we're going to come to this later um there is one thing in one of these little uh blocks that i'm looking okay, while, for. while you're looking for that the, uh, an abomination when when you are taken you are tested on you are tested usually they they strip you of your of your gooey uh organic parts and put in <laughs> put in cyborg parts and if you survive and you're not horribly violent or completely insane they'll put you back to see what happens and now um, you're all messed up. Your your brain's fried. Your body's messed up. You you were a lot. It's a bad life. You, you were don't want a lot. <laughs> you just you just want to die now. You just hope you die. Where is it? I, did I pass it? Yeah, I think I passed it. I don't know what you're looking for, so I can't. The abomination. I'm, I'm going to research. That occurs to me is uh, with Mutant Mechatron, the game about the robots. I, I thought I uh, heard from someone that that their society was breaking down. And they had to like get it up and, and up to uh, regular operating order. Uh, but with these uh, watchers around the animals, um, time has passed and they're doing fine and they replace their losses. So, I mean, as a, as a gamer, I start thinking, well, oh, maybe there's some bad organization keeping this going. There, there is a lot of, of guesswork for the player characters up until they actually discover key truths. So you can guess all you want. 
But uh, the 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 main difference between the machines in Mutant Mechatron and the Watchers here in Mutant in uh, um, the name of this game, Mutant Gen Lab Alpha, Mutant Gen Lab Alpha, is that the the mutant the the machines in Mechatron are complete AI. They they are actual artificial intelligence successfully, and they are trying to fix their habitat because it's going to break and they live in the bottom of the ocean. So if that dome breaks, they're all going to die. So that's their trouble and tribulation. The watchers here, they are not AI. They are, they're smart systems, but they are not true individuals. They are still running their programming. Yeah. The, the, the main thing, and we'll talk about this when we do Mechatron starting next week with the robots is that uh, you're playing a robot in mutant Mechatron. You have two things that are working against you right now. One, your dome is trying to break. And if it floods, flooding plus robot does not equal good time. Yeah. Salt water and electronics, never a great deal. Right. The other part is you've gained sentience. Unlike your other robot brethren, you've gained sentience. And now you're starting to question. It's literally a skill in the game called question. Um, when you question, you're broken. And now you need to be fixed. So just like the animals here, I'll get to Super Chat in a second. Uh, just like the animals here kind of have to hide the resistance with the robot, you kind of have to hide the fact that you're free thinking. So uh, anyway, so this is an abomination just real quickly to show that. And this is that number I was talking about. This is your uh, the modifier to your role to see how much you understand about the abomination you're about to fight. So why would you put it in the book? Because now you, all of you on the screen are just reading what it can do. Of course, yeah. a game master is going to change that. I get it, which is one of the cool things about the abomination. This means nothing, really. But the point is, is like, why would you put all these stats in the book? <laughs> Especially well, about the robots. The, the, the reason you're showing the picture is because an ape gets taken, ape comes back as this. Or something similar, yeah. Or something similar. His 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 body, his spine, his legs are 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 replaced with uh with cyborg parts. As you can see, his brain probably not doing great. He's drooling on himself. Uh... Yeah, he's drooling. He's not awesome. He's not <laughs> doing great. It's better to be dead. J just like in Pet Cemetery, dead is better. <laughs> it's good. I like it. All right. Uh, what was Super Chat? It's Crafty giving us five bucks saying, uh, oh. have you tithed today? Well, thank you, Crafty. Appreciate Some that. People have crafty. Drive by tithing. It's a wife's birthday. Oh, well, happy oh, birthday. Should we happy sing? Birthday. Should we sing? No. Oh. It would, Somebody, it would hurt her. It's her birthday. She should have good things, not us singing. Somebody throws enough money. We'll sing. That's fair. <laughs> All right. So... <laughs> Again, not going through the entirety of Paradise Valley. We're going to talk about some of the basics, some of the things we overlooked before, things like the fences and so forth, so you get the idea of what's happening here. So Paradise Valley is situated high up in a scenic mountain range, far from the crumbling ruined cities described in Mutant Year Zero. So again, Heathen Dog is like, oh, why would they want to leave? Don't they understand the world's been destroyed? Well, no, if you're living up in the middle of the Rocky Mountains or the Himalayas or something, you don't know what's going on you down there. Yeah, you don't know what's going on in, in New York or Kansas City or whatever. You don't, you don't know it's all uh, existential hell outside <laughs> yeah. of Paradise Valley. You just, for some, you, you're just ignorant and naive and, and realize, oh my God, I'm trapped. You just don't realize you're trapped in a literal paradise comparatively to what everything else in the world is. Maybe those humans weren't so bad, huh? Maybe yeah. maybe becoming an abomination is a worthy sacrifice compared to what you're about to walk into. Uh, anyway, because uh, the rot, by the way, does affect mutant animals as well. Uh, so the valley is roughly 30 miles across. This area is depicted on the map, which again, showed right there. 
More detail and secrets about Paradise Valley can be found in the Game Master section that you can read of this book. <laughs> yeah, I added that. Meant for the GM's eyes only. Oh, thanks. Thanks for adding that little. Really? Oh, well, let me see. You can tell how I feel about that. Yeah. The outer fence. The feared outer fence encircles the whole valley. It is an electric fence topped with razor wire. Still powered somehow. The remains of several animal mutants in various states of decay can be found in a few places along the inside of the face. The reason for that is to remind you that you're, <laughs> you're where you're not supposed to be. Yeah, they, they don't clean up all of the corpses of people who who got shocked themselves to death or got shot by by sentinels, but uh, they clean up some of them. They leave some of them <laughs> as a deterrent. You know, the robots aren't putting heads on pikes, but this is the next best thing. But they're not taking them off the pikes either. Fair enough. <laughs> um, these are the victims of unsuccessful escape attempts. The outer fence is guarded around the clock by deadly drones and automated watchtowers. And when we'll look at one, we'll look at one later to show you, oh, probably in the resistance side, but uh, they're not weak. When we start looking at the dice, these things get to roll. You're going to be like, wow, um, how are we supposed to win? This doesn't stop certain brave animals from trying because they're dumb. And they're animals. And around the campfires in the valley, many tales are told of those who actually succeeded. Yeah. It's just, it's like the cat who caught the red dot, right? Yeah, yeah. Someone's <laughs> going to talk about it. Pie in the sky, bullcrap. No, sorry. No one's gotten out. They're all dead. Hello, Patty Parlor's Games. Good to see you, sir. Uh, fact or fairy tale? No one can say for sure. Oh, well, the game master can. Automated watchtowers. A large number of robotic watchtowers are part of the surveillance system of the watchers. Placed strategically, not really, just everywhere. If that, if you call that strategically, then uh, they're every part that is of the a strategy. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> that every part of the outer fence is covered by at least one ta uh, one tower. The towers are thirty feet high, metallic cylinders equipped with searchlights, megaphones, and lethal energy weapons. Whoever approaches the tower is issued in, uh, what's that? An ex escalating. Escalating. Okay, escalating succession of warnings. First, a metallic voice message from the megaphone. Then a warning shot, which, by the way, those of you who have firearms in your home, never fire a freaking warning shot. No. Uh, th uh, then a warning shot. And finally, a kill shot. Usually, only one hit is required. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you've got robot capability, I mean, you're probably not going to miss, right? No. Theoretically. And, and uh, the, these, these things are powered by whatever powers the watchtower, so it, could, it has unlimited ammo. It's an energy weapon. And uh, it's, a, it's a placement, so it can be rather large. So you're just going to get hit and then turn to salsa. The Stalag 13 searchlights are activated as soon as there is any form of movement along the outer fence during the night. The inner fences. Now, these are the ones that separate the different habitats. habitats. Yep. The inner fences in Paradise Valley between the different habitats are nowhere near as well kept as the outer fence. The gates usually situated along the roads in the valley are sometimes manned by watchers, but off left abandoned and open. Huh. Isn't that different than what it said before? When it said uh, manned outposts? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not quibbling. I'm just, just reminding people. Uh, even along sections where there are no gates, there are many places where the fences have decayed enough for cunning animals to slip through. No one goes near the fence casually, though. The risk of running into watchers is always greater along the fences than anywhere in Par Paradise Valley. And I promise you this, if you get anywhere close to an outer fence, and I don't mean like, you know, 20 feet, I'm talking a quarter mile, you are about to meet a watcher yes. or, or seven. 
Okay, not going to go through the forest and so forth. Just know that they're basically haunted. The river and lake where the apes live, that's where you can get some food, but they also have their own issues and so forth. The ski resort, again, you can read about all of this. The specific locations you can read about in the game. Uh, one, I don't want to keep our guest waiting so much, and we have one more uh, segment to go through here. And two, this could be done differently by your game master. These little right. specifics aren't yes, the, as the, important. These are, all, these are all pre-apocalypse points of interest or 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 post apocalyptic animal made points of interest the, the the ski resort obviously you know hybrid animals don't care about skiing right it was probably there before but the the forest and the river the, these are these are important spots that are controlled by certain animal groups but they have become points of interest because they are either places of trade places of you know trade trader commerce or places of gathering or you know whatever so they are important and it goes through several of them and your game master may create some or take away some it all depends on what suits his game so yep. you know look out for that and there's something i was looking for there but i'm not going to dwell on it uh there there's when i was reading through this yesterday to figure out the order of how i wanted to cover things today talked about another mutant game and it sounded absolutely amazing so uh we are going to look at the oh we're going to talk about the. i'm sorry we're going to talk about the labyrinth for a moment uh but we and we're going to just read off the name of the habitats to give you an idea of what the habitats are this is the dog habitat by the way uh, all right so the labyrinth truth or myth since time immemorial the series have frightened children with tales of the labyrinth the underground halls beneath the mountain where uh oh my god uh I forgot his name. I just had it in my head. Who did the movie Labyrinth? Oh, David Bowie. David Bowie. David Bowie's singing all the songs for you. Yep. <laughs> Dang it. I ruined that because I, I had his name like five seconds ago and then I lost it. Uh, between the, the mountain where the, the watchers... Power. What's that? The babe with the power. The babe with the power. <laughs> watchers take... Wow. Um, where the watchers take you to be cut into pieces unless you do what you're told. The small number of animals that have returned after being abducted by the watchers have been pale shadows of their former selves. Unable or you can see their brain. Yeah, it's not good. You'd, you'd rather die. Unable or refusing to remember the horrors they have endured. Oh right. God, no! If 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 I had my my skull popped open and my my brain poked at, I, I wouldn't want to remember that either. We're like, no, I'm 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 okay with not having that memory ever. No, we're we're gonna let you remember it. Damn it! <laughs> All right, so we looked at the dog. Uh, here's the apes, the islands, and the lake. And if you care, that's right here monkeys yep. i hate monkeys wipe them out um cabin village here are the kitty cats it's very i don't know why didn't expect yeah. that uh the rat castle and how by the way get a castle what's that how come rats get a castle that's lame and for those who watch the character creation video this is where fanny 05 lives uh the rabbit warren here's the building but really they live here because they're rabbits. Uh, what's this one? This is the lizards? Reptiles, yeah. This is the reptile terrarium. How come they get a terrarium? Look, they got technology, man. They got biodomes. Nice. Oh, uh, what? who's that well, idiot green actor from... maybe, but whatever. Who's that idiot actor from the 90s? Um, buddy? Oh, oh. Holly uh, Shore. Holly Shore? Holly Shore, yes. A biodome. Yeah, yeah. I remember the movie. It was oh, my awful. God. Yeah. Well, he was awful, but um, yeah, but uh, you know, he's in here getting eaten by the lizards. Sure. And then you have the bear park. Hey, boo boo. Yeah, I don't think they're worried about picnic baskets. <laughs> well, depends on who's carrying it. 
Uh, the Badger Burrow. Again, you know, they like to dig. And was there one more? Or is that it? Okay. What animal did we miss, Heathen Dog? I don't know. Did we miss uh, horses? Uh, close, the, close. The, the moose or the deer right. or whatever. Yeah. A moose. Because they don't have a tribe. Not what? in the same not in the same manner. They if don't have an moose, enclosure? Nope. They're just out there in the wilderness and they don't even have a hierarchy, a tribe. Nobody cares about them. They're kind of just freewheeling, man. They're the hollow wow. ones like that. Uh, no, hollow okay, ones of, uh, of uh, Mutant Gen Lab Alpha. <laughs> okay. But there we go. That's enough of Paradise Valley. Look, if you guys want a video where I talk about the habitats, that's kind of weird, but I'll do it if they want one on the side. Uh, really, I just wanted to explain what Paradise Valley is for you. Heathen Dog, do you now understand why Paradise Valley is both an awesome home, beautiful, but also a prison? Yes. Does yes, it make I more do. sense now? Yes. Yes, it does. But to be fair, the main thing is the abductions, especially the first time you, you see Billy come back from an abduct abduction and Billy is all jacked up. <laughs> yeah, uh, like, what, oh, what are the oh, comments yeah, that we got? Sure. All right. First, we got uh, brother, brother Malakal. Uh, does this mean you could theoretically pray to Jesus, Buddha, or Muhammad, whatever, as an animal person because they are humans? Sure. If if they were taught religion at all, they weren't taught specific religion, just that humans were the creators. So they were taught that all humans are this. But if if they found a book, a Bible, or a Quran, they would they would learn to read it, and they would see, oh, the the this is the ultimate human, Jesus, or the ultimate prophet of of the God Muhammad or whatever, who who must be even a better human. You know, they, they wouldn't understand it correctly, but they don't because need to. there are humans in the book, it would probably be, be considered some kind of holy text. Uh, first, uh, related to that as well. First of all, most mutants can't read. That doesn't mean your character can't read. I mean, your character could read. It's not, but most mutants can't read. They're animals. Uh, secondly, yeah, it doesn't matter. You could pick up a book. Um, you know, I, I found somehow it survived. I found my Dragonlance book and you could start worshiping Mishakal because of the way that book is written. Uh, it just depends because they venerate everything that's humans. But yes, you could. You could mix all those religions into one um, if you really wanted to, you know, throw a Bible or or yeah, Quran if, or whatever if, in if your game. Game Master wanted to throw a random religious book in there. He could just make up how the animals interpret it and it would yeah. be correct. Because yeah. you have no idea how the animal is actually going to react to the information in that holy book. Yep. And then he comes back again later on. And it's like Secret of Nim. Well, the whole uh, the whole experiment on animals thing, kind of in Secret of Nim, it was just their their thought process and their awareness that was that was increased. This one is both is both their brain and their body that were changed. So they are very much also human like. More in a less in appearance than in mind, but both. Yeah. So they have human physical traits as well. Yeah, it, it, you're proud of your human esque. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that that's that's the god part of you. So people like that. Marakma says it looks like he was upgraded to a half robot. Talking about the abomination, I would not I would not agree with the word upgrade. If you think that Locutus of Borg is an upgrade, then, then you're yes, probably on the wrong side. Well, and you're probably on the wrong side. There you go. <laughs> and then we have uh, Rex Teal says the whole connection with the Year Zero games and their lore is so cool. Yes. Yes. I mean, uh, it's it's kind of funny that, that you mentioned that because we're also doing Mage in segment two, which is the whole world of darkness is also connected, but you don't have to connect it. 
Just right. like all of these Year Zero games, they are standalone games, but they are a piece of a puzzle of a tapestry of a universe that is the Year Zero engine. Mm -hmm. So I would be yeah. more willing to put Year Zero games together as kind of a conglomerate than I would the World of Darkness games, though, because you're going to get people complaining, why is my vampire celerity not as cool as the mage? Well, because mages just outpower you. Yeah. Why is my changeling can't do anything? Well, because you live in a dream world, dumbass. That's... A Damn it, no, I swore. Um, uh -huh. right, <laughs> but uh, we have again. Uh, I feel like you might have answered this, but does it matter which order the games are played? You yes did talk about this uh, last week or the week before. I'll answer it again. Bit. Yes, ish. And it's this simple. If you want to play through these games as the, the, the prequel, then it matters. Because remember, Mutant Year Zero is the core game. Once you're out in Mutant Year Zero, you're playing the game. And even it has its own story, too. Uh, in order for somebody from Gen Lab Alpha to get to Mutant Year Zero, to do it by the book, that is, your table, your rules, you do your thing, you would have to play through this introductory adventure, which we'll talk a bit more about in the Resistance side. I'm not going to dive into it, but we're going to talk about more. You're going to see how it plays out a little bit more. Uh, and then I want to do this. I honestly want to do this someday. I'm not a fan of Elysium. It just it doesn't flow well for me. But... I would love to do a Mutant Elysium campaign, however long that takes. A Mutant Gen Lab Alpha campaign, however long that takes. And a Mutant Mechatron campaign, however long that takes. And then have them go out to the world at that point. And then, do you want to keep your Mechatron character? Or do you want to make a new one for Mutant Year Zero? You're going to want to keep your Mechatron character. <laughs> Robots are better. Robots are... I, I cannot wait. Mechatron... Again, everybody knows I love anthropomorphic animal games. I, I, I Shard and After the Bomb is my Palladium game. Uh, I play Wolf, and I, I read a comment somewhere. Somebody said, I'll take Wolf and out of my game. Well, F you, I'm not playing your game then. Uh, <laughs> I don't necessarily mean it that hardcore, but yeah, I mean, I, I like that kind of thing. But in for whatever reason, we'll talk about it next week, starting next week. I like the robot version better. Anything else? Uh, nothing poignant. Okay. All right. Then with that, uh, like, subscribe, share. Oh, can you put the subscribe? I don't have any of the buttons. I have the book in front of me. So uh, like, subscribe, share. Want to thank Adam uh, for popping in. He's going to be more prevalent in our, you know, in the made segments for those of you who watch the videos that come out this week. But I want to thank him for being here and uh, <laughs> sitting through this. But uh, with that, I look forward to talking to you guys in the next video. All right. Get that set up and we'll jump right into uh, over there. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. And let me get back to the book cover and I'll be ready. 110. All right. All right, for the second part of segment one today, we're finishing up the series on Mutant Gen Lab Alpha. And one of the things you might remember me saying uh, when we started the Mutant Year Zero series is it doesn't matter which game you're playing. If you're playing Forbidden Lands, if you're playing Coriolis, playing Alien, I don't know about some of the newer ones like One Ring and and uh, and Blade, a Blade Runner. But in the normal Year Zero engine games, there are multiple aspects to it, and one of them is the out of character aspect. Usually, it's building an arc, building a ship, building your stronghold. But Mutant Year Zero goes a little different direction on this one because you already have your habitat, you already have your Paradise Valley. It's perfect for you. Yeah, but in, and instead of building it up. For some reason, you want to tear it down. 
<laughs> you want to tear it down and you tear it down by becoming part of the resistance. And that is what we're going to talk about today is what it means to be part of the resistance and how to handle that as both players and characters. The core values of hashtag RPGate and any good tabletop group are escapism, not representation, entertainment over activism, and natural organic inclusion, not forced diversity. Please follow that QR code or refer to the description below for the link to the charity we support, which is the Wounded Warrior Project. Thursdays and Saturdays, you can watch the Dirty Casuals on twitch.tv slash Legion of Myth. Fridays and Sundays, you can watch the Friday Night Chill Stream and RPG Digest on our YouTube and Rumble channels. Please leave us a comment with your thoughts and experiences, and if you like our gaming content, please be sure to subscribe to Legion of Myth. I'm never going to fix that. All right. So we're going to start right off. So backtracking a little bit here. Now, a lot of this exists in different parts of the book. This is the player's portion of it. Yes, I am going to show you a little bit of the game master portion as well, but I have to. So you understand what you and the game master are doing. You're actually competing against each other. And it's one of the few times where I'm going to say that the adversarial portion of this is good as long as it stays only in this aspect oh and oh, yes oh, i get it i get it for for instance uh for anyone who who uh who watched our mutant year zero thing uh building up your arc your 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 protection against the rot of the entire world is a meta game thing it mm -hmm. is it is you are not doing it in character you're doing it as players talking to each other as players to figure out the best way forward to to, to solidify the fortifications of your particular arc and each each year zero game each of the original year zero games has that mechanic where you meta above your mm -hmm. player your your player characters and you you as players now run the show for a few minutes using out of character knowledge that, that whatever it's fine because you're not playing your character this moment you are uh simulating a council of sorts yes uh, elders and 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 high level people of your of your specific habitat uh trying to plan out their high level things to increase their their uh their their you know haves in the world and you know build up their habitat or their arc or whatever and the resistance apparently has this as well right and some people had a little bit like, eh, it doesn't make sense that, you know, low level or young beginning characters are going to have that kind of influence. Look, it's a game, guys. And one of the things about having a game is let the players have this influence. And the same thing here. What the, the characters start, you know, they're all of a sudden the leader of the of the Taliban, the animal Taliban. Yes. Well, think of it this way. When when a resistance is begun who becomes the leader the most charismatic people the the people who are the boldest who have the most grand ideas and thoughts and and plans to move forward they other people gravitate toward them you as the player character you're young you're full of piss and vinegar and fire and <laughs> and you you have the ability to rally those who aren't as brave or bold as you to your side so you become a de facto leader that makes more sense to me well, let's let's find out what the resistance is then, and then we're going to look at how the resistance plays out. The resistance lately discon discontent has grown among the tribes. Young animals, in particular, have begun questioning. Uh, uh, there we go. The old traditions and the animal submission to the watchers. 
Armed revolt against the robots is discussed in Shady Glades and Hidden Warrens. Hmm. Wonder if we're talking about rabbits. The resistance is so the resistance is strongest in the rabbit warren. The only habitat where thoughts of rebellion rebellion are voiced openly. I want to say that again. The only habitat where thoughts of rebellion are voiced openly. I'm because not saying they are getting the fuzzy end of the lollipop. <laughs> they are. The watchers come and take them more than everybody else. I'd be pissed too. We'll, we'll see. It. We'll see a little bit more about the rabbits as well when it, when we start looking at the sheets and so forth. But um, look, I'm not going to say you're a bad role player. I'm not going to say you're doing anything wrong. Your table, your rules, and so forth. But if you're openly talking about like, hey man, let's go join the resistance and shoot the as watchers. Yeah, as a dog especially, but even even as a cat, cats have a pretty low rating as well. Um, yeah, you. A good game master is going to go. Yes, please keep talking. <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh, because of this, the Watchers enforce order in the Rabbit Warren with more force than in the other habitats. Yeah, that's that's what the other tribes do not want. They do not want the hammer to come down. Yep. Like it is on the rabbits. So they shut the hell up. Yep. At least openly. Yeah. The dog tribe is the least willing to rebel because, you know, they're loyal since they are close to the Watchers and often act as their deputies in the valley. So who do you not trust? dogs Got it. <laughs> it's unclear who if anyone leads the resistance because it's the player characters so far the resistance is an idea a dream more than an organized resistance movement that is true still things are happening and when we get into the numbers you're going to see how this plays out graffiti the most common expression of the resistance are slogans scrawled under the cover of darkness on the walls of ruins far from every animal can read but written words like freedom or death to the watchers are legible to all removing rings he i asked heathen dog in the last video if he'd remove a ring well a seemingly small yet symbolic action to defy the watchers is when a ring mutant removes the ring few dare go through with such an act unless they're an active member of the resistance so you've just outed yourself reconnaissance while awaiting major actions against the watchers the members of the resistance devote their time to reconnaissance and mapping gathering information about how and where the watchers patrol the valley how their weapons work and how they respond to various incidents very valuable to the resistance at this early stage by the way great role-playing opportunity if you go in blind expect to come out dead yes Yes, if if you don't understand how a, how an energy Gatling gun works, you're not going to be able to explain it when you finally do learn how it works because you're dead. Well, so, also you know, gather your information before you go blowing yes. up the wrong target or thinking that there are watchers here. Only I think there are no watchers here. Yeah, we talked about what what class was that before? We were talking about the scavenger, right? And I remember you saying that in Mutant Year Zero, the scavenger. It's like you don't even want to play the game without it. Well, now it ha instead of just finding rot, now it has more of a role here as well, where it's like, uh, I, we need to know what's up there. And if you're not willing to do that, if you're just going to walk in blindly, it's not going to work out for you. Well, you know, the, the tried and true method for gathering intelligence is uh, send Jimbo and we'll watch what happens to Jimbo and then we'll mm -hmm. learn everything we need to know. So if, if, you are, if you are the town screw up, and you want to join the resistance, they might let you in just so they can gather intelligence from your corpse. Um, a cavalry scout that I knew kind of said that's how he did it. He said he'd be back in the Humvee and he'd go, boom, 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 
and then count how many bullets flew back. I was like, that's not how I want to do my scouting. But uh, yeah. uh, so, uh, Brother Malachi, I read what you said that that's absolutely a character you can have. Yes, I, I would be a little squinty eye with that, but that's because I'm a purist. Uh, so, but yeah, absolutely. You could have a character like that. Most of the other dogs, though, aren't going to be cool with you. You might even become exiled. And if you don't know what that means, go watch the previous video. But I'm not guaranteeing that would happen. I'm just saying, got to be careful of that. All right. However, watching the watchers is a great risk in and of itself. Pinprick attacks. So far, direct action against the watchers is rare, but there have been a few instances. Mostly it's been harmless vandalism, like, you know, spray painting them. Sure. Like cutting fences or blocking roads used by the watchers or, build, or by building barricades. Even such small actions have immense symbolic value. Now, the Watchers don't necessarily know how to directly react to something. But if you spend too long on that, I don't want to ex explain why, because it's kind of a spoiler. But if you spend too long or do it too often, they will have a, a reaction to it. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're not sentient. They are they run off of a really, really good algorithm. So if they don't know how to react to a new situation, they weren't programmed for it, but they will adapt. Mm -hmm. So get ready to change tactics a lot. Now I have to find, we went through this last episode. So let's, uh, there are some things I want to talk about here. Jobs, game mash, all animals are not the same. Humankind, blah, blah, blah. History, paradise, Valley. You don't need to know that. Is this the one where it talks about the, However, there's a mute exodus. I want to know where my mutant exodus book is. I okay, think are you, I don't know what you're talking about. You're talking about a, a game there. Yeah. So the enclaves of Elysium will be described in detail in the future supplement mutant exodus. Now, one can say, oh, that's now just been retitled mutant Elysium and that's mutant Elysium. No, no, no. Mutant Elysium is one. There are many of these enclaves. I want to know about more of them. So anyway uh okay Jenna alpha we got to get to the sheets that's watchers and monsters sorry i don't know what page i should have wrote down the page but you know like heathen dog the other week i didn't do that by the way isn't that creepy looking right there that that's actually uh 1984 yeah 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 that that is a that is old spider-man cartoon stuff yeah right there, there you go where the where, where the, the guy is controlling a robot that that you see a face or or a robocop 2 I mean, where the where the uh, drug dealer guy was was uh, put into a robot body and he showed himself yep. by a screen with his face on it. Yeah, that's just always creepy, right? Yeah. All right. Uh, oh, I do. So I said I was going to do this later, but I'll do it now since we're coming up to it. And uh, giant horn bug. Let's just look at this. It's big, right? Yeah, it's huge, man. What the hell? So what, so what can this do? Uh, giant horn bug. Plus one. So you get a plus one to figure out what it can do. Its strength is 10, its fight is 3. Hey, Heathen Dog, how many dice am I rolling? Uh, fight 3, strength, that's 13 dice, right? Yeah. How that's many do bad. you have? <laughs> At best, I can hope for probably around 5. And what is Start. it I need to do to get a success? Roll a 6. So on 13 dice, do you think I'm going to roll a 6? Yeah, man. I think you are. <laughs> okay. Um, mandible's weapon damage, 1. If hit, the victim is caught in the horn bug's grip and needs to roll a force to get free with a modification of minus two. So I hope you got a little bit of strength on you. Oh, friends can help. Well, that's nice. We're all pulling it. No, don't hold them. But what happens if he holds you, or it holds you in this case, if it holds you and you don't get free? Oh, it starts chewing on you. Yeah, it starts chewing you. Weapon damage three. 
and no, I get no, to still no. and I still get to roll. So if I if I do damage you, it's three plus however many extra successes I get. You're Which not going to last long because you're rolling at least thirteen dice. This is why the Year Zero engine games are both deadly, but before you complain, because I've run Forbidden Lands quite a bit where people right off the bat complain about the stuff, if you use teamwork, number one, remember, Heathen Dog and Adam, they've got two characters. Let's say they both have five strength and uh, and three in fight, just, just for the sake of argument. Well, that means they're both rolling eight dice. Well, that means they've got 16 versus my 13. Averages will lean towards them if they can survive towards it. And now you talk, you know, four characters in the group. Yeah, you've got to be careful. You've got to use uh, tactics. You've got to be smart about this. Use that uh, that scouting to try to figure it out. Get set up an ambush so you get the first attack. Whatever. If you're using teamwork, these numbers don't really matter. Okay. Now for this is this is for Adam and for anyone else who 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 doesn't know how damage works in this game. There are there are several specific kinds of damage, mental trauma, physical yep. trauma, stuff like that. And what it does is it doesn't take away hit points. It doesn't fill up hit boxes. It takes away stats. So if you take physical damage, it takes away from your strength until you heal. So if, if, if Adam and I have five strength, I get I get a laser blast in my shoulder. It does three damage. Now my strength is two. Let, let, let's let's make this really easy based on and kind of, you know. Uh, uh, prognosticate what we're going to talk about in a moment. In Mage the Ascension, think of it as losing dots. Yeah. You're it, losing it, your strength dots. Like you are literally rolling less dice. Yes. You're rolling less dice for, for now dealing physical damage in, in, uh, in later rounds in, this, in the same combat. So the more you get hit, the weaker you become. You get a zero stat, you go down. Yep. You're broke. You go Not down. dead, but broken. Yep. You're yeah, this, this kind of topic is really interesting to me because it, it's kind of like um, helping people to level up as uh, as gamers, as RPG fans, because uh, that was the, the big discussion in uh, you know fantasy games like D&D. It's like uh, we don't have the weapons and we don't have the spells to uh, defeat that dragon, so we can't fight it. And and so one guy says, well, you know, what if we go one level up and we divert the river so it floods the dragon's cave and the dragon has to leave and then we go in and pick up the gold. And people are like, you can do that? And the game master says, you can try. Now you're learning about <laughs> role-playing games. Yep. Yeah. I yeah. love that. You can try. Exactly. Absolutely. Or, uh, you know, when you, you, you flood his cave, if you really want to kill that dragon, you will set up traps on the outside of his cave. And when he comes out, you will, you will hit him with all of these ballista nonsense and trebuchets and all kinds of stuff, restrict his movement because he's in the water. And you might win using that way and get all of his gold. So yay team. So it's kind of like that. Yeah, very much. All right, escape from paradise. Uh, this is the uh, this is the adventure. We're not going to go through the whole adventure because I don't want to spoil it for you. It is generally broken into these five acts, if you want to call them that. And we're moving. Hey, a moose. That what is up with that moose's? What is that? Oh, okay, he's wearing leather. Okay, he's wearing some sort of leather armor. Or so oh no, that's a glass. Yeah. No, it's a it's a goggle. Those are goggles. That doesn't look like Bullwinkle. <laughs> no, no. And you know what I find most interesting about that? Not the fact that he can't fit both of them around his eye, but one of them is intact and one of them is broken. And the one he's looking through is the one that's broken. That doesn't protect your eye at all. <laughs> I don't think he understands the function of goggles. <laughs> you might be right, but well, he is a moose. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, okay. The campaign is gui guided by is, simple is that a swastika on his chest. I hope not. Okay. No, no there's no swastika on his chest. At least okay. I don't see it. 
You know? Okay. Great. Now, now people are going to... Nope. <laughs> Demonetized! No. Anyway. Oh, I see you now. God there dang you it. Go. Damn it! <laughs> I know. I don't think that's a swastika. I think that's just know, the way the I pattern filled it. It was, it was just a random demonetization thanks to the book. Thanks, Dick. <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, the campaign is guided by simple mechanics that gauge the levels of success of the resistance and the state of the watchers. It is you, I don't want to say versus the game master because the game master can cheat and that's not fair. But the game master is running the watchers and you're running the resistance. And as the book will tell you in a moment, and if it doesn't, well, I'm telling you now, you actually set up your resistance outside of the view of the game master. The game master sets up the watchers outside of the view of the players. Then you compare notes. Uh, so, these mechanics will create a framework for the PCs to act in, not unlike development levels and projects of Mutant Year Zero. Each of the eight main tribes, but there are nine. Remember, moose don't have a tribe. Yeah, Paradise Valley, moose tribes too small, scattered count, have two important metrics that the players track throughout the campaign. Population and insurgency. And if we look here, let's look at the dog tribe. Scroll over. There we go. Population is 200. There are 200 dogs. Insurgency is only a five. And we'll get to what that means later. Hey, uh, we talked about the rabbits, right? Yep. Rabbits are 300 because, you know, they're rabbits. Insurgency 65. 100 is cap. They're ready to go. They're like, we're done with this nonsense. All right. And then, of course, you've got the cat tribes 10. I, I don't understand cat tribe 10, but maybe it's because they're just indifferent. Yeah. You know, all, it's not because they like anybody. Like genetically dicks. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, anyhow, let's go back to the book. Uh, population, the total number of individuals living in the tribe's habitat. Like mutant year zero, you don't want to get down to zero. Because then your, your tribe is now extinct. Yes. Or even one. That's like it's like a sad. I'm going to be extinct in a minute. <laughs> and it's you, the player character. Yeah. The population number will determine how many resistance cells the tribe can support. And we'll talk about that below. Th that's another thing. You can't just go out and keep making cell, 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 cell. If there's not enough population for a cell, guess what? You tried. It didn't work. Insurgency again, zero to 100 scale, measuring how rebellious the tribe is. The rating determines how difficult it will be to carry out operations, and this is what the players do they carry out operations and to recruit trails, cells in this tribe. The insurgency rating automatically increases by a d6 in each tribe at the start of every strategic term, which is about a month. Okay, so the game itself seems to be actually helping you as time moves forward. Yes, there's more and more discontent being being sowed by the situation so your perspective pool of fellow resistance fighters grows and grows every month yes but there aren't a lot of turns in the game and, or in this and there it's only a d6 so mm -hmm. ultimately can it push over the top yes but is it going to win it for you just by just wait it out no these metrics will change during the course of the campaign, mostly depending on the operations that the PC send the resistance carry out, but also the operations of the watchers. That's the game master side. Also on where you are in terms of um, the story. Pardon me for saying it that way, but that's what it is. Those five acts, you can do it sandboxy, but because they're really just results. When those results are hit, it changes. And one of them radically changes how easy it is to uh, get people in, get cells built up. Basically, by that point, everybody's pissed and they go, what? 
the resistance sheet. The players use the resistance sheet, which is this right here, what I showed you. Oh, let, let me just also show this since we're here. Turn one, turn two, right? It goes to turn 12. So basically you have a year. Give or take a few days, but it, but it's roughly a month for each turn. You have a year to win or you just don't? I mean, uh, you can have it take two, three years if you really need it to. It shouldn't, <laughs> you know. That kind of means that you're really not paying attention to anything going on and you're probably just going and doing a lot of fishing for some reason. But you could have it take longer, yeah. The players use the resistance uh, to track those metrics over time. The starting values for each tribe are pre-written in as we looked at. And you can see some tribes, notably the rabbits, are rebellious right from the start. And again, we'll look at the chart of what those numbers mean. The resistance sheet is also used to plan the operations. I don't think so. Wait, these operations, their sole purpose is to increase the the resistance rating of the of the uh, of the specific tribes that you like. If you put, you know, death to the watchers, resistance is here, stuff like that. It'll increase unrest in that area that's part of it part of it okay and we'll get we'll definitely be getting to that okay so here are those insurgency numbers now we said dogs have a five so they fit within the zero to 20 range right mm -hmm. and as heathen dog knows you get a d6 each turn so let's say you average three and a half so a three and a four you just keep rolling that three and four three and four how long would it take the dogs to go from five to 20 well let's see uh, i'm sorry 21 five. that's going to be eight and a half Stream uh, math. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 15 and a half, 16, 16, 17, 18, 19. It'll take five months to get them to above 20. On, with average rolls, yeah. Which have, with average rolls, yes. You might want to speed that up a bit, huh? A little bit, yeah. Okay. So, uh, sounds a bit uh, meta. Yeah, all the years your engine games have a metagame. Have a metagame mechanic. Yes. And this is, this is our metagame mechanic for this game. Now, let's go look at uh, the bunnies. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's read this. The tribe is largely loyal to the watchers. The old ways still hold sway. There are rebellious individuals in the tribe. Hint, your player character can be one of these. But they generally keep a low profile and only act in secret. If caught, such rebels are treated harshly, often published, uh, punished in public or handed over to the watchers. So you don't want to be a dog, at least starting the game, and get caught. Now let's scroll down to the bunnies. The bunnies are in the second to highest category. The rebels are a clear majority and have most likely taken charge of the tribe. The rebels openly defy the watchers, but still generally try to avoid direct violent confrontations with the machines. Again, laser guns versus slingshots. Yeah, laser guns win. A part of the tribe still sees the rebels as reckless upstarts, and there are deep rifts in the social fabric of the tribe. Everyone is on their guard, expecting a watcher attack at any time. And sure. the people who are uh, who don't like this, who call them reckless, this is usually the issue. It's like even if you're right, jerkwads, you're going to bring the hammer down on the entire tribe. And then, of course, eighty-one to one hundred, you're on the path to victory. Okay, so let's move over here. So, how does this start to play out? How does this play out? The campaign is divided into strategic turns. One turn represents about a month of time, but it can be more or less if you so desire. The strategic term has four phases. Insurgency phase. That's you guys. The players roll one D6 for each tribe in turn to determine how much insurgency rating increases in the tribe. That's the first thing. Even before you start anything, you roll that D6 to see how much it's bumped up. So dogs went from, again, average roll. We'll start with the three, and next time will be the four. So they're from a five to an eight. Big whoop. Nothing changed. 
This increase is a natural response to the animal's captivity and oppression of the watchers. Then there's the planning phase. The PCs, in effect, the players. Well, isn't that what PC means? Yeah, player <laughs> characters. Well, no, player characters. No, this one's the actual players who are doing it. Yeah, fair, fair. Okay, yeah, fair. Decide what operations the resistance cells should carry out this turn. And we'll get to what those options are in a bit. And where to do it. The PCs themselves constitute one cell, and they can decide where to send themselves. Now, this is one of those things. This is actually the game that put me on this path when you hear me talk about this for other games. The book says, hey, you should do this at the start of play. I disagree. I say you should do this at the end of play. Why? Because, one, you end the adventure on a cliffhanger. What are you guys going to do? We set up this plan. We did these operations. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Next week, we're going to run through it. It also gives you that time to plan it. Now, could the player still go off in some weird direction you didn't plan for? Sure. But to me, this makes planning the, the next session simple. You know what it's going to be. It's going to be this operation. It just makes more sense to do it at the end to give yourself time to plan. But if you like things to be a little, we'll say more sandboxy, more random, sure, do it at the beginning. But what are you guys' thoughts on, on whether the planning phase or the... The character's deciding uh, what's going to happen for the upcoming event at the beginning or the end. Okay, now, first, I, I want to clarify what the what the planning and operation of the resistance cell is. The, this is the metagaming portion. This is where, okay, mm -hmm. us, as a resistance cell, we are going to scout this part of the outer fence. We are going to trigger their responses at night, see how they react, and catalog everything they do so we are prepared for when we want to in the future rush this fence take it out you know when we have the ability to do that we want to make sure that we know the watchers responses that could be your operation for next week if it's the operation for this week then you and the game master aren't gonna maybe probably not gonna have as good a time because it's not going to be thought about and fleshed out as much as it could be a week from now or two weeks from now when you play again that's my thought process as well yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the, you're giving the game master a lot more time to set up something more cool and elaborate and, and have you be able to gather much more information because this this onion's got layers, you know, stuff like that. So, yeah, you know, I, I, I like the idea of it being at the end of the, okay. of the game session. I, th I like the cliffhanger aspect of it as well. Mm. You know, you know, you're ready to run this operation. You're doing the Mission Impossible. You're getting ready and then end and then i've got to wait till next week to see if our plan works yeah, yeah. Sure. always uh, leave the audience wanting always leave the audience wanting <laughs> adam oh, any Andrew. thoughts yeah well if i'm understanding this correctly then i would agree with you guys because uh the game master will have more of a chance to personalize the setting and deviate from the book and portray that to the players so they understand how you know it's different from just in the book and then mm -hmm. so when they do their planning at the end, it's planning based on how the game master has decided to to change things or emphasize certain things. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if that game master has already made changes to the world, which you probably have to make some considering this is in the book that everybody gets for the game. Uh, yeah. So to incorporate all of that together, absolutely. I just like the idea that the game master gets to be more prepared. So even if the players just go weird, yeah, they, they're going for the plan, but they get weird with it. You have the time to think about how you can maybe resolve some of those weird things that you expect your players might try to do. Again, I, I'm no way is right. No way is wrong. I just think that uh, I think it's 
overall, especially for newer game masters, I think it'd be better to give them a chance yeah. to, to give yourself as much time as possible, right? To, to yep. figure out how to do a really, really good and powerful adventure. So have them plan it at the end. So you got a week or two to, you know, suss it all out. One other thing I want to make clear is that not every session would end with this because remember, this is a month of time. Mm -hmm. So this is just one, one ending is like, okay, it's time to update the resistance cell and so forth. You're going to have your own little side missions that of course the the players are going to want to do. And you're going to, you're going to want to feed them into that. There are probably going to be some scouting missions. You know, we don't know what operations we want to do. So let's, let's go out there and scout. Let's go talk to somebody. Let's do some trading. There are also things given in the book to advance the story directly or little tan tangential things that you can do that help push it along and push your characters along as well. So this isn't the definitive end of every session. It's just an end of a session. Okay. All right. So the planning is done in secret from the GM. And a lot of times the first time people read that, they're like, wait, what? No, but yes, this is necessary. It, this is how it turns into a metagame. If, if your characters were planning something, the GM would have to be involved, but you as players mm -hmm. are planning something that in this instance is in opposition to what the game master is doing with the Sentinels and Watchers. Yes. So you don't want the game master to know what you're doing until it happens in this instance. It's made to be this way. It's made to be adversarial because you're not playing the game adversarially. You're playing a metagame adversarially. So it's it's not going to wreck the game. It's not going to cause, which should not cause animosity in other aspects of the game that right. are more quote unquote normal. So it should and, be okay. and believe me, if the game master outrights win, outright wins or if the players outright win, that is literally a matter of bad luck or being so dumb that one side or the other could just read what you were going to do. And we'll right. get to we'll, you'll see this in a moment. It's not that easy for the game master just to up and beat you or for you just to up and beat the game master. Uh so this planning is uh, 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 operations are noted on the resistance sheet. At the same time, the GM plans the watchers' operations using in secret from the players using the watcher sheet. Oh, I haven't showed the watcher sheet. So here's the watcher sheet, and we'll talk about what uh, checkpoint operation is. Starts off with a hundred, hundred uh, robots. Yeah, robots. Uh, what are they called? Uh, drones and seekers, I think. Uh, it will get or sentinels. Yeah, drones and in and, and, and they're in specific squad sizes so it's not like he puts 62 out this way 49 out there no 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 it's uh he sends again you'll see all this in a moment but he sends certain squads out there there's your resistance sheet notice that the resistance could be bigger than the watchers i've got 100 hell the rabbits alone are 300 right so all right get back to here all plans both the players and gms are revealed simultaneously all operations are then resolved. First, resolve all resistance operations, uh, except for the PCs. So, so what you do is you go through all the operations you do, and you say, this is a result, result, result. We'll get to how that's taken care of in a second. And then, but one result has not been decided yet. The PCs. Next week, guys, you get to, you will find out how yours turns out. So if the resistance wins two or three of them, Great, they win two or three of them. If the Watchers win two or three of them, great, the Watchers win two or three of them. But yours, cliffhanger next week. Record-keeping phase. As a result of operations, population insurgency and capacity ratings are changed. Very similar, if you remember Mutant Year Zero, where people were dying of rot, you were trying to get the food, the, or the grub, 
the the water, the defenses, and so on and so forth, the technology. Well, that now you're just killing people. After the strategic turn, the operation that the PCs carry out themselves is played out in detail. Non-PC operations become a backdrop to the PC story. Resistance cell. The activity of the resistance is divided into operations which are carried out by cells of four to five individuals. So it's basically player characters type stuff. And if a cell is wiped out, you know how many people to take off the map. Uh, one of the cells is the PCs themselves. Now, this is what I want to get down here. Uh, at the start of the campaign, the PC cell is based in at the old helicopter, which is down here. In looks like Badgerland. Okay. Yeah, I can zoom in on that if people want. There's an old helicopter down there in Badgerland. Oops. Uh, da, 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 da. I don't want to say it. some of this is a little bit spoilery. Sorry. I mean, like this name, I can't help it. But you know, your game master will change things. The PC cell is the only one which is not bound to a particular tribe. Why? Because you're probably playing animals from different tribes. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that that's what people want to do. Even though on on first blush, it doesn't really make sense to have inter-tribe player characters because why would they get along like i want to play a rat well i want to play a cat you probably in realistically cannot be in the same group Mm. but this is a game we want people to play what they want to play so for some reason you guys get along okay well you get along in terms of the resistance yeah 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 you you want to hey the the rat wants to take down the watchers i want to take down the watchers I, i might kill him later but he's fine now when you start the game there are only two other cells one in the reptile tribe and one in the badger tribe which is good because you're in badger territory <laughs> right so the details of these cells are up to you to decide should, should it be needed but that's it you can't do dog operations because guess what there's no dog and there's no dog resistance right new cells are gained now, through- hang on uh ju- just just to clarify tell me if i'm wrong so you have a cell, you decide what you do. There are two other cells at the beginning of the game. You also, during the operations phase, yes. decide what they're doing. Yes. And then at the same time, the game masters is, is deciding what the robots are doing. And when you yes. bring it all in, they say, okay, we as the PC cell are going to scout this outer wall. The badger cell is is going to uh, spray some some graffiti and crap inside inside the dog habitat to try and get them up in arms. We'll, we'll talk know, like, about what the what the specifics are yeah, of that. Robot yep. hate dogs, whatever you know. Yep. The, write that everywhere. And then the, the <laughs> reptile cell is is actually going to try and uh, and and figure out uh, why or how uh, watchers choose to blockade certain roads. That's yep. their thing. Now, if the game master comes back written down his sheet, oh, guess what? Uh, you, you you sent a cell into the dog habitat. Well, I already had plans to yep to uh, to steal from the dog habitat to abduct from the dog habitat this month, and that means I'm probably gonna gonna capture your cell. Very possible. Yep. Yep. And so you might lose that cell that you sent to the dog habitat. Yep. Not only did you not succeed, they're wiped out. Yep. Very possible. Okay. I just want to make and, sure. And if you notice. If you notice, you have two, well, three cells, including yourself. Yeah. I have a hundred watchers. I start with an advantage. Game yeah. masters, don't be complete dicks. But I start, I mean, I'm taking all of them to hunt down the PCs. Well, they don't know about the PCs yet, okay? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're, you just started the game. You're, you're, the, the, the PC cell is not any more or less important than the other two at this point. 
So new cells are gained through using the recruitment operation. A new cell is always based on the tribe where it was recruited, but can carry out operations anywhere in the valley. There's a penalty, and we'll see that in a bit. A newly recruited cell is ready for service during the next strategic term. So you get them this turn, and then so you get them in February, and they can start in March. Sure. <laughs> and hey, there's a squirrel because I don't know why. Every cell of the resistance needs support from its tribe to survive. Each cell needs at least 50 individual tribe inhabitants to support it. So if we look at that for just a moment, well, that's okay. Dog tribe, you could, if, as long as nobody dies, you could have up to four cells. Cat tribe, only two. But, you know, hey, be happy you got two. Bear tribe, one. So, because, you know, you have the 80. You only have 80. You need 50, so you can only have one because you two would be less than 50 yep. got it so um you got to work those dogs man <laughs> you got to get them on your side i mean rabbit tribe okay you can have six but i mean they're rabbits what do you want <laughs> okay. um in other words the number of cells multiplied by 50 is the minimum population needed to support the cells if the population of a tribe be falls below what is needed to support the cells the tribe is devolved uh, dissolved sorry I'm, I'm sorry i wanted to skip probably already read it anyway or pause the video but there's a little secret note uh, in that each cell can carry out one operation each cell so if there are four rabbit cells you can still have four operations she just elbowed my cat uh each strategic turn in the planning phase the pcs secretly decide we already talked about that okay so got squirrels there right uh and then resolution I'll be back first, in a first resolve all resistance operations one habitat at a time, taking into account the watcher's operations, the same habitat, then resolve the effects of any remaining watcher operations. Got it. Operations that are not carried out by the PCs themselves are mainly used as backdrop, and each is resolved with a single die roll, and we'll show that in a second. For an operation to succeed, the players need to roll at least one success. If not, the operation fails. The chance of success uh, is based on some things. We'll get to that in a second here. I, I, I'm going to start speeding up a little bit here because... Uh, so with the with the rules here. So if the insurgency level, so let's say you're going to the dog lands, all right? And you're like, we need to recruit some mutts. Come on, Fido. You're gonna join us. Because the insurgency level of Dogland is zero to twenty, it's a five, you're at a minus two. Okay, I've recruited you. I get it. Thank you. However, if you go over to Bunnyland, they're already at 65. You need to recruit some more, you get a plus one. So, you know, if you're really hard up, as much as you want to get those dogs, if you're really hard up and like, we got to, we just need another cell. I don't care where it's from. Uh, your best chance is go get the rabbits. Hopefully that makes sense to everybody. How you want to start, that's your business. Uh, what I've noticed most when running through this is that uh, the first two operations are pretty much your most important. They're going to set the tone for the rest. In addition to the base dice, a number of danger dice are rolled when resolving operations. I will show all of this in a moment. How many is indicated in the operation table modified by the watcher operations? Use gear dice to remember uh, to represent danger dice. Why gear dice? Because attribute dice are rolled for for your side of it. Danger dice are, or gear dice are rolled for the opposite side of it. Both of those have the possibility of going south on you with the roll of ones. Remember, skill dice ones don't matter. Uh, doo -doo -doo -doo. and yeah for each uh kaboomy boomy roll uh you lose a cell you lose the entire cell so it's bad to roll those ones behind enemy line you know let's 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 not even look at that because we can come down here 
if you conduct an operation, if you have bear, the bear tribe conducting bear stuff in bear land, hey, no modifier. This is danger modification, by the way, not to the skill roll. This is to the danger roll. In the neighboring zone, so let's look at the map here real quickly. We said bears, right? Okay, those are foxes, dogs. Screw it. Let's just say we're going to do dogs. If the dogs are going to Badger Land or going to Monkey, Monkey Land, World. Monkey World, there you go. It's plus one to the danger. Yeah, they're they're not of the same tribe, so what they think may not actually work with that tribe, but they've had relations with that tribe rel you know, relatively a lot. So they would understand them a little better than a not neighboring tribe that they don't have a lot of relations with and don't know how they think and what pushes their buttons. So it's going to be inherently more dangerous. There's also the aspect so that that's on, on one regard. He knows absolutely right, because that's in one regard. You've got the monkeys might not trust you as much. Or, you know what? If it was a monkey saying this, I might not turn them in. But since it's a dog saying that, maybe I can get some favor with the watchers, something like that. But there's also just getting there mm. with the watchers and the checkpoints and so forth. The danger modification, because we're going to talk about what uh, what that is in a moment. And then not neighboring like, hey, you're over here in uh, let's pick in Badger Land. Oops, I you're over here. you're over here in Badgerland, but you want to go recruit some oh these are the bears some bears well you guys don't i mean 30 miles man so that's probably what a good 20 mile walk right there you know 15 yeah. 20 mile walk it's not next door you're not walking to a house you don't have cars you don't have big roads you got yeah. a lot of things not, that can and, go wrong and not every step you take is going to call a watcher to you but any step can right exactly so that that's the danger side. So, and again, we uh, he dug Mister. We looked at chance of success depending on this insurgency rating. rating. So it's harder to do insurgency in Dogland. Pretty easy to do it in Bunnyland. All right. Do do do. PC operate insurgency rating habitat. Yeah, we already talked about that. Now we go to the watcher side, right? Watcher squads. Oh, PC operate. Let's talk about what you can do. This is the important part. This is what you've been waiting for. What can you do? Operations. Let's start with the top. Spreading. We're not going to read them all. You can read them on the screen. Am I missing any? Yeah, I'm missing a couple, but uh, we'll get down to that in a moment. Spreading the word. This is your just generic. We don't want to take. We just want to tell people about us. Look, blowing watchers up is good. Description. Whispers in the dark. Clandestine meetings. The graffiti. Yeah, the graffiti. The resistance saves. The resistance there saves. There you go. There you know, V. Success chance. Ten. That's 10 base dice you're rolling. Now, if you're doing it dog world, guess what? It's eight because you have that minus two. Right. If you're doing a bunny land, it's 11. Oh. There you go. You got it. And guess what? You don't have to worry about any danger. No danger dice. Nothing's going to, you're not going to lose the cell from doing this. And your insurgency increases by another D six. So instead of just one D six in that, in that habitat that you've successfully completed this graffiti operation, it'll be a 2d6. Yeah. So what you do is you'd roll that d6 at the beginning, then do all your operation stuff. And then if this succeeds, which probably going to, you roll another d6. So now let's move down to, uh, let's, let's move to assault. Why not? Let's go to the big one. <laughs> a large scale attack, attack against watcher or loyalist target. That means people who are, uh, you know, informants. Base two what happens success yeah what happens if you do that right now in dogland you you just have zero dice and zero dice means you, no chance 
no no chance of winning at all. Yeah. Right. But you still have the danger. Yeah. Three dice of danger. That's crazy. And if you're not dogs, you're going to have four or five dice of danger. That's true. Yeah. And every one does this. Look at this capacity. Minus 3d6. Oh. Don't lose. Yeah, don't don't lose. That's bad. And, and the only I, win is is a plus D6 in insurgency. Is that worth it? Uh yeah, honestly, this you want to do with the player characters. Fair. But yes, it is worth it. If you're if you're going this far, it is worth it. So um pinpoint attack, quick and dirty attack against a watcher loyalist target. That's six. Again, depending on where you do it. And it's only got a danger of one, surprisingly. A chance well, but, tactics yeah yeah but ultimately these more dangerous ones you pretty much want with the the player characters uh, reconnaissance watching listening no real danger but plus four to the operation in the habitat next turn now you're planning ahead hey we need to get some dogs on our side let's check them out let's watch them Let, let's find the people we can talk to I That's would want the, you- uh, it's it's also that whole fence thing I was talking about. You're uh you're you're scouting out this fence, how mm-hmm. how the watchers and sentinels react to uh, a possible incursion on a, on an outer fence. This is how they yeah, react. Yeah, if you're leading okay. it towards a pinpoint attack, absolutely. Exactly. Yep. Then next month when we actually do the attack, we'll have knowledge on how they're going to react and already have things in place to counteract them. Plus four dice. That's That's, that's useful in awesome. dangerous situation. Yeah. The the main drawback of reconnaissance is you have to wait a month. Yeah. Well, or whatever your time frame is, but that that's the main. So you see how this goes together. Uh, you guys can you know check out the book later. Now, what do what do the, what do the watchers do? Well, I send out patrols. I'm using me as the game master. Do I need to read any of this here? Resolution. No, you're fine. You're fine. Uh, squad can perform one operation. Yep. Uh, checkpoints. Okay. Abandoning a checkpoint was what I was going to talk about, but I think. Yeah, that's got a spoiler in there. I don't want to look at. So, patrols. I can patrol habitat. Insurgency minus a D6. They get scared, man. They see you there and they're just like, you know what? I wanted to support you guys, but I just, nope. Nope, it's nope. too dangerous. So, you're trying to increase it by a D6 or bring it down by a D6. Now, just out of curiosity, Adam and uh, Heathen Dog, what are your thoughts? Would you use this out of the gate against the rabbits? Yes, definitely. Would Definitely. you really? The, the re- yes. The reason being is because not only does it possibly bring their insurgents rating down, but since it is the hotbed of insurgent activity, the the odds of them having missions there first are pretty high, and it decreases chance of success by minus two dice and increases the damage of anything the the insurgents want to do there for this month by plus two dice. That's a good deal. I'll take okay. it. I, mean, I, I actually, I don't know. I, I guess I have a different impression. Um, if that's the hotbed of resistance activity, I think I would not be sending patrols around there because I want to make it look like I'm not worried about what's happening there. I want the other animals to think the rabbits are um, uh, a bunch of idiots that aren't having a real effect. I, I, it's interesting you say that. So operationally, I like what you you were saying, but I do it for a different reason. My reason is like, let, let the rat, you know, we lost control of the rabbits. We're not going to lose control of the others. It is, is we're, we're going to be in there. Let, let them, do, let them do their hopping. None of you are wrong, by the way. I was just curious as to what your thought process on this. Um, 
because of how uh, these work, you can't double up. You can't do like seven patrols. Like I'm using all of the watchers, seven patrols. Uh, the game does put in some limitations for being a dick. <laughs> you know, but with that said, uh, does it talk down here about the numbers? Where's the numbers? Nope, oh, that's nature attacks. Uh, where are the numbers? Where are my watcher numbers? Oh, here we go. Squads. This is total number of squads. So if I've got a capacity of 100, which is how I start the game, I have five ground squads, four aerial squads. What I might do, and I'm not saying this is right, wrong, or otherwise, is I might just go in and say, all right, bunnies, you're done, and just go in and, uh, nope, that's... Wipe them out. Assault, assault Ma them massacre. Out. Massacre the bunnies. Insurgency minus 2d6, population minus 2d6. I would send all nine squads in there do nine massacres <laughs> nine massacres yeah. Eight, or, minus or 18 d6 population just burn the bunnies out that'll stop everybody in their tracks like what the what but you, course, you can only do one operation i know you can only do one operation but plus their their programming probably wouldn't allow a genocide because <clears throat> they are upset you know part of their programming is to protect the animals part of it is it number one on the list of hierarchy things that are important? Probably not. But a massacre, you know, a, a genocidal <laughs> massacre is probably not on the initial playbook. But well, initial playbook. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, and would I do it round one? I don't know. I don't know what I'd do because I've thought through this a few times and I don't know. It's, I think it kind of depends on my players. But here's what we can do as watchers. So as the players are doing their thing, right? There's just, here's what you're doing. And again, you have these limitations. So, and one thing that's important here is this says it takes one ground and one aerial. That takes I'll scroll back up here. one of these off the list. One operation drops us down to four and three. So you have to figure out how you're doing your operations there because you can't you cannot send in ground forces if you're out of ground forces. So, all right. Um, ultimately, repairs, repairs in Gen Lab Alpha capacity plus D6. Only one squad can perform this operation. I thought all of. Oh, wait, are you different than the PCs? Did I mistake something here? Can you actually double up? I thought that all the, the operations were only one per turn. Heathen Dog might be right. You might be able to wipe them all out. Apparently only one squad can perform this per turn. Okay. The, uh, you know what? You guys can correct me in the comment section later. I'm not going to look it up now. But ultimately, do you, I, I don't need to go into other stuff here. There's natural hazards, and this is all part of uh, things that can happen. You can have avalanches, earthquakes, ice storms. Look what it does to your population. Look what it does to your population. That's bad. That's bad. These See, uh, uh, Adam, Adam, this, this is a... Uh this is a long-standing thing in all of the year zero games you have a population in your particular enclave and when your population gets to zero you lose because everyone died so you want to you want to keep your population safe grow it if you can because random nature attacks like this like a tsunami just kills folk like lots of folk all at once ice storm apparently does, does a lot monster hordes wildfires this can kill so many people all at once and remember the number of cells you can have in an individual habitat you take the total population divide by 50 that's your answer so in the cat tribe they can have two that's because they have 100 they start with 100 population so they can have two cells if you have two cat cells and their population drops below 100 you lost a cell yep 
It can I no will, longer support that. You lost. I'm gonna a roll my years zero dice right now. Okay, so if you roll d sixty six, I guess mm-hmm. you that. So I, I'm assuming you you can potentially wind up with a result of sixty six, which means yes. sixty six animals out of that tribe die. Yes. Okay, then now I'm starting to see yeah. why this is. Yeah. Natural it's, it's, disasters it's, don't happen every day. I right? roll a forty two. <laughs> so you lost forty two of that habitat's population. That's crazy. That can really put a hamper on your plans, especially if you lost 42 of the rabbit tribe. I'm, I'm going to apologize to Game Masters right now because this is a spoiler. This is absolutely in the Game Master slash Watcher's arsenal. But there's a limitation to it that I'm not going to say. Um, but this is something that is not... Don't get mad when the Game Master does it. it I wouldn't say it's programmed in, but it is programmed in <laughs> where uh, at some point this could, would, should, will happen. All right. Um, so that, that's really it. I'm, I'm not going to go into the rest. I mean, the checkpoint response, go ahead and roll me a D6, Heathen Dog, if you got one next to you. I do. Three. Okay. You're traveling. All of a sudden you come up to a checkpoint. Dang it. Well, PCs are ordered to wait. They're not allowed to leave. Oh, after a D6 hours, go ahead and roll again. So roll for your hours first. Two. Two. So after two hours, you get to roll again on this chart. Four. Hope you're not under any time constraints. Oh, the PCs are searched. If they're carrying any artifacts, remember, that's, you know, the stuff you want. Coffee maker. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, garbage can lid. Hockey mask for armor. The Watchers will attempt to capture the PCs and take them to the Labyrinth. So that's where you fight or die at this point. Yeah. So anyway, we've got these little responses there. And I think that's all I want to talk about. Yeah, threat level. I'm not going to get, no, not going to get in threat level or all the other stuff that can happen. That's for the Game Master. So let me take that off the screen. uh, So you guys understand, you understand how the resistance stuff works. So it's you doing your thing. You're trying to slowly build up the resistance and become more and more uh, resistant. And the watchers are trying to control you. Yep. So it's like a perfect tangent. Said Paw Patrol. Paw Patrol. <laughs> Paw Patrol. That's right. That's uh yeah, that's horrible, but that happened. All right. Now we have uh Brother Malakal says, I already have ideas. The leader is a dog whose buddy got turned into an abomination. It decided its ultimate loyalty is to the animal packs, not to the abusive humans that betrayed them. That's if you have a dog player character. That is an excellent backstory. One of his friends got turned into an abomination, came back all drooly and can't, (laughs) can't tie his own paws or whatever the equivalent is. And that that's what happens. Just be careful though. That that's what I was saying before about be careful because the other dogs are still, they're still loyal. Yeah, so you're not just going to openly be like, down with the watches, because they're going to be like, oh, no. No, you are, your- you are on the DL. Yeah. yeah. Then we have uh, Rex Teal saying, knowledge and yeah. creativity is your best weapon. Yes, that is true. And we have uh, Missa says, use the power <laughs> of friendship. Care Bear Stare. That the real resistance hard. is the friends we make along the way. There, there you, you go. go. It's actually true in this game. I mean, to be fair, it's true in this game. Moose messengers and scouts. I was actually thinking this be, because the the moose or mises or mooses, mises. <laughs> I hate those mises to pieces. Yeah, are are used to be seen. Used, you're, everyone's used to seeing them everywhere, right? 
So using them as clandestine scouts or spies or messengers would draw the least attention. Sure. Uh, so and if you read up on the moose, you'll find out that's a little more true than what Heathen Dog might even realize. So, yeah. Awesome. Then we have uh, Weird Guy says, all jokes aside, the metagame sounds solid. It doesn't make me pull out my hair or hate the game. Yes, because it is made to be adversarial, but also made so that adversarial metagame does not spill into the real game. My love for Free League in terms of how the older Free League games, Coriolis, Free, Forbidden Lands, Mutant Zero, yada, yada, were designed is because, and uh, people watch Friday Night Chill Stream are probably bored of me saying this, but I, I have to keep saying because it, it is the truth. It's got combat. It's got, it's rules light generally, but meaningful rules light. Like I even asked Heathen Dog behind the scenes what he thought of it, and he was not adversarial to the game. Uh, so, so it's got meaningful social combat or, or conflict in it where it makes sense, but doesn't bog down the game. Uh, and then it has your survival aspects, which is something I enjoy in a game. And then it has your stronghold, your domain, uh, whatever you want to call it, whatever it is, your castle building. In this case, it's the resistance, not so much castle building, but we'll call it the out of character. Every one of these games has those aspects. So let's say you, you're not a strong role. You're not like me where I'm going to do everything in first person and, and you want to be in your character, but yada, yada, right? You want something a little more like, look, man, can we just play around with some numbers? Yes, there's the numbers aspect of the game. Yeah. If you're cool with the role playing, we'll be cool with the numbers. Every year Zero Engine uh, original game has that metagame attached yep. to it, that it's all about the numbers, it's all about the roles. No no need to, to role-play Badger traits anymore if you don't want to, <laughs> because you you are you know a group consensus type thing, and you go and do this, do that. Oh, it worked or it didn't work, and then you move on to the actual role-playing game. So yeah, yep. it's, it's got all that. Rex Steele comes back and says, I actually heard the idea for allowing players to plan what to do next session as advice for sandboxes in old school D&D. I normally, normally am completely against players dictating the, the tone, breadth of, of the game as a whole. But this game actually has that built in and it is partitioned off from the rest of the game. The metagame affects overall the whole game but in no specific part and it doesn't change what your uh, what your players can and cannot do in the long run which makes it fine but in a game like in a, in a normal role-playing game that doesn't have that partitioned off metagame i do not like the players just dictating how the world's going to turn out because the world is bigger than you you're a little punk if you died <laughs> in 30 years no one would remember your name you're nothing shut the just hell remember, up. just remember i'm more sandboxy than him when it comes yeah, to that yes <laughs> He is, he is. But un until you reach that, you know, level 12 through 20 or whatever, no one knows you, man. No one knows you. You're just a dude. If you die, people go, meh, dude's dead. I'm the dude and next to you. You're not that important. Shut the hell up. That's my idea. Anyway. Right. Uh, that was it. And Nerdy Ogre comes out with, uh, are these the same bunnies from After the Bomb? No, they are not. Oh, God. The Pleasure Bunnies? The pleasure, not 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 the pleasure bunnies from after the bomb. No, Get your head out of the battle gutter. from the twenty third century. Um, the fought. Yeah, the I, font. you yeah, love the fought so much, don't you? Oh, They're your God. favorite. <laughs> That's just awful. I don't like that at all. Hillbilly Weird bunnies. Guy. 
Weird guy comes back. Uh, don't recruit the cat tribe. One laser pointer gets pointed at them. They lose the cat squad to piling onto the one getting aimed at. That is true. Yes. If you uh, do the laser pointer on, on a cat. And you know what? That's that's completely within the realm of probability because usually high-tech energy weapons have a laser pointer of some kind. I've seen it in lots of movies. Right? <laughs> so you get laser pointer on the cat. The cat will not dodge, number one head toward the danger area number two and all of its fellows who are within are within eye shot will also pile on this place that's going to get turned into a crater i hate yeah, the fact that i'm doing this that. but here's my second within like a minute battlelords of the 23rd century that is how the ram pythons finally defeated the scissorac was because they started hanging up shiny tinfoil that made the cats distracted there you go see that all right Talk is that about- everything talk about being racist yeah (laughs) (laughs) well this does help me understand uh, mutant year zero better um over the years as a gamer there's been a lot of uh, post-apocalyptic games and people are inevitably comparing it to uh gamma world and so Mm -hmm. i've been hearing people say oh this is another post-apocalyptic game but hey you know this has got some new things going on and uh yeah i I think it does um i've heard that a lot of people will get into a post-apocalyptic post-apocalyptic game and it's okay we travel somewhere uh we look for water we search through the ruins we have some random encounters so what, what else do we do i guess we do it again and so yeah. uh mutant year zero has a couple of of these uh, sort of game books out that says look here's here's a situation you can set up in a post-apocalyptic yeah, right. world and after playing through one or two of those it can give you a lot of new possibilities for your post-apocalyptic game I actually think that's why they made that metagame because these these post-apocalyptic games have a tendency to settle into monster of the week formulas or Mad Max or Mad Max type stuff where you're just looking for water and gas and that's it, you know, or, you know, every every week we we go to a new area and explore it and there's a new monster there. We got to kill that monster and get get food, water, all that stuff. And then we just do the same thing next week. This metagame stops you from easily falling into that trap you know you have something bigger to build on to shoot for you have an end game Mm -hmm. rather than just getting food and water to survive to the next day i was uh, to piggyback on that that's what i was going to say is like each one of these provides you hope now that hope can be dashed unlike death in space (laughs) There's no hope. Uh, but uh, it, it provides you because if you even if you change the story up, even if you tweak it for yourself, and I hate using the word story in this concept because it makes people feel ways about things. But if you go through what is essentially even in Mutant Year Zero, which is like the open world sandboxy version of it, there's still Eden, right? Does it exist? Does it not exist? He doesn't believe in it. Do I believe in it? Well, I know what the book says, but I also know what the book says you can also do. Um you know, all of these games provide so, so there's something that you're actually trying to attain. You're not just trying to attain survival for the next day, but there are great survival mechanics in the game to do so. But you're really we're surviving because we know if we live long enough, we're going to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, it gets me excited to uh, to get a copy of this game and, and try it out. And then uh, I, I actually like Gamma World Second Edition. But if I can mm. take the lessons from this and take it to my Gamma World game, I benefit. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there it is. Okay. Uh, anything else? Or are we good? That's it. Awesome. Well, I want to thank everybody for watching. Uh, please like, subscribe, share, all that uh, all that good youtube stuff. I hope you like this series. Again, next week we start uh, barring, which I don't think we're going to only have one week notice, barring something with uh, Kevin and Sean, a notification, which we don't have yet. Uh, 
Next week should start Mutant Mechatron. Are you going to step away, Heathen Dog, for a minute? I am. I got I to gotta go to the bathroom and get more soda. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, we're we're going to be next, so go ahead and get ready. Yeah. Notes. Got my notes. Yeah. All right. Okay. And uh, what I'm going to do, because I kind of knew that they were going to step away here, is I'm going to share my screen for just a moment for you guys here in the live stream. And where did I have it? Uh oh, I didn't delete it, did I? No. Oh, there it is. We're going to talk about the Palladium updates for this week. That's right. It's your daily dose, your weekly dose of Palladium weekly updates. <laughs> so uh, once again, look at there, Sean. Sean holding on to those fun books that we're hopefully, hopefully all of us, including you, are going to get soon. Titan Robotics and Cyberworks. Do, 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 do. So it's shipping soon. And uh, I don't know if I've been charged yet. I should probably check to see if I've been charged because that'll give me a hint of when I'm getting my stuff, right? Uh, Rifts B-Series 2, which I actually bought. I hope I still have the receipt from Palladium like almost two years ago. So hopefully that's going to come to me without having to pay for it again. I'll have to send Kevin a message. There you go. Mmm, Palladium. <laughs> All right. Uh, but yes, Rifts, I'm looking forward to it. These are some of my favorite books for any game. And Rifts creatures are very interesting. <laughs> they're they're unique. That's that's for sure. And I so especially when it comes to riffs. So I will eat this up and use it uh, all over the place. One of the things that I found interesting, I guess a lot of people knew about this stuff more than I did, but I've got was it SCP Foundation or something like that. Everybody seems to know what SCP Foundation is. I didn't. So I got the I got the books from which are like kind of horror s type stuff. Very vague in how the creatures are addressed. Absolutely fantastic. Oh, yeah, it's been around forever. It's a comic book. It's a series. It's the writer's this. I was like, oh, <laughs> but but I really like how those creatures put together. I love bestiary type books. I have every second edition monster compendium that came out, even for stupid things like Planescape. Uh, so <laughs> but, uh, so I'm lo definitely looking forward to uh, bestiary volume two. Let's see. And if you're into the riffs and, and played in fantasy stuff, a bunch of books are back in stock. We're still trying to get riffs Africa for heathen dog. Cause apparently a bunch of people want him to cover. Apparently. So, I mean, I I've never, I've never read it. It's it's, it's one of the ones I've never read, let alone played in. And it's like, you haven't done the, the horsemen of the apocalypse. I'm like, no, I haven't. Sorry. But yeah, Rips Australia also. I mean, it's like all the books that are controversial they want you to cover. Rips Australia is stupid. Why would I want to do that? Australia is deadly now. <laughs> you That's know, with, with, yeah. with the advent of, of magical creatures, it's just, it's just, no, it's a shit show. I'm not going to do that. So before we go into segment two, here's what I'm going to do. I'm okay. actually going to drop out. I'm going to let Why you guys handle because I'm going to let you guys handle this. I'm going to, I will be listening. I probably am going to step away like you did for a minute, but, uh, and I will definitely be back for segment three, but I don't want to interrupt this at all. I want you guys to have a great conversation. I want you to talk about all the, all the majory stuff that you have. And if I have any questions, I'll bring them up in segment three. So, okay. but I'm going to, I'm going to leave this to you too. So I'm going to pop out. And uh, so for people, oh, no, you're not going to see this part anyway, because it's not going to be the, but you do know how to run the ads, right? Uh, sure. Let's just say sure. All right, got the ads, and you know how to put the here. I'll I'll, I'll start you off. I'll, I'll front load you. There you go. Oh, there we go. All right, I'll talk to you guys in a bit. All right. Okay, Legionnaires, for segment two today, we're going to start talking about Mage the Ascension. This is going to be mainly first edition Mage, if, if anyone is uh, is wondering. And we are going to talk about how to set up or 
introduce Mage of the Ascension to a new player, whether it be new to Mage, new to World of Darkness at all, not so much new to any role-playing game. We're not going to go that that far into generics, but we are going to talk about how how you can start Mage for new players and ease them into this interesting and complex world. That was wrong. That was the wrong one. This the core values of hashtag RPGate and any good tabletop group are escapism, not representation, entertainment over activism, and natural organic inclusion, not forced diversity. Please follow that QR code or refer to the description below for the link to the charity we support, which is the Wounded Warrior Project. Thursdays and Saturdays, you can watch the Dirty Casuals on twitch.tv slash Legion of Myth. Fridays and Sundays, you can watch the Friday Night Show stream and RPG Digest on our YouTube and Rumble channels. Please leave us a comment with your thoughts and experiences, and if you like our gaming content, please be sure to subscribe to Legion of Myth. And if you love that super professional opening, then go ahead and like and subscribe. That was great. Now, with me is Adam. He is a... Uh, he's been on YouTube for a while now, speaking specifically on Mage Matters. Adam, go ahead and uh, tell everyone a little bit about yourself and what you've done for Mage in particular. Well, certainly. Um, um, actually, I have been involved in podcasting rather than YouTube, but I got kind of grandfathered in because the producer of our podcast started uh, putting our audio recordings up on YouTube uh, in our own channel with a still image. So I'm, I'm kind of on YouTube. Uh, for a while, uh, sort of unofficially. But but yes, I am uh, Adam. I live in Austin, Texas. I've been a Mage fan since 1993. I have uh, read uh, all of the Mage books uh, from uh, the earliest to the most recent. And uh, that has uh, helped me to get a perspective on how uh, different people have approached the game uh, over the years because there are different entry points. And that's why I'm really glad that we have a chance to talk to people about the best way to start with Mage. Okay, great. Now, I'm going to paint this picture for you, okay? And tell me how you would handle this. You have uh, a group of five people. One of them has played Mage before. Two of them have played other World of Darkness games before. And three of them have not played any World of Darkness games before, but have played other role-playing games. How would you introduce Mage in particular and the World of Darkness in general to these players and have it make sense and foster a bit of excitement at the same time. Oh, so this is a storyteller who, or a game master who knows Mage, because I, I, I set up some uh, notes for uh, a game master who was new to Mage himself. Oh, we'll, we'll get to that. Herself. We'll get to that too. But the, the, oh, okay. most, the, the most common scenario you're going to have is someone who wants to introduce Mage, the Ascension, to a role-playing group. He, he has played it before, and okay. he understands okay. it. And so he's going to be the storyteller. Okay, so someone who knows the game, someone who knows World of Darkness games, and someone who uh, does not know World of Darkness games, but at least knows what, what dice are. Yes. How do okay. you sell it to them? Well, let's see. Um, I would probably, you know, to be honest, uh, with when presented with a question like that, um, uh, you mentioned to me you had an idea to start off the players all as orphans and let them experience um, survival on their own and um, some initial uh, experiences with their magical abilities 
And then after they get some experience of surviving on their own and trying to figure things out themselves, then slowly introduce them uh, to the larger factions of mage. And um, I was not surprised when you told me that was the way you like to start games because I have uh, spoken with many mage fans who, who like that same approach to it. Uh, it. It has strengths in that you can introduce the central concepts and game terms of Mage the Ascension before you start introducing the different uh, factions and their politics and personalities. Okay. And so that factions gives players a important. strong foundation. I, I want to I explain to the viewer the whole faction thing. The Orphan uh, is a is a, a, a group, group of mage people who are kind of like loosely affiliated, kind of like a group of hermits, right? Who uh, who awakened to their to their ability to alter reality basically on their own or through some traumatic event but they are not affiliated with any of the other political factions in the mage universe as a whole. So you don't have to introduce, you know, interfactionary politics right away to, to a brand new world of darkness or a brand new mage player. You can have them uh, get their feet wet with the mechanics of altering reality, the, the mechanics of rolling these dice, you know, dice pools and stuff like that, have them get used to the game generally, and then move on to the more esoteric or, or uh, high, high level stuff like political factions or, or wars between uh, be between uh, traditions and technocracy, or or fight plans, or or political rivals and stuff like that. You you can use that as much as you want, but if you don't introduce it right away, you're helping your characters grow into just being themselves and and navigating this world in a more general sense, making it easier for them to transition. Yeah, and what has uh, helped Mage as a game to appeal to a lot of people over the years is the richness. But that same richness, there's there's so many different philosophical ideas, there's so many different uh, even genres of, of literature and entertainment that get thrown into it in different corners. There's so much going on that this richness that makes the game appealing can also make it intimidating to, to both uh, game masters and players they start reading through the book and there's so many ideas dropped on them and it's like oh gosh where, where do i start how do i do it right and um i, I have to agree with with heathen dog's uh, suggestion which is a common one uh do it in stages and because that way you can build on what you uh present to your players you build up to the richness and then it can be fully appreciated if you drop it all at once it's kind of a mess information overload yeah okay so uh, how how would you in introduce the core basics of this game to new players to World of Darkness? Uh, for for example, what I would do would be uh, first I would highlight the the universe of the World of Darkness. It's basically now it's our world, just a little bit darker, a little bit grittier, a little bit less friendly. It's I, I if for for the older people I would say very tales from the dark side you know, version of our world. And then I would move on from there. Uh, then, then I would, I would spend a game session to highlighting the actual magic and how it works, have them try the mechanics of magic, have them start to understand how the, the feel of how magic works, stuff like that, and move on from there. What, what steps do you take that, that you saw was effective in introducing the world in stages to a new group? Um, 
Yeah, one of the ideas of Mage the Ascension is um, ordinary people who have had ordinary lives up to this point right. have this very strange uh, experience and it's called awakening. And it's basically uh, they're able to do and learn magic when they could not before because they were a regular person. And so this um, idea is something that can be a little difficult for uh, new players because um, you can do all of these things that you could not before and say, well, where do I start and how do I make sense of all these rules? And I see this chart, I, you know, there's nine different uh, categories of magic and each one has five different levels and gosh, that's 45. Do I have to learn this all right now? But no, no, dude, chill. Look, what I'm going to do for you is I'm going to start you out as an orphan who has just awakened. It's like, I don't know anything yet. Your character doesn't either. So, it's so cool. you're it's on the same that. page. Yeah. And um, according to the character creation in all of the editions of Mage, you can spend what they call freebie points. And so you raise your erite, which is uh, how well you understand magic. Uh, you start out at one. That, that's a gimme. But you can spend your points to go up to two or three. Well, I think it's a good idea. Uh, as a uh, game master to say, look, let's just put aside uh, the standard uh, book uh, rules for now and say your erite starts at one, it's just going to stay there. And so the powers that you can do, they don't go above level one. And that's great because uh, most, not all, but most of the level one powers are about uh, sensing things. You mm -hmm. see things, you hear things, you feel things. Well, what exactly? Well, I'll describe it to you. And then as I do that, you'll get a sense of, oh, hey, if I can see something I couldn't see before, I can probably use that to my advantage. Yes, great, let's let's roll with that. And after we get a few game sessions of that, now you can spend experience point, uh, experience points, sorry, to raise your erite, and as your erite goes up- General magical able, knowledge, right. Yeah, right. general magical knowledge and ability. Then you can start doing level two powers, and that's more than just sensing things, it's starting to mess with stuff, but once you, have had some game sessions to know what stuff you're seeing and, and not seeing and when you see it and when you don't makes it easier to start messing with it because you know more right, about right. it. So, so uh, your, your thing is to create a grass, a uh, glass ceiling in the beginning, like some, some, something the players will bump into and have to overcome through experience and knowledge. You're, they're not allowed to, to, to in increase their magical knowledge because they haven't played yet. Once you start playing, get your feet wet, get used to seeing electrons in the air, get used to seeing ghosts, get, get used to perfectly sensing time or space or whatever. Cause that, that, that's what, that's what one dot in a thing does. And your, your erite is your, is your maximum number of dots you can have in any specific discipline of magic. That's part of it. Yeah. Glass ceiling yeah. is part of it. It's like, I see there's stuff, uh, there's cool stuff to do, but I can't do it. But there's also another side to that. And that is not necessarily a glass ceiling. And that is um, one of the things that all the editions of, of Mage the Ascension tries to teach people is in the world of darkness, there are uh, the scheming vampires that are the really strong werewolves. But what mages are supposed to be is clever. Mm -hmm. they, they can figure things out. They, they can, uh, you know, push the buttons that other people don't even know are there. And so when you give people um, level one powers and not higher you know, in terms of mage magic, then what they are learning to do is how do I, uh, how, how can I think intelligently with this ability? I can see the ghosts, I can't do anything else, but I know that they're here and they're not there. How can I use that to my advantage? It's like, now you're starting to think of a mage. Yeah, when you're thinking like a mage, yeah. when you get to the level two powers, you're better able to use them intelligently. Right, right, excellent. So uh, you're, you're training your player characters, your new player characters to 
get comfortable outside the box. Here's the box. Level one lets you peer out of the box. Let lets you open the box and see what is what is outside of everyone else's universe. You can now see it. How do you use that to your advantage? And then with level two, you can walk out of the box for a minute, do things that no one else can do. Yeah, until eventually you get up to level five, then you're picking up the box and knocking other people on the yeah, head. Yeah, yeah, in, in good you know, time. Yeah, yeah, you're <laughs> you're traveling through time. You're making atomic explosions. You're you're doing all all, all the level twenty mage things that that wizards do in D anD D. Maybe not, but yeah, there you go. So okay, so start them off with an artificial limit. I'm gonna say not not so much limit, but training wheels. You put training wheels on them for the first for the first couple of ventures until they get the experience points required to to level up themselves magically significant in a significant fashion. But but by then, because they've got some games under their belt, they can now handle it naturally. That that makes perfect sense. I like that. That makes perfect sense to me. Now, after they've done that, they're they're they now have their feet wet, they understand. A little bit more how magic works. How do you introduce rotes? Now, though, I'm going to explain to the people watching what rotes are. Rotes are the uh, melding of two different magical disciplines. There are there are nine different magical disciplines, and one of them is say spirit, and one of them is forces. Spirit is. Uh, to do with everything that is, is spiritual, you know, dead people, wraiths, you know, zombies, whatever. And forces is all of the, the entire electromagnetic spectrum and uh, potential and kinetic energy. That is, that is the forces sphere. Now a rote uses aspects of both merged together to create an effect that is greater than what both could do separately. How do you introduce that to your characters and 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 kind of explain it to them so they understand? Maybe better than I just did. Hopefully, better than I just did. <laughs> uh, yeah, the um, what a lot of people um, experience when they first get into role playing games is something a lot like a uh, fantasy role playing game. It's like your wizard can learn spells. The spell does this. Oh, okay, well, I, I can't. Uh, do that because I haven't learned that spell. But once I learn that spell, it always works like this. So, okay, that's how it goes. And Mage is interesting because there are nine categories of magic and you can mix and match and you can effectively create your own spells, even on the spot. However, rotes are different. Rotes are a lot like spells, to be honest. Uh, a rote is something that a mage did a long time ago. And he said, hey, this works really well. You're good. You you can keep going. He just has to. He sometimes has to step away. Yeah, for a sorry, about that. sorry about that. My, oh, my wife my wife needed to get something. I have this room locked so no one can just walk in. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, sure. I, I just wasn't sorry. What, sorry. What was up there? But oh, fine. Dog yeah. messing with you. Get out of here. All right. <laughs> um. Oh, where, where were they? Um. Start with that. Um. 
Okay. Yeah, it, it's interesting that you bring that up because a lot of people um, experience role-playing games uh, starting out with the very popular fantasy role-playing games, and they learn about spells. Uh, this spell does this thing. If I have learned that spell, I can do that thing, and it always works like this. If I haven't learned the spell, well, I just can't do that, and Mage is different. Uh, Mage uh, was written to be a game that was very uh, different, very dynamic. Uh, there are nine categories of magic. You can mix those categories together. You can do new things. You can effectively create your own new magic on the spot, and this is really exciting, it's really interesting. But uh, it's also really hard if you've never done it before, both um, for players approaching the game and actually for characters in the world of Mage. Um, it is one thing to say, hey, I can do anything. It's like, okay, do anything. Um, boy, that's a, how do I do that? So rotes are something that mages uh, in the game world have built up over time. Uh, a long time ago, a mage said, hey, when I do this, this happens. And this is really good. I'm going to write this down and I'm going to tell the other guys in my mage society or my students in the future, when you do this, this happens. And uh, this is how you know how you're ready to even attempt this. And so rotes are basically uh, like rote memorization. If I do this, exactly this, then exactly this will happen. And so rotes are a great training tool uh, so that mentors, older mages, can train their students, the younger mages. And in the world of mage, um, uh, naturally, mentors will teach rotes to their students. But we just told you, hey, we're talking about orphans, people who don't have a mage society they belong to. They don't have a mentor. Uh, how do they get rotes? Well, actually, mages write special books, like you could say mage-only books, and they, they pass them to each other. And so when a sleeper is a non-mage, a regular person, when a regular person gets this book, they read through it and they say, this doesn't make any sense. It's either a mistranslation or it was written by a crazy man. I'm going to throw this over my shoulder, go read a good yeah. book. But when a mage gets a mage-only book, they read, read through it and they say, hey, I think I understand this. That's a good Let idea. Let me try this. Yeah. And if you have uh, the right mage powers on your character sheet, then you can attempt it. And you know, if you have spirit zero and it's a spirit two rote, well, of course you can't well, do it. You I got some work to do that. if you want to do this. Yeah, I I always I always uh, tell my my player characters to think less of rote as a spell, think of it as a recipe. Well, that is how mentors will train their students. Well, they will start them by teaching a rote, and the student says, "Oh yeah, yeah, hey, yeah I but, did it like you said, and it worked like you said. This is great." And exactly, says, and okay, that's exactly how a recipe works. If you add yeah. this much flour, this much egg, this much butter, you you get a cake, right? And if it's it's replicable, one hundred percent of the time, if you have the ingredients, which is the the level of power in each of these specific areas, then you will get this fully replicable result every single time. Yeah, so that is a good starting point. But then okay. after that, the mentor wants the student to understand. Okay, you did the recipe. That's good. Now go beyond the recipe. Jigger, jigger the recipe. You know, change it up a little bit. And I, I think he's frozen. Uh, cha change, change the recipe up a little bit and you'll get a different result. It's kind of like uh, once you get to be good at an instrument, playing around the music can give you a different melody. Playing around with the rote, changing the changing the uh, perhaps not the the ingredients, but the amount of ingredients will give you a different result. It'll give you a more chewy cookie. It'll give you a more cakey cookie. It'll give you a brownie, you know, stuff like that. And th this helps the, the player characters think again outside the box. That's what Mage is. It's a lot of outside the box thinking. And help them uh, make their own recipes, make their own rotes later on. 
Oh, it, it looks like Adam had to drop out for a second because his connection was getting bad, which is understandable. He told us in the beginning that might happen. But uh, so that right there is is uh, is Adam, Adam and my take on uh, how to get new players, get their feet wet, get them get them in the game in stages. And in our next segment, we're going to talk about the thing we glossed over a little bit here, which are faction politics, how to introduce faction politics when you think your players are finally ready and how to, and what to do if uh, they hit stumbling blocks or and they, they push back, stuff like that. There he is. He's back. Sorry, my internet cut. It's uh, yeah. I've that's that's entirely uh, fine. We are we are done with this one, and we are going to go at some of the some of the starred comment here, which is uh, Max. He was watching. He says one dot in time equals read a clock with hands. Now that is him making fun of children nowadays not being able to read an analog clock. So apparently, if you can read an analog clock, you have magic. But uh, no, the the idea of of one dot is either a complete sense of what it is or a complete sense of, of what is going on with that aspect of reality. So one dot in time means you have a perfect sense of time. You know exactly how much time passes between this moment and that moment. Even if you're asleep, even if you're distracted, you know, a watched pot never boils, not for you. You know exactly how much time has passed, even if you weren't paying attention for a few, for a few minutes. And it allows you to see and sense anomalies in time usually this is higher level people doing higher level time magic you can sense the ripples of that whereas no one else without any any dots of time could yeah there, there can be a lot of fun scenes where you are starting to teach your uh, players about the nine spheres of magic the nine categories of magic where you can uh, you say your play you notice it isn't the right time it's like oh well what my clock's wrong no, your clock's fine. It's just the time is messed up. What do you mean time is messed up? It's like it's the time stream is not flowing right yeah. in this area where you're standing. Oh, what's up? Well, you don't know, but something is up. And they're like, oh, wow, there's all these things happening in this world that I didn't even know of before. Yes, now you're becoming a mage. There it is. And then we have uh, Rex Teal saying, so magic acts sort of like a science in some ways. Yes. In some ways, I, I would say, yes, it has predictable results. If you use, you know, the certain, uh, certain same, same impetus, like the, the recipe thing, if you use the same ingredients, cook it for the same time, then you will get the same result. You know, there are exceptions, obviously there, there are, there are exceptions to the rule, but as a rule, you get the same result. So if it's replicable, if it's, if it's reliable, you can say it's, it's less random magic and more science. I get where you're going with this. It's science in that way. In the yeah. way where you can do the same thing over and over again and get the same result over and over again, so it's reliable. Role-playing games have rules, and the yes. players use those rules, yes. and that allows them to build up certain expectations about things. But also, in the world of Mage, um, things don't always necessarily happen the same way because you go to this one place, and the environment is such that, oh, my spell works. Of course it works. You go to another place, my spell doesn't work. What went wrong? Well, the environment you're in, there are different factors, and so it's not—it's not like uh, your your wristwatch works everywhere you walk around. You know, in the country, in the city, yeah, it's all fine. Yeah, well, okay, but spirit magic, downtown New York, uh, you know, the Appalachian Hills, it actually works differently, and it's not you; it's the place where you're standing. And so, 
in that way, it's not, not exactly the way we think of science. And of course, in the world of mage, there are some mages who really do yeah, really believe it's like science. science. You know, they, we're we're going to get to that in our next segment with with faction politics. But as a spoiler, the the technocracy as a whole and the sons of ether, the virtual adepts, they 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 believe that uh, that science is the mundane version of magic. It's the same. It's just replicable by people who can't use magic, but still, it's based in a kind of magic. So that that's what they believe and that that's how it works for them. But that, again, that's a spoiler for, for next one. But uh, that is that all we have for. Uh, for well, we, we have we have Kokushuko saying hypothesis, observation, variable conclusion. Yeah, that uh, for the most part, for the most part, magic. For the person who understands it has the has the dots in it to, to perform a certain effect. You will test it. You will try it. You will succeed. You will replicate it to make sure it's it's replicable. And then now it is a fact in your library. You have you have this art, this little little bullet in your gun, this this piece of your arsenal that you can use for the most part everywhere all the time, and you can count on it. Yeah, and for that's, the most part, there's always exceptions, but for the most part. And yeah, actually, um, this is a good point to bring up one of the basic concepts of, uh, uh, like uh, Rex Steele says. Magic acts like science until it doesn't. And that leads into the, the point I was uh, going to make. And that is you learn how to do something with magic and you say, ah, this is how it works. Now I understand magic. And then you meet another mage and he does it all wrong, but he gets this better result than you did. It's like, wait, wait a minute. I thought I had this figured out. You thought you did. But there's always more From, to see, it. This is all Obi-Wan stuff. We're, we're, we're going to find, <laughs> especially in the next section, we go faction politics. It all depends on your point of view. Really but even does. without but even without the factions involved, one of the concepts of mage is um, people fall into a rut and they say, aha, I've got it figured out. But there's always more you don't know. And there's the people, always another way to attack the problem. Yeah. And, and if you can well. do something to keep yourself out of the ruts, you're going to do better as a mage, just yeah. generally speaking. Keep your mind open. Just because this works for you doesn't mean it'll work for somebody else or doesn't mean somebody else can do it better in a different way. Keep your mind open. There's all kinds of ways to do things. All right. So that's going to be it for this segment. Our next segment, check out, check us out in a, in a minute. If you're, if you're here, if not, you got to wait a day or two, but we are going to talk about how to introduce the, the uh, almost integral to the game uh, concept of faction politics. And until then, thank you very much and like, and subscribe. All right. Okay, take a second. Get uh, get your notes how you want them. Uh, yeah, I've um, okay. Yeah, I actually ended up not using my notes for part one, but uh, that's fine. Oh, I, oh, I, I, for I forgot to two. get into the game master part of it. Damn it! See what uh, I did there? I already I've, wrote. I've got my notes. We can do that. Whatever you would like is fine. Well, yeah, we we, we might we might do it at the in, in part three. Uh, that's fine. I've got my notes. I can I can handle it when I handle it. So okay. part two, um, I was. Yeah, I was just assuming I would I would speak and then you would speak after me, but um, we can we can try it. It's uh, all like it, to... it's all free flow. I didn't I didn't expect Max to be gone. So, <laughs> all right, here we go, <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen, Legionnaires, welcome to another wonderful RPD RPD Digest uh, segment two. This is part two. We're talking about Mage the Ascension, and today we're going to talk about game factions. 
this these are uh, groups in the game that you will most likely align yourself with at one point or another, what they are, how they work, and how they affect your gameplay. The core values of hashtag RPGate and any good tabletop group are escapism, not representation, entertainment over activism, and natural organic inclusion, not forced diversity. Please follow that QR code or refer to the description below for the link to the charity we support, which is the Wounded Warrior Project. Thursdays and Saturdays, you can watch the Dirty Casuals on twitch.tv slash Legion of Myth. Fridays and Sundays, you can watch the Friday Night Show stream and RPG Digest on our YouTube and Rumble channels. Please leave us a comment with your thoughts and experiences, and if you like our gaming content, please be sure to subscribe to Legion of Myth. That's right. Go ahead and subscribe. Legion of Myth, baby. All right. We have Adam here from uh, from the Mage Podcast. He's going he's gonna to tell us about uh, how he helps his group get into factions, how he explains factions, and how he uses factions in the game. Now, I'm going to start off saying personally, I don't, I don't, we are, he knows that I don't start off my new characters in factions. I want them to learn the system and magic first and ease them into factions later on. But we're going to see what happens with Adam, how he would introduce a group, and if he has a different way. Because as we know, in Mage, there's always more than one way to do the same thing. So we're going to see Adam's way. Uh, Well, the World of Darkness games are notorious for complicated faction politics. That's appropriate for Vampire the Masquerade. When you live for centuries and rarely leave town, politics gives you something to do. For the other World of Darkness games, it lets players use their social skills and attributes, which can open up possibilities for the right group. Mage gives lots of faction politics you can use in your games, although it may seem overwhelming. You're not meant to use it all. In my games, I use it, but in reasonable doses. I want to show my players that mages have different lives than ordinary people. The groups and factions that train mages and offer them resources ask for something in return, but it's not the same as working for a company or being in the military. Some mage groups, like the Order of Hermes, for example, are very structured. A player who has a hermetic character will be offered contacts, useful books, places to stay when traveling, etc. But NPCs will approach during games and ask for reports. What has the player been doing? What's the progress on assigned tasks? Uh, There's no free lunch, but... Oh, I'm sorry? Or, or help, may ask for help from your group because you're part of the same faction. I need Certainly. assistance. I mean, you yeah. can ask for a place to stay, right? Why can't someone else? <laughs> yeah, there's no free lunch, but I don't put this stuff in the player's face constantly, just every so often. Uh, some mage groups have little structure. Uh, for example, the Cult of Ecstasy does not offer much and doesn't ask much in return, but NPCs will give info on Cult of Ecstasy gatherings. If the player tries to attend, he'll meet fellow members and be able to ask for favors. If the player doesn't attend, when he wants help, uh, the other cultists will say, we don't really know you. Also, when he visits chantries, that's uh, mage strongholds. Uh, Mages from other groups will say, you're a Cult of Ecstasy member, but we heard you went rogue. So uh, do you have to stop your game storyline to role play a Cult of Ecstasy gathering? Uh, You might do it once, but most of the time you push these gatherings to downtime between sessions. Mm-hmm. That means when the other mages in your group are building contacts or studying their magic books, the ecstatic instead spent his time at a gathering. Uh, my players learn the groups they belong to have expectations, and there are advantages to meeting those expectations. Apart from that, if my players take an interest in mage politics, I'll lay it out for them. If they don't care, I don't mention it much. Uh, the faction politics offer game masters possibilities for setting up adventures, but as a game 
master, you can do other things instead. If you want to use mage politics in your games, I start out with missions. A mentor, a chantry leader, or a leader within the player's faction approaches the players and promises a reward for a service. Uh, when the mission is explained, the players learn two mage factions are working against each other. They get some names of who is involved and what they probably want. Uh, if the players just do the mission, fine. If they ask questions about the other mages involved or what they want, that's your hook. Your players might want to play with politics. Tell them about uh, opportunities, risks, past conflicts between important mages. Dabbling in politics will probably follow. I find politics work better when players care. Set a big dish in front of them with several items. See what they reach for. Okay. Okay. So uh, let, let me let me try and sum that up here. Uh, you introduce faction politics at first extremely simply, kind of like a prid a quid pro quo type thing at first. The the mission thing where you scratch my back, I scratch yours, and if you see the players are liking that more so than, than you're just casual, you know, faction adjacent type mindset, then you will go a little deeper, introduce the idea of gatherings and networking and, you know, uh, getting information, giving information to faction members because of loyalty, stuff like that. And you'll, you'll start going more and more down the faction rabbit hole and stop when you when you feel the players start to pull back yeah basically um like i need you to do this thing the player's like oh boy something to do we're gonna shoot up those uh, those bad guys okay then if that's all they want then that's you know let them have what they want but they start saying well why are we shooting up these bad guys like, well uh you're gonna go shoot those guys up because they took something from this other guy like okay whatever let's go do it okay they can go do it but they start saying well I mean, why did he take it from the third party? I mean, maybe the third party had it coming. And then so now you can start, yeah. oh, well, this guy hates Well, he wants, he wants more explanation. Let's go deeper, deeper into the political rabbit hole to explain all this stuff. And there are levels. There's just the, the quest giver type thing, basic, basic level. Hey, uh, faction leader comes to you. You have to do a raid on this, on this cult of ecstasy place because they, they are making drugs that that have a that have a possibility to to spontaneously awaken sleepers which is uh give normal people the ability to uh become awake and and uh and use magic the only problem is the 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 side effect of this drug is they go insane we don't want insane mages around you got to stop them from doing this that could be just a basic mission and if you if your player cares just do it fine you get a reward at the end and it's great and then there's other levels where going to the gatherings, going to meetings, and you are now privy to deeper, darker secrets of your faction. And now you can ask for more. You can ask for to use people's libraries. You, you can ask for uh, special ingredients for rituals. You can ask for mentors, you know, depending on how many, how well you have helped your faction. And then you get the higher level stuff where it's all faction politics and you are actually defending, uh, faction enclaves in other dimensions and stuff from, from attacks from beyond the stars, you know, stuff like that gets high level faction politics. But if your group wanted to go there, you gave them the tools to go down that road. They walked as long as they wanted to. And that means you are making sure that it's fun for the most people. They have the level of faction politics that equals their fun threshold for something like that. Yeah. And uh, with my uh, online game a few years back, 
Um, sometimes I found that one player in the group was really interested in something I, I threw out as a plot hook and the other players are like, we don't care. And so the other player would like email me and say, well, I think that's really interesting. I say, hey, look, you know what? I got Friday night free. We can both log on to the server and we'll do, uh, what is it, one-on-one uh, -on -one or some kind of, not technically solo play, but one, uh, one game master, one player. And we will play out this thing that is really interesting to you and not interesting to anybody else. And I don't even have to leave home. And then next Thursday night, when the group gets together, you had your fun. You're good. Okay, we're all going to do what everyone wants to do. Okay, okay. That that is that is a way to go. If if you if you think something is super interesting, you had a really good idea, but the but when you introduce when you float that balloon at the game table, it it just falls like it's made out of lead. Except yeah. for this one guy, or except for these except for these two people in the group, they were really interested, but no one else was. Yeah, and one of the things that uh, all of the World of Darkness games have a rep for being uh, overly uh, emo, emotional, yeah. uh, personal, and stuff like that. And it, it's kind of it's kind of little give and take because the people who wrote these games wanted uh, they were excited because they were offering a game that makes it easier to have these emotionally impactful scenes. And what often happens is you got uh, five players at a table. And one of them wants this really emotional scene and the other four are like, what, you want me to stand and watch while you have a bunch of emotions? I don't want to do that. Yeah. So it's like, what do you do? Well, there are options. Yeah. You, you, uh, you as the storyteller, gauge your table and dial up or down the the goth emo angsty stuff that, that is baked into the game. You, But it's easily to it's easy enough to dial it up or down depending on your group. And uh, if you have one... You know, player who is like, oh, he wants to he wants to die hard, do this gothy stuff. You know, it really speaks to him. You know, he can be goth like. But I have found that if you have only one, maybe two players in the group of five or six that want to do the goth thing, you just can't. You have to dial it down for everyone else. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with one uh, two or even one hardcore you know, want want to role play the 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 angst, dark, emo mindset, and no one else does. How do you do that? How do you navigate that? Well, it's interesting you bring that up because in my experience, uh, even though that stuff is is in the games, especially in the artwork and so on, uh, the players that I have played with, um, I haven't really met these uh, you know emo, angsty, gothy kind of people. Um, some of the players that I meet, they want to have like emotional role-playing scenes like my character's younger sister died and i want to find the murderer and i'm it's so emotional for my character uh, whereas the other people are like i want to i want a gunfight and a car chase and so it's like you have one player who wants something emotional and personal but it's not necessarily goth you know angsty right right got it and got so it. it's like okay it's it's time for a side story before i I got married, I had a little more free time. And so it's like, yeah, okay, one of the, one of the off nights, I'm going to log on to the server and, and have just one or two players and we're going to do something personal, emotional. And thankfully it wasn't a uh, goth because I got to say, I'm not a big fan of that either. Uh, but, you know, Thursday night when we're all getting together for the main game, it's uh, gunfights and car chases and everybody's on board. Okay. Okay. That, that is one way to do it. I, what, what I do, what I would do in that situation where one, one person wants to play the you know play the the character and have like really heavy emotional stuff happen you know si sister sister got sick right has cancer dying non-hodgkin's lymphoma super aggressive dying okay well 
him as a mage would want to go and see what he could do. He's got a couple of dots in life. Maybe he can do something. What what he found out was that uh, this is not natural. This was put on her. This was this was this uh, this cancer was magically introduced. You know, with one dot in life, you you can sense the, these these kind of changes. So you can have your your vengeance vendetta type role playing, but everyone else is in it just just for the lulls. You know, they're 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 in it for the for the gunfights and and getting justice and vengeance and you know death wish three and stuff like that, right? But for you, it's an emotional journey saving your sister. In yeah. This, in, in in this case, you can eat it and have it too. I I try to move toward that, and we have a we have a comment saying uh, pretty much saying why is because uh, Perfect Tanner says, always sticky to run a one-on-one when it comes to character advancement versus the rest of the party. That is true, because experience points, you will get more if you have more sessions, right? I'm not, yeah, I mean, I, I usually didn't give more experience points to the play, people who wanted to do one-offs because there were so many people who didn't want to do one-offs. That, that is true, hand, but so. that doesn't seem fair. You play more, you should learn more, get more experience, right? I mean, it makes sense. And in, as, in a certain as a player, way, I would sense. argue it. As a player, yeah. I would well, argue Well, with, with yeah. my players, I just said, look, um, you want your one-off, you can have your one-off, but you don't get experience points for it. And they were like, yeah, I, I just want a game. So, okay. We're okay, just that, that's fine. As long as they agree. As, as long as they agree, that is fine. But me, my my players would never agree. Oh, man, I'm playing. I want the experience. I'm not letting you, I'm letting you like, take that away from me. Like, I get it. So I I would try to include everyone everyone else in it, but only make it, you know, emotional and, and, and emotionally impactful for the character that wants it. Everyone else is behind him because they know it's, there's going to be a fight. We're going to have fun. We're going to roll some dice. He's going to get, get some stuff done. And, you know, bad guys are going to eat it. You know, that that's what they're for. Right. And I'm, I try to merge that as much as possible. Now, when you're talking about that and faction politics, stuff like that, the, the emotional role-playing stuff, Faction politics really lends to that. And again, dial is up or down depending on your group. But when uh, when you get deep into your faction, like really, really into it, and you, you start spending points on on merits, like, you know, like like faction standing, stuff like that, where you get up there, where people in the faction start respecting you, people come to you for help. And, and you, you can call upon your faction in a more impactful manner. Like, Hey, I need this giant summoning circle with all these ingredients. Well, you have three or four dots in, in, in faction respect or whatever. Yeah, man, you know, you're an elder now you, you, you can ask for that and, and get it, you know, but you also are more beholden to your faction. People can come to you, ask for help, and you are expected to just say yes, that right there can start a lot of adventures on its own where you where someone where uh you are now higher level in your faction you were low level one day and you were asking your faction for help and elders gave it to you now you're the elder and you have to give it to the younger members of the faction to help them on their journey and that can also be part of your adventure mm-hmm you know, yeah so with responsibilities in your faction yes that can uh, keep a long-running game uh, fresh because they yeah. keep getting new responsibilities and new perspectives on what's going on and their influence and uh, power in their faction raises up. And so pretty soon uh, you might even reach the point where they're not running missions anymore. They're sending uh, younger people on missions and they're wondering, uh, 
oh gosh, if, if he doesn't come back, who can we do without? And uh, yeah, that can exactly right. That can be interesting. And for for uh, longer running campaigns, getting deeper and deeper in faction politics and having things like that happen actually boosts the the morale of the group because now they see all of the young acolytes that they used to be looking up to them as the elders. You know, you know, it puffs them up in their minds like I'm important now. I mean something. All this work is paid off because my 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 social credit card is is you know has a real high limit now i'm good to go i I can spend all day you know so for a longer running campaign getting into more and more faction politics can increase the number of adventures and situations rather than narrow them yeah even when players don't like politics when they learn that the politics leads to interesting things to do they might start saying well maybe i don't mind politics that much all right. So uh, to sum up, the uh, faction politics are is not something you just throw them in the deep end of the pool, metaphorically speaking. You you get there in stages and you stop when you feel the group push back. And I and that's your take. And I completely agree. However deep they want to go down the faction rabbit hole, you let them. Mm-hmm. You let them because not only will Will it increase the the gameplay they're looking for? But it will also give you uh, more avenues for adventure and adversity because now that the faction involved, there's just uh, almost an infinite number of wrinkles that could happen because of that. Mm -hmm. Let them get in over their head and uh, teach them a lesson. And there's just all kinds of fun. And then then they, they, they persevere, they learn. And because of that, they even get more status in their faction because they overcame this, this hurdle and now they're revered even more. So it can, it can be crazy. Yeah. And because, um, I mean, as I said, mage has a lot of richness to it and the factions are actually stacked. Um, the order of Hermes is a faction we talked about. There are houses within the order of Hermes and they can be friends or butt heads. And then uh, the Order of Hermes is part of the Council of Nine, and the Council of Nine can butt heads with uh, the technocracy and the, you know other groups, and so uh, this can get as, as large a scale or as small a scale as you want to go with it. Right. We we didn't go into the weeds by listing off all the factions of the of the tradition mages, all the factions of the technocracy, all the different factions of the Nefandi. You know, we didn't because there there's multiple factions inside factions inside factions and we'd be here all day, but we we just wanted to to uh give give uh, our thoughts on how to introduce the idea of these faction in, in politics and role playing and how to how to get your uh your group acclimated and gauge their interest level so you don't go either too much or too little for your particular group. Now we got uh, some chat here. We got Rex Teal. Uh, I think a trick to expressing strong emotional scenes in a game is to not force them. That yeah. is 100% true. You throw out an emotional possibility. Mm-hmm. You, it's it's kind of like uh, casting your line fishing. You're just throwing it out there to see who bites. Whoever bites wants it. Yeah. Make them the the focus of of that emotional turmoil because they want it. They bit the hook. They want it. Everyone else can sit back and watch. They can not care if they want to, but they will support the character who 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 bit on the emotional hook, and everyone else will be taken along for the ride. 
Yeah, you describe how the players meet uh, multiple NPCs in a place, and uh, oh, the little girl's crying, and one player might say, "Oh, I'm I'm really interested in that," or it might say, "There you go, kid, stupid Hope kid, them. get out of my way." And so, as a storyteller, like, okay, scratch that onto the next one. Yep. And you you, you keep throwing them out until they like one, or if they don't like one, move them to a new place in the game. There you go. Yeah, it's whoever bites. Uh, Gaming with ADHD says, "I'd like to know our guest's opinion on Awakening versus Ascension." Okay, we're gonna get there. That is a big thing. That's the last question we're going to tackle here. We're going to go to Kokoshuko first. I don't go by nobody's rules and not even my own. Well, you know what? There is a faction in Mage that is for you. It's not for player characters, in my opinion, but they're called Marauders. <laughs> Marauders are mages who have gone insane, and they believe reality is different than what everyone sees it and since they can alter reality they're dangerous because they can alter reality around them to something that is way not normal causing confusion and delay to the entire area that they walk into because they will literally change reality to suit their insanities yeah, I try to think of someone who says, uh, I'm not going to just disobey the uh, laws of the state of Illinois. I'm going to disobey the laws of physics. There you yeah. go. Yeah, and then they, they get away with it. And you're like, holy crap, he actually got away with it. But it's uh, then they find out that there's a whole new set of rules they didn't think about, and it knocks them off their ass. But, you know, it ain't easy. It ain't easy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Being insane, it ain't easy. <laughs> All right, so now now we're back. Okay, awakening versus ascension. Now you go first because he asked you specifically. <laughs> what oh, it, 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 is well, your I opinion both... on Awakening versus Ascension? Now keep in mind that Awakening was his first experience with World of Darkness, and I'm sad for you. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, Legion of Myth doesn't pull any punches. Uh, I'd like to be a nice, sensitive guy. I'm not very good at that, but I'll try for you. I'll, I'll make an attempt. Um, I started with Mage the Ascension, and I have uh, not owned the books of Mage the Awakening. However, I've been um, in different online uh, communities of Mage fans over the years. I've talked to a lot of people who have played a lot of both games, and so I've got uh, different opinions, different approaches for, from it. And so even though I have not played the game myself, I've got an opinion on it. Opinions are like, well, never mind, you get it. Um, so... When it comes to Mage the Awakening, I decided not to buy it and play it with my friends uh, for actually a couple of reasons. Uh, one is Mage the Ascension was created by, uh, you might say, uh, the old guard at White Wolf who founded the company and got it started. And they had a, an approach to games and rules that is is uh, very similar to my own approach. And so when I look at uh, early editions of Mage the Ascension, which started in the sort of early to mid-90s, um, the rules are simpler. They're less complicated. Uh, there's um, more, uh, you know, gray areas where you can push and pull with things, and I like that. Uh, Mage: The Awakening was made after the year 2000, when uh, there was, uh, what do you say, fresh blood, uh, new people at uh, White Wolf, and they had uh, new ways of thinking and new ways of approaching things. They liked to have a more strictly defined relationship of what the game master can do and what the players can do, expectations of both. They liked more complex rules. Uh, they liked more uh, tightly defined rules. And Mage the Awakening uh, offers that experience. It's not my favorite experience, so I didn't jump into it. Uh, another reason I'm, I got to admit, I'm just not a fan of Mage the Awakening is because there was a uh, uh, there was a time in the early 2000s when uh, the people working for White Wolf got this idea that 
hey, we have too many uh, options, too many factions, too many things going on in our World of Darkness games, and it's intimidating to new people who might want to try the games for the first time. So what we need to do is we're going to do Chronicles of Darkness, which has no you know in-game connection to World of Darkness. It's like a, a rewrite, a 2.0 World of Darkness, but they call it Chronicles of Darkness. And in this, we're going to have less factions, less groups, less stuff going on, and this will be more friendly to new players. Well, as it turns out, that advice was not as good as they thought it was, because the fans of the old games didn't take to the new games, and the fans who did pick up the new games, uh, there was less toys for them to play with, and so uh, it was a little easier for them to move on to other games. Uh, and so also just the... Um, what is it, the uh, perspective, the opinions of the people working on the games. They had very uh, strong feelings about things that I didn't really have strong feelings about. And so I just feel more comfortable when I read the uh, first two editions of Mage the Ascension. When I read through a bit of the Awakening books, it's like, you guys care a lot of, about stuff I don't really care so much about. And so I don't feel yeah, like uh, this is my game. A, a big problem with the, with the changing of the guard in the early 2000s with White Wolf was that they started writing their personal opinions, personal feelings, personal thoughts, and personal politics into the game that didn't have to be there. You're basically polarizing your game against a large segment of the population, alienating yourself for no reason at all. It's ridiculous. But my main thing between Awakening and Ascension is that in, in, in Ascension, there are so many more rules, so many more limitations on magic that it waters it down. It, it, uh, it, it makes it weaker just because you could no longer just think outside the box and say, wait a minute, if I use this many dots of this power and this many dots of this power, I could probably do this. Let me try it. Well, in, in, Mage, in Mage the Ascension, you could do that. And I had a lot of people in between the weekly game thinking about ways they can merge spells together, create new ropes just on their own because it was exciting because they can start creating these powers on their own. They don't have to look up spells. They don't have to study spells. They can just, oh, I have three dots in this, two dots in this. I should be able to merge them together and create this effect. I'm going to write that down and throw it at the game master, see if it sticks to the wall. And you could do that. Whereas in Mage the Ascension, there's many more rules involved. Yes, you could think of stuff like that, but you have to practice it in game. You have to use it a couple times. It's going to have minuses. And finally, after you successfully do it enough times, and now, now you can do it without minuses because it's now part of your repertoire. Too many rules on outside-the-box thinking in Mage the Awakening versus Mage the Ascension. For me, it made it less fun. Yeah, and just as a minor note, uh, Stephen Michael DePesa, who wrote for uh, uh, White Wolf Games and, and for Mage Games, uh, in an interview, he said, uh, "Hey, in Mage: The Awakening, it's much easier to do necromancy." And uh, if you guys have ever seen the show Seinfeld, I was the guy saying, "But I don't want to do necromancy." Yeah, yeah. So it, it makes it easier to do specific things, but harder to do your own thing that you make up. You want to do your own thing in Mage: The in Mage: The Ascension. You can do your own thing with magic. You can do almost anything with it. That's that's the that's the pull. That's that's the that's the hook. You can do almost anything if you if you put your mind to it. Come at it from a different point of view. Whereas in Mage the Awakening, Mage 20, stuff like that, it's much more strict, much more rigid. You almost have to come at it from a certain angles to get the effect you want. It's limiting. And I don't yeah. like it. 
Yeah, in in my own um, in my own observations with the later editions of Mage: The Ascension, there was this real strong feeling on the part of the people writing for the game that uh, uh, there's too many gray areas. It's confusing people. We need to clearly define everything, nail everything down. Then there will be less gray areas, and that will make for a more fun game experience. Whereas I'm the guy saying, "Yeah, I like playing around in the gray areas." Let, let me I do found that. it the exact opposite. Yes, the exact opposite happened to me. Be, because you 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 it's not it's not actually taking away player agency i'm not about player agency at all i hate it i hate it oh, but players get to make decisions not in my games they they get the perception of making a decision but they're just dancing in the palm of my hand all right it takes away agency from the storyteller the storyteller is now hampered in in what they can they can introduce and how they introduce things to their players what their players can do what their players can't do and it it limits the possibilities that in Mage the Ascension were almost limitless, where in Mage the Awakening, it, it, you have roads you almost have to follow as a storyteller. So I had, I had a problem with that. But uh, anything else on uh, on factions? Anything we forgot? No, no I, I think we, we touched on it well. Excellent. Um, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. That's great. And so we are done with uh, with talking about factions. And now in our next segment, hang on for it, we are going to talk about the world of darkness in general and if or how we introduce other games of the world of darkness into Mage. Remember, Mage, Mage, Vampire, Werewolf, Demon the Fallen, Changeling, Wraith, they all exist in the same world, but they don't have to exist in your game. Or not all of them, or maybe some of them, or maybe all of them, or maybe none of them. It's up to you. It's up to you as a storyteller. So how do you navigate that? That's exactly what we're going to do right now. All right. And then we go to bam. All right. You want to get a drink of water or something like that? I, good. I, I feel okay. All right. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, Legionnaires, welcome to another episode of RPG Digest. Thank you for coming. We're talking about Mage the Ascension. And in this segment, in this video, we are going to talk about the world of darkness at large. All of the games in the world of darkness exist at the same time in the same place. But you are playing Mage. Do you have to introduce vampires? Do you have to have werewolves running around? Do you have to have wraiths haunting people and throwing candlesticks across the room? Do you need to do that? Well, we're going to find out right now. The core values of hashtag RPGate and any good tabletop group are escapism, not representation, entertainment over activism, and natural organic inclusion, not forced diversity. Please follow that QR code or refer to the description below for the link to the charity we support, which is the Wounded Warrior Project. Thursdays and Saturdays, you can watch the Dirty Casuals on twitch.tv slash Legion of Myth. Fridays and Sundays, you can watch the Friday Night Chill Stream and RPG Digest on our YouTube and Rumble channels. Please leave us a comment with your thoughts and experiences. And if you like our gaming content, please be sure to subscribe to Legion of Myth. All right. Hello, everyone. And with me is Adam. Adam from uh, uh, Mage, Mage the Podcast. And uh, he's going he's gonna to help us talk about the world of darkness at large. 
all the different games existing in the same universe. Do you use them? Do you not? What does he do? How does he introduce, if at all, other factions of supernatural beings that are supposed to exist in the same world, but don't really have to? So, Adam, how with with a new group in mind, mind you, how, if at all, do you introduce different uh, d- different game system supernatural creatures into your mage campaign? Uh, let's see. Now, with thinking with a new group, um, I would still do it, but in small doses, uh, because every, every every new thing uh, you know throws a, a complication uh, into their understanding. Um, so, with a new group, I mean, yeah, just generally speaking, there's so much to do in the mage books that if you never bring in something from another part of the world of darkness, you've got plenty to do, you've got plenty to work with, and that's great. Sure um usually it's a matter of preference uh, when i talk to people it's like you put other stuff in your game it's more a question of do i want to rather than do i feel like i have to it's like if i don't am i missing anything no like i said there's plenty in the mage books but um i played other world of darkness games before i came to mage and so yeah i have that preference it's like i, I think some of these things are cool and i think it's fun to put them in and again um i like to uh reinforce this basic uh, theme in my mage games that uh, the world is big, bigger than you think. There's always more you don't know. Right. And with, with mages, that's even more so correct because uh, they have access to the to the Tellurian or the multiverse as a whole. At some point, they might even go dimension hopping. Now, werewolves do that a little bit with spirit realms, but but mages, mages have mages go to other shard realms of existence, all kinds of nonsense. It's all open to them. So running into these these other supernatural creatures that exist in the same universe is much more likely as you rank up, so to speak, as a mage and start and start traveling the world or multiverse more readily. Now, with that in mind, which supernatural creature would you feel most comfortable introducing first for example vampires werewolves demons changelings wraiths which one do you see as the easiest to get people's feet wet on introducing other supernatural factions okay to answer that question i would say wraith which is a game term in world of darkness for ghost Uh, Or a vampire. Um, And vampire, not only because they are a a popular element of the world of darkness, but also Mm -hmm. because in the world of the game, there's a lot of them. That's true. Yes, you're going to be more likely at night uh, if if you're in the wrong part of town or, or if you're at a major event, there's going to be a vampire around. Yeah. One of the interesting things about World of Darkness games is uh, vampires can make more vampires. So if if a specific group of vampires in a specific city say, we want more vampires in this city, then they go make more and they have more. Yeah, uh, and, with... and you could you could introduce the, the player characters to vampires by one of those vampires trying to turn you into a vampire. Yeah, that is a possibility. Yeah. Uh, as with mages, um, some people awaken and become capable of magic and some don't. And mages can't change anything to make more people awaken. It's like, look, no. we're stuck with... Well, you, we you, can, you can try but it's it's not a guaranteed success like it is for vampires for the most part. Yeah, if you read the mage books, there's no book that says if you do this, you'll get more mages. I mean, no. if a storyteller wants to do their own thing in their own uh, game, go for it. But I mean, according to the published mage books, there's no rote or magic item that, that makes more mages. And have it work every time. 
They yeah, except for the very tail end of third edition, there was like one minor exception, but it's such a minor exception. I'm not going to go into that. Rabbit. Okay, yeah. Un unlike a, unlike a, a vampire who there is a set procedure to create more vampires. You follow this procedure and 99 times out of 10, you're going to make another vampire, right? That, that, that's great. For, for werewolves, you're either born that way or you're not. That's pretty binary. It's, pre it's, it's pretty simple at that point. For wraiths, well, when a human dies, they could turn into a ghost, right? That, that, that's how it works. Yeah. Yeah. So, more than half uh, of them don't, but a lot of them right, do. And there's a could. lot of people dying. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, we, we got yeah. a fresh supply. Exactly right. So vampire and wraith are the easiest because uh, wraith, I think, would be super, super easy just because anyone with spirit one can see them. You can just have them be there. And then the player characters will interact. They, they will be introduced to, to a Wraith NPC and they can talk to them, whatever. You know, if you have enough dots and spirit, you can talk and, and interact, whatever. Uh, and then Vampire would be would be the next easy just because of all the other supernatural creatures, they are the most populous. They, they, they rely on humanity more than the other supernatural factions because not only they use them for food, but they use them for social interactions because vampires are more social creatures than werewolves. Werewolves, yeah. their pack only, whereas vampires like to be seen, like to be known, like to, you know, experience the, the human condition for the most part, more so than werewolves and wraiths and stuff like that. Yeah. And also vampire, if you say vampire and ghost, your players are like, yeah, I know what that is. And you have, yeah, a very... yeah. they'll understand. They'll have an idea. And of they what's probably going understand on. it the way you understand it. So. Right. So what do you think is the hardest of the other world of darkness, supernatural, supernatural games to introduce into a mage campaign the most difficult uh it's a matter of opinion i mean that's, I, that's I don't it have, i'm asking you i don't opinion. have an automatic go-to um in fact i had not really formed an opinion on that up until this point but now that i think about it um for me uh the hardest other world of darkness thing to drop into uh mage uh i if I had to pick one, I would say Changeling, which is a World of Darkness a game term. It means uh, someone who is half fairy and half human, and uh, there's a number of them, and they've got their own society, and they call each other Changelings. They have fairy powers, but not as much as full-blood 100% fairies. And right. their powers, you have to know the game of Changeling well in order to portray their powers correctly, because with most World of Darkness special powers it's like you know it can do this it works like this okay either the the supernatural creature does it or doesn't but with changelings there's this whole added factor of um banality belief um confidence stuff like that it's like you can have a changeling who was really has a lot of really strong uh, changeling powers and they walk into a place and they try their changeling powers but you know depending on the situation depending on who they do it on, it might have zero effect. It might have a lot of effect. Again, you have to know a lot about the nuts and bolts and moving parts of Changeling to portray Changeling powers at all. And so, yeah, for me, that that's asking for the storyteller to know, to know two full World of Darkness games really well. Mm -hmm. And uh, with, with, with Changeling, to use it correctly, you have to have a depth of knowledge in it, unlike with Vampire or werewolf you can actually call upon just common knowledge that that people have from movies tv shows and books and use it and seven times out of ten you'll probably write that that's how it works in world of darkness too you know 
Yeah, yeah. My, my experience with the World of Darkness games, um, I read the Mage book and it's like, okay, I get this. And I ran it for my friends and we had fun. And I talked to all these people say, oh, Mage is so hard to figure out. It's like with me, I read the Changeling initial rule book. I was like scratching my head. It's like, how, yeah, does, this, how does this work? Is, it works here, but not there. It works this time, not that time. How does this, this work? Word salad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. For, for me, it's, it's probably because I don't like the game, but uh, werewolves. Mm. Werewolves on the surface seem pretty easy. If you treat them just as physical creatures of savagery and brutality, werewolves work fine anywhere. But that's not what they are. That is not that is not a good representation of werewolf as a supernatural creature or werewolf the game system. It is not. But to do it correctly, you have to add the spiritual component. You have to have you have to they have to be in a in a place or time that that is suitable for them and. Uh, you have to also introduce kin, which are, which are, uh, uh, a family member of a werewolf, but doesn't have the werewolf gene strong enough to express itself. Those are all integral to the werewolf's existence and they all fit into the werewolf story and lore. And you'd have to introduce all of that as well. And I think a lot of people have a problem processing a werewolf beyond just the, the physical anger and rage of werewolves because that's how they're depicted in, in movies, TV shows, books, stuff like that. Just creatures of rage and destruction. But that's not what they are. And to portray them correctly, I find it very, very difficult outside of the werewolf game itself. Hmm. I mean, Demon the Fallen, you'd think that'd be bad too, but demon the fallen is all about demons who used to be angels angels you know create reality whereas mages manipulate reality there 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 is some uh there's some high level crossover in how they think and how they act so i i i can navigate that better vampire every everyone knows how a vampire is they're all sneaky they're all a little bit you know woe is me sometimes and they're they're very strong they're very fast they heal everyone knows that you know, they, they know not only the physicality of a vampire, but the mentality of a vampire as well. You know, they're usually bored because they're hundreds of years old, blah, 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 stuff like that. They all get it. People get it. So that that's also to me the easiest. And uh, middle of the road type stuff would be for me, it'd be Wraith. It would be uh, um, some of the other ones. There's there's like Mummy came out too. Like I didn't I didn't I never read it. I never read it. But uh, uh you know that that'd be, that'd be middle of the road type stuff not easy not hard but yeah that's that's uh that's my my deal on that one so which ones do you like to introduce which other supernatural factions do you like to introduce in your mage campaign at some point as long as your feelers about the group are positive Definitely. Yeah, I, I've got a couple of things to say about that. Uh, vampires are easy to understand, but different clans offer surprises. I started with World of Darkness games in the early 90s, so I never forgot the presence of vampires in cities. If my players come in contact with hollow ones, they'll learn those mages teach their new recruits how to identify and avoid vampires. Hollow ones are always on the lookout for them. Uh, ghosts are such a big part of horror and fantasy literature that it's natural to think of using one occasionally. I grab my Wraith 2nd Edition rulebook every once in a while and play fast and loose with Wraith powers. Uh, I ignore the factions and politics of the game uh, Wraith the Oblivion. Uh, Wraith has some interesting ideas, but it's it's so it's so strange and so depressing. I never got that far into it. Uh, I like using mummies. They mix well with mages. They know a lot and they are different enough to be interesting. Uh, unlike hedge wizards and vampires who practice blood sorcery, mummies have a lot they can teach mages about magic. 
They also know the locations of ancient things mages love to dig up. I use World of Darkness Mummy 2nd Edition. I don't use Mummy the Resurrection. I thought Resurrection was actually rather poorly done. Uh, werewolves are like steamrollers. They overpower every scene you put them in. Uh, however, the werecats called Bastet and the were spiders called Ananasi work great when used one at a time. Uh, the were spiders have a power where they become a cloud of small spiders and they can reform later. It freaks players out. It can make them doubt they're dealing with a were creature. Uh, Bastet, that's the werecat, uh, have den realms that are suspiciously like shallow realms that show up in the book. Uh, Oh, and he froze again. That's right. So, uh, uh, there, there are, there are aspects. If you are familiar enough with, with werewolf, the apocalypse there, there are, uh, sub subspecies, sub sub genres of, of where creatures that fit more into a mage campaign easier. I don't say more, but fit more easily into a mage campaign than straight up werewolves because straight up werewolves, they they are if 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 you read werewolf werewolf the apocalypse they are very very physical creatures they they are in your face nasty if they go first they probably win against the other two major three the the major three uh, supernatural creatures in the world of darkness are vampires werewolves and mages werewolves even a very starting character if the werewolf goes first, he's going to win. They all have claws that, that, that do do damage that can't be healed even by magic or, or by, or by vampiric powers. And they, they have, they're strong enough to just rip your head off in one attack. It's possible. They can do it. Vampires against mages. Yeah, there you go. V vampires against mages. If they're both new characters, the vampire will probably win because all of their powers are front are front loaded and they 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 can use them openly without super repercussions. Now, when you start getting to a medium tier and higher mage, that's when the table turns. If the mage goes first, the mage probably wins. He's experienced with altering reality. He can do it in ways that you're not going to see coming. That means he's going to win. But beginning mages, they are pretty much at the mercy of werewolves and vampires. They are just not strong enough to take them in a fight. And if you're in werewolves, that's what they like to do. They love to fight. Most of them, they are they are physical creatures. That's their that's their love language, tearing heads off. That's how they do it. So uh, you you cut off when you were talking about the other were creatures that fit better into the mage campaign. I explained to you yeah, why. Right. You know. You know, so blah, blah blah stuff, stuff like that. So yeah, I've been having some internet problems in my neighborhood, but uh, I'll have to get that resolved with the company Understood. on Monday. But um, yeah, I was just talking about. Uh, I wanted to finish up uh, how uh, the werewolves, I think, don't always mix so well with mages, at least in my experience. But uh, when it comes to the werecats, the bastet, um, uh, they can use their uh, werecat powers to make these den realms that are a lot like uh, shallow realms, which is something that mages, uh, uh, very few mages know how to make, and they want to know how to make shallow realms. And so hanging out with Bastet, there's a lot of things they just might uh, learn. Also, wait, Bastet- wait, wait, hang on, hang on, hang on. Uh, you, you, you keep saying shallow realms. Th these are like yes. uh, small pocket dimensions? Oh, okay, yeah. Um, um, 
Okay, in you know the World of Darkness games, except for I guess uh, Vampire, there are um, spirit well realms or kind of magical realms you can walk into and you walk away from Earth into the spirit realms. There's different layers and types and, and sizes and uh, a lot of variety there. Uh, there was one a book put out for Mage in his third edition called Dead Magic 2. And it was all about um, mages are traveling the world to dig up secrets about magic because their own magic is not working so well. One of those was in Australia a long time ago, a group of mages that we don't even know their names, they created this big shallow realm. And a shallow realm is basically a, it is a magical spirit realm that you can step into and leave earth when you step into it. But it is, it is a lot like a copy of the place on earth that you left and it is not fully in the umbra it's halfway between the physical world and the spirit world and so because of that things are just different there and very few mages know how to make them or even how to work with them and so if okay. a mage learns that secret they can use that secret to uh, gain influence or power among other mages and so okay. bastet okay. uh do something a lot like that on their own and so it doesn't say this in the mage books but i mean it's easy to see that um mages can probably learn the secret from the work yeah they, they would so. want to know about that i get it yeah so yeah that is a shallow realms is a term that doesn't come up in, in major okay. discussions all that often all right. it can be interesting uh, also uh the bastet the werecats will be curious about mages possessions in my games when a bastet steals an item from a mage it's actually a kind of a compliment they usually don't use the items uh, they steal because they can't understand them if the mage takes it with good grace he can rely on that uh, bastet for help in the future and may talk the uh werecat into returning the item uh, the Risen is a book for the Wraith game describing a ghost that has repossessed its own dead body. The result is similar to an intelligent zombie. Uh, your players will mistake it for a vampire, making it an interesting opponent for complication in your game. Uh, after the players learn the secret, it's hard to use Risen again, but hey, you had your fun. So uh, I don't use changelings. Uh, they don't appeal to me all that much and can be hard to understand. Even when you read a few books, uh, their powers apply in some situations and not in others. And it can be hard to figure it out properly how to do that. And so I, I just don't use them. Okay, that's fine. All right, let's look at some of the chat. Uh, Seth McFulton says, I used werewolves in LA by night. That's in, that's entirely possible. Uh, in, in, Northern Cali in, in Northern California, and central and uh, and eastern California, there is a whole lot of land that that can hold a, a, a werewolf tribe. And something pushed them into L.A. It it could be the Amonic damn vampires. Sometimes werewolves just say, "Listen, the vampire stench around here is getting too big. We gotta cull that population. It's gonna start getting super vampiric weird." And sometimes werewolves just go on a vampire hunt. That just happens. So it could be something like that. And that's that's awesome for a gameplay. Like, surprise, bitches, werewolves. You know, like sometimes that's just fun. So I get that. Yeah, yeah actually, uh, this may be a good uh, time to share some notes uh, from uh, mage developer interviews and some newer mage books where they, they talk about mages versus werewolves. Uh, okay. Some game masters may want to use World of Darkness were creatures but be afraid of overpowering the mages. And believe me, I understand that is a possibility. Uh, uh, Ricardo, the longest running developer for mage, said in an interview he feels were creatures, uh, werewolves, etc., have a mind that has strong animal influences on it. That means were creatures are weaker than normal to manipulation by the mind sphere, which is mental magic uh, that mages sure. can do. Uh, also, there are several mentions in mage books of using the life sphere to lock a were creature in its current form, meaning it can't turn, uh, can't shift into its battle form, or also using life 
to uh, force it to transform when it wasn't planning on it. This can be so upsetting to were creatures that they might just panic and flee. So after an initial uh, frightening encounter with werewolves, an NPC can tell the players where to find the info they need to deal with the situation. Then the players can trade that information for favors from other mages. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I get it. Uh, like, like I was saying earlier, uh, when a mage gets to an intermediate level and higher, uh, he has in his in his toolbox ways to deal with vampires and werewolves that they just either lose or they retreat in fear. You know that that's what happens. And and you using using the mind sphere, you know, as you as you gather more dots in the in the mind sphere, you can manipulate other people's emotions, thoughts, stuff like that. And so if you put a mental block on on their their command to change shapes as a werewolf or put a a mental block on on their their command to activate a discipline if it's a vampire you can just shut them down just shut them down they're not doing they're not doing that anymore and yeah. that can freak them out and it, it could turn the tide of any of any battle or or turn the outcome of any kind of social conflict in your favor yeah, that can be a lot of the fun with the, the game of Mage of the Ascension. The players say, well, I know Sphere X and Y up to level three, so I can do anything. So, yeah, okay, go try it. And then it fails. It's like, man, that didn't go well at all. It's like, well, you know, there's more secrets. If you learn those, you can, you know, rule the day, but uh, you haven't learned them yet. Yeah. <laughs> then we have uh, Max saying, ooh, Wraith, I can make an ashtray shake. Woohoo! Well, come on. Every Wraith starts out in the beginning learning to move an ashtray. That's how it works. Everyone's seen the movie Ghost, right? Everyone's seen that. Yeah, you have to learn to move the bottle cap, whatever. But you know, as you 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 as a wraith, you quickly gain more power over the the real world. Uh, the, the sorry, the physical world, and uh, you you can you can make your presence known. It's not just moving ashtrays and and flying books around. Uh, gaming with ADHD says uh, I just get annoyed that everyone wants to play vampire and I have no interest in being a bad guy slash monster now it depends on on the theme your storyteller wants to do it can range from hey you live in a world of darkness and despair it is going down the drain you know it you're a monster turn into the skid or this storyteller could run the game the other way you know this world is dark and dank and horrible and no one gets a fair shot but you want to want to make the world a better place you may be damned fine you're damned you're going to hell because you're a vampire that's what you believe that's great but you are going to make the world a better place before you go and maybe along the way you can somehow fix yourself as well most people like to play somewhere in the middle. Yeah, what? with the, the, game, the game of Vampire, um, in the early 90s, it was really popular, and uh, I was playing it too. It had a rule system that was not like the games I was playing before, character creation and, and how to um, handle combat and stuff like that. It, it was new and interesting, and yeah, I wanted to play. And after a while, um, my friends and I kind of got the same vibe, and we started talking to each other. It's like, okay, we're, we're trying to handle the game as it's written and as it's kind of set up. And there's all these times where our characters have to kind of stop what they're doing and, and go attack uh, NPCs, a lot of times innocent NPCs to get blood. Otherwise we can't, you know, mm -hmm. we, the bad guys, we're not strong enough. And it's like, 
you know, even though it's imaginary, you know, attacking these innocent NPCs for their blood, it's like, I'm just not feeling this. My friends are like, yeah, we're just not feeling it. That's when we moved on to uh, the werewolf game because it's like, yeah, I'm playing a monster and to do it halfway right, um, I'm just, I just don't feel monstery today. And also with the uh, with the greater fan base um, in the late 90s, early 2000s, there was, uh, like I was saying before, the the, uh, the young blood, the new people were taking over at White Wolf and starting to write the game books. And they started actually saying in their vampire books, hey, everybody's doing it wrong. This isn't a superhero game. This isn't cops and robbers. No, you, it's it's about horror and, and angst and, and gothy stuff and just feeling so terrible. And so we're going to... Uh, push you and encourage you to lean into the horror and lean away from the uh, uh, gunfights and car chases. And so a lot of vampire players at that point said, you know what? I'm moving on. Yeah, I'm done. Yeah. I mean, uh, what, 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 what they did was try and, and restrict the way you play at your table. And that's just stupid. That is absolutely stupid. You, if, if you want to make your game more appealing, then you make it, you make it as easy as possible, but also as open as possible. You know, you can play it in several different ways. Like I said earlier, you want to play that angsty emo, the world is going the drain, there's no reason for existence, you can do that. If you want to, I want to make the world a better place, and, and maybe in doing so, I can save my own soul, you could do that too. Or any of the different variations in between. I like it. So you don't have to play a bad guy slash monster if you don't want to if you're playing first and second edition vampire. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was some people online who were saying, Oh, those awful people, they play it. Like it's a hero game about fighting the bad guys. Like, Hey, if you're having fun, go for it. If you, yeah, then, then play something else. I don't care. Shit. Uh, Max says again, the storyteller system, emo themes and personal politics aside is really good system and overall setting. Yes. I, I do believe that as well. Uh, the, the great thing about the early editions of all of the world of darkness games is that it is, it is not a, a roadmap, A to B, B to C, C to D. You, it, is, it is not the, the same end result every single time. There are a lot of games that, you know, they end up in the same place. No matter how you winding road, you end up in the same place. Whereas in the World of Darkness, even in the books that ended the old World of Darkness, the, the Ascension books, the, the Time of Judgment books, all that stuff, even the endings there, each book had three to five different endings, depending on, they were all examples. They told you, these are just examples. You can make an end however you want. You want the world. If, if, if you, if you play the super emo vampire game, the world is shit and it's going to stay shit. It's going to die shit. Then you can have it do that. You could have it do that. The world ends. Everyone dies. That was the end result. The culmination of your campaign, or they had, the all the vampires get cured the entire group gets cured that would that was one ending to vampire and it had a couple that were in between and it told you hey use these to make up your own ending whatever ending that that your group wants or needs you as a storyteller can make that happen and i like that a lot i liked it a lot it it increases gameplay replayability gameplay because you could play the same game again from the beginning and have a different ending a completely different ending to the same game it's great i love it now we're going to see if he comes back on before i open up the next comment 
There he is. All right, there he is. All right, our next comment is from Perfect Tangent. Uh, all World of Darkness games are socialism, the RPG. I understand why you're why you're doing that. I understand where you're coming from, but like I said earlier in the in the day, not in this video, in the day, socialism works scaled down. And the cool thing about the World of Darkness books is that you can scale it however you want. Just your group, increase it to your faction, increase it to your race. You can make the social bubble as big or as small as possible. The smaller your your socialism bubble, the more it works. So if 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 you do socialist gaming, the RPG, and and you focus on only adventures and tribes and tribulations of your specific coven, of your specific group of vampires, then it will work. It will work. You will have a good time and the role playing will work. But the more you increase the size of your role-playing world, then you have to take away some of the socialism or I found it doesn't, it doesn't scale up. It doesn't function. Perhaps I, I don't have the, the full background on this. Um, I, I am familiar with who uh, Mr. Max uh, Boyvin is. I've, I've enjoyed watching him on, on Chillstream. but uh, what, what was his comment about all world of darkness and socialism? What, what's the connection? socialism, the RPG it's a, I, I think he's talking more, uh, post 2000s world of darkness where it all became the the uh the the super leftist ideology was bled into the pages yeah then um uh, the uh third and uh third and fourth, fourth editions and of mage the yeah. ascension you will yeah. certainly pick that up reading those books that okay I, I get that exactly yes and you don't have to play them that way you oh, no. don't no. you don't and and i recommend you don't <laughs> i do i recommend you don't i do not recommend uh, uh, playing in in a in a in a, in, in a way that uh, that does not make you feel comfortable. And if it's a good game, it will allow you to change certain aspects of it without it breaking. You know, so that's why I like first and second edition because you can you can alter the the feel of the game without without the game breaking. Yeah, the uh, in the first edition of Mage, they put out the uh, tradition book talking about the Sons of Ethra, a faction of mages in the Council of Nine, and it was uh, fun and interesting and, and just great. And then in the third edition of Mage, they put out the uh, revised Sons of Ether tradition book. We're going to tell you all about this tradition in the Council of Nine. And it was saying, um, socialists are taking over this faction, and it's a good thing. I was reading it's like, yeah, can I, can yeah. I disagree here? Yeah, I mean, it that. Yeah, that's a uh, that's you know that's oh I hate I I always I always go go back to R Kelly and Michael Jackson you know like I love Thriller I love Beat It and Michael Jackson may have may have uh, inappropriately touched some children I separate the art from the artist yeah. and if the artist purposefully makes it so I can't do that. They just wrote masturbatory material for themselves. That's a, that's all they wrote. They didn't write a game for me. They didn't write a game for anyone. They wrote a game for themselves. I don't like that. I hate it. Yeah, and that's actually uh, one of the... I, I go to uh, role-playing conventions where there's a lot of D&D fans, and they say, what's your favorite game? I say, Mage. And they go, oh, I'm not... Uh, I'm not uh, I, my politics are different. And I, I try to tell them, look, first edition Mage, there was no politics. There's no and you politics. Know what? You're welcome. First edition Mage will welcome you, and I will too. 
Yeah. There's no real, there's no real world politics in it at all. There is yeah. fake world politics and it's separate. Yeah. It's not like real world. It's, it's fake world. And it's, it's very easy to make that justification. Uh, Max says, uh, nope, no where spiders. Screw that. He's not a big fan of spiders to begin with. And where, where spiders probably would be a living nightmare for him. Oh, so okay. I get that. Okay. okay. And then we He's have where crocodile. Uh... Oh God, no. And we have again, we didn't care about socialism, the RPG in the 90s because we separated personal from the game. Yes. And so did the writers. Uh, now it's a virtue signal for all the authors. Yes. That it's it is it is a mental masturbation now for, for authors to to just spray themselves all over their game. So there is no separation between their thoughts, their beliefs, their product and, you know, the hopes and dreams of the people who buy it. You know, they, they, they're basically covering me in their nonsense and that was like 18 different entendres there that i i'm gonna let go but that is it i want to thank everyone for coming on this ride with us uh adam is there anything else you want to say uh some, something about uh the the three topics you maybe not have gotten gotten to and really really feel important to talk about um look uh just briefly um if you are a person who's never played mage and your friends have never played mage and it's like well you know what is what is ground zero? I would say get the first edition rule book and get a book of shadows with it. It has some very helpful clarifications and fixes with those two games. Uh, you can run a great game. You can have a lot of those fun. Those two books. Oh, I'm sorry. Those two books. Yes. Uh, those two books. You can run a great game. And you will stay out of the some of the pitfalls of having only the first edition rule book. And if you're having a great time and you like it, then uh, I think the second edition rule book has some clarifications and some help uh, that will uh, make life uh, better for you. And um, that's how you get started. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for uh, coming with us today. I really appreciate it. You're going to stick around to uh, for when the viewers call in to see if they have some questions for you. And I'm I'm certain that at least a couple of them will. You know, so, I always uh, say everyone is entitled to my opinion. Oh, there it is. <laughs> that's not arrogant at all. <laughs> no, no, no. That 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 I got a little I got a little hard off that one. All right, oh, that was that was good. That was good. <laughs> So uh, I want to thank everyone stopping by and I hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time. All right. Gosh, three hey, times the internet is. drops. That is just, that is too much for me. I'm calling yeah, my that was provider on Monday. The hell? I'm going to share some is, unkind Max words. Max is going to have to uh, uh, edit that out. I, I am. I, yeah. Uh, what, well, what I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do some editing uh, for this because uh, before we get into segment three here, uh, I am going to backtrack for you, Adam. And if this was covered and I missed it, I apologize. Because I did step away for about five minutes right after I left. Um, but first of all, Hinda, can you do me a favor and get the link out to folks? I'm going to run through the nonsense that we tell folks uh, for that. And then I definitely have a couple of questions, even before we hit any uh, YouTube comments. We might not touch YouTube comments today because the show's been going long. But I, Adam, thank you right. very much for hanging out with us. I uh, really do appreciate that. So, uh, all right. Yeah, I'm, I'm flexible at this point. All right, here we go. Segment three. This is where we got the YouTube comments. That's right. I laugh at the stupidity that you try to tell me on YouTube. Tell me my videos are bad. <laughs> Make your own videos. No, uh, <laughs> that's where we're going to go through the YouTube comments of what people, what we covered last week, what people thought about that. Actually, a lot of good heathen dog comments on Palladium. People keep begging them for more Palladium. How about you guys start begging me for some Year Zero Engine? Huh? What do you think about that? No. Uh, well, I, I was really on board with uh with answering comments this week every every day or two i, I would that. go i would answer as much as possible 
I saw that you answered some. Some of your older videos are getting more popular again because of those. But uh, all right, you guys know the deal. If you're going to call in, uh, Heathen Dog, put the link out there. I'll get it to rumble in a second here. Uh, check your audio and your surroundings. One question or comment related to segment one or two will respond. You get one follow-up to our response, and then you hang up. Remember, it's like an old, old school radio talk show because we're old here. Well, I'm old in here, whatever. So, and let me get the uh, link out. But in the meantime, and I may have to do a little bit of video editing for this, depending on how this answer goes. I want to go back to the first, first thing you guys talked about. Okay. Uh, uh, introducing the game to new people. And sure. you made a comment. I'm not sure if it was uh, addressed after. And that was how to run a mage game for a new GM, for somebody who's never approached it and is daunted by all that information. Like, how do I handle these? How do I forces two mind three time what, what do i do with that all is a of good this question that, that is a good question because a, a new game master may not be able to adjudicate uh, uh all of these uh, spheres properly because he just doesn't have enough experience even me he may have the knowledge but not the experience to to properly judge what players can and can't do with the power levels they have how, how do they get around that Mage is uh, an open-ended game in some ways, and it, it was designed to be that yep. way. They said, we want a free-form, open magic system where you can do anything, and there's going to be some gray areas, and that's what we're going to enjoy playing with. That's what we want to offer people, and it has its strengths, and as you have pointed out, it has its weaknesses. Uh, I remember the early days of Dungeons & Dragons where um, some of the people from you know back in the mid-70s were saying the best game masters were the people who were players first, and that may be the mm. case with Mage the Ascension. The people who were players first may be better game masters. But in this day and age, um, well, things are a little different. Uh, there's not exactly large groups of people playing at my local hobby store. And so there are going to be more and more people who are in the situation where, look, I've got to start uh, on my own and introduce my friends to this game mage when they have not heard of it. And so um, I would say take the first edition rule book and uh, read that book through. That gives you a lot of the basic concepts, but it does not dump a lot of extras on your head. A few, not a lot. Um, what are all the factions of the uh, Marauders and the Nefondi? They're not in that book. Don't sweat it. A Marauder is a Marauder. Go with it. And I like I, I like that approach. Um, now, there is a section. There's a couple of pages for the spheres. There are nine spheres. These are nine categories of magic. And so these sections tell you uh, what can you, what is it basically about? What can it do at the different five levels? Uh, what are some examples of people doing things with it? Read through that. Maybe read through it a second time. It's It's not so thick. And that should give you kind of a, a rough knowledge and then try the game with your friends, experiment with it. If you're just not happy, in my experience, the second edition rule book has a slightly better uh, section describing the nine spheres. There are some handy uh, clarifications in there. For example, people are like, well, you know, a tree, you know, that's alive. So the life sphere, right? But I mean, it, it, a wooden uh, chair uh, in my in my office um, that's not alive. I'm going to use the matter sphere. Well, okay, I'm going to take a tree, chop it down. It falls down. Okay, now what is that? Life or matter? And, and for a while, people are like, oh gosh, I don't know. I that. hate the second edition rule book has a clarification. It tells you. I absolutely hate. And I used to do it, <laughs> but I hate. I hate that mentality that players do. That rationalization. Something I've been talking about a bit on on the Friday Chill Stream is like the only player that really. Oh, there's two types, but there's two types of players that make me angry. One that just intentionally disrupt a game. Go away, you know. And and that's just a generic thing. You're there to be a disruptor. Go away. But when it when it's at the table, is the person who rationalizes some nonsense like that. No, no, no. By this specific autistic pedantic definition. No, go away. 
go away. I'm not giving that to you. You know what? It takes 24 hours for that tree to go from life to matter. Well, I'm going to wait here exactly 23 hours and 59 seconds because I cut it. No, no. You know what? The tree is on fire because God, the ultimate mage came down. It's no. It's just like I, I, I hate. I hate that conceptually when when players do that. I really do. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, the war gamers do it a lot where it becomes so simulationist. Uh, the role players do it in a different way. And I separate those two f- for the purposes of discussion. Do it a little bit differently, but they have it as well. But yet stop it. It's just just go with what feels right. And, and I was, I was going to say it's rulings over rules. I absolutely I'm a huge fan. Mage leans into that. Right. And no, I, and, and I agree. And to piggyback on what you're saying is one of the things that's changed about me since, say, the 90s and early 2000s to now is I used to like a little bit more simulation as play. I didn't realize it back then, but I did. I wanted a rule because I hated player arguments. Now I have enough balls to say, shut up. It's my game. This is how it works. As long as you're fair, reasonable, fair and consistent as you go in the future, I know that if you make me use these spheres to cast a spell, you're going to make Heathen Dog, the Marauder, use the same ones. You're going to make the NPC you know, do the same. As long as it's consistent, you might do it a little differently than me, but it's okay. And I think a first edition book for that exact reason is better. Don't overthink it. Don't be intimidated by it. Don't be scared of it. Just make a ruling. If the players argue, players are going to argue about everything. <laughs> yeah, well, you've got the players who are um, being creative and experimenting, and you want to encourage that. And then you've got the yep. players who are saying, hey, I can twist this to my favor and, and uh, you know, beat you all the bad guys easily. That. It's like, okay, you want to yeah. discourage that. And that's... Uh, the gray area of of the magic rules of mage. It it can be a bit confusing when there's a gray area. It is a strength and a weakness at the same time. And so I actually kind of enjoyed that dynamic, the back and forth with the players. It's like I got used to as a mage uh, game master. It's like a, a player says, well, can I do this? It's like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to stop for a minute and think about it. Can he do that? I mean, would it be fun? Would it be crazy? Um, and so I talk to the player and it's like, okay, sometimes I'll say, you know what? Let's try it, and and I'll try it out with him, and I'll think, you know, how can I, you know, twist this rule or try this other thing, uh, raise the difficulty a little, run with it, okay. But other times it's like, you know what, I, I don't think that's reasonable. The player says, well, I should, and I, and that's one of the time where I say, you know what, uh, Mage's got a lot of gray areas, and if we argue, we're not going to be going anywhere. So I'm telling you right now, I'm the storyteller. I'm a terrible person. I'm saying no. Now we need to move on. Let's let's move on. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You can stage a so, walkout, but if you want to play with me, let's move on. Okay. So, so your advice is to just jump in and get wet. You will learn how to swim. <laughs> I, I enjoy the gray areas of mage. Yeah. Your it's players awesome. are going to make you think, and you're supposed to make your players think, and that's supposed to be part of the fun. And I don't think you have to worry about what if I can't handle it. You know what? I'm an idiot and I can handle it. I think you can handle it. I'm going to bring in Mar Hawkman. He's got a question <clears throat> here. How are you doing, Mar Hawkman? Hey. Um, yeah, I, one of the things that that uh, you got me pondering with the whole like interaction between life magic and the werewolf thing is how exactly would you like do that in terms of like a mage trying to mess with what a werewolf is or something like that? Well, I mean, uh, I don't want to go down too far down the rabbit hole. There, there may be a number of other people listening, but I'll try to hit it briefly for you. Um, with the life sphere, there are five levels. Uh, five is strongest, one is the weakest. Um, at about level three, you can start messing with other people uh, that are complex. Other complex okay. life forms. Yeah, an insect is not complex. A, sh- no. a clam an is amoeba, not complex. A person, a dog, a is complex. Whatever. 
Doesn't yeah. matter. So That's level, level three, three life sphere, you can start messing with werewolves. Um, according to some of the rules, um, it might be level four before you can force another person to turn into, say, a fish or something. But with werewolves, they are, uh, what is it? They're all about shape-shifting. That's naturally what they're all, they are. They're more mercurial. You could say, in a sense, they're more unstable. So as a game master, actually at level three of life with a clever mage, I would say, you know what? I'm going to let you mess with this werewolf and it just might save your skin. Yeah. Any follow up there, Mark Hawkman? Uh, well, I mean, like, part of the reason why I, I was uh, uh, talking about that was the whole like discussion of where spiders and how in fiction you will find all sorts of different where creatures that aren't, you know, wolves. Yeah. Where tigers, where boars, yeah. Where rats, where bears. I, I, I guess you, you wouldn't be able to turn a werewolf into a were cheetah or something. No, no. Turning one kind of supernatural creature into another kind of supernatural creature. The the spheres can't do that. And, you know, you can do what you want at your no. own table, but... We found the 10th sphere of magic. <laughs> no, no. I'm talking... No. I'm going to I'm gonna say nay on that one, because if you have enough knowledge and enough spheres, you can learn... You can figure out how to do anything. Okay, if you have six dots... <laughs> no, no, not even six. Not even six. But, you know, you could figure out how to do anything. And it can work. Are you, is your game master going to allow it? Probably not, but theoretically, it could work. I could turn a were spider into a werewolf. I could turn a, a werewolf kin into a full blown werewolf. There's actually well, the, a procedure the rule, for that. In the published books, it, it doesn't support that, but um, yeah, getting creative with the spheres is, is a great exercise in the game. Uh, mm -hmm. I remember there was one question from a reader to the developers, uh, can I cure vampires and turn a vampire into a regular normal person again? And they basically, you know, the response was, look, you can do what you want in your own game, but basically rules as written, the five spheres can't really do that. But if you want to do something really special and make it important in your own game, okay, just don't have players doing it at the drop of a hat. Okay, yeah. And turn them into lawn chairs. That's so much easier. Turn them into lawn chairs. That's a reference to an old debate. I won't yep. go into it now. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, Mar Mar Huckman, uh thank you very much. Okay. You have a good one. All righty. You too. Uh, we had another person who popped in a moment ago, bear. but uh, yeah, but uh, he seems to have popped out. So in the meantime, if he comes back in, we'll we'll check that out again. Anybody, if you got any questions, I'm going to read this first comment here, and then Adam. The next thing I'd like you to do is I'd like you to talk about your channel and your show and so forth. But let me hit this uh, this one first here. This is for Heathen Dog. I'm well. Maybe I will read all that. Says, dude, I don't know if these Rifts topics are doing well for you guys, but thank you. I looked for Rifts content some months ago and somehow missed your channel. Well, guess what? You've got a lot of hours of stuff to go through now, yeah. buddy. <laughs> Love Rifts. Good friend of mine in high school, GM Rifts for myself and other friends. But while I enjoyed playing the whole mixed fantasy sci-fi setting, wasn't my thing. I'm with you. I get it. I know what you're talking about. The two shouldn't mix. And yes, I did grow up with strong preferences when it came to different kinds of foods mixing on a plate. <laughs> okay, you know what? He just outed me too. But anyway, food separatists, I agree. Uh, not going to do it. Now, I love the setting and enjoy the mix of it. Great discussions on this channel. When do you guys live stream? Well, guess what? We're live streaming right now. Right now. Sun yeah. Sundays, one, at <laughs> Sundays at 1 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Eastern. That's that's when we stream this stuff. I right, appreciate the All comment. Right. Now, go ahead and you can bring that person in All if you right, want. Bring Grizzly. Oh, Grizzly Beardo. Here. All right, Hello. Grizzly Beard, how are you doing today? Uh-oh. Uh -oh. Do we ha not have audio? No, his, his audio is open. It's just yeah. not working. Hey, I'm doing great. Oh, oh there, there he we is. go. Gotcha. Oh, that was scary. 
All right, Grizzly, what do you got? Ah. We, there might be a delay. We, we got you. We heard you. You were loud. <laughs> Can you hear me now? Okay. So uh, I, just, I, I put this in the comments, but I wanted to point it out. One of the best things I learned from playing Mage and then the other kind of the related game from one of the other creators, Ars Magica, was mm-hmm. it taught me how to role play a better wizard, like a better caster. You know, a scholarly magic user in every game that I played ever since, because no other game really got me into that headspace. You know, got me into like the the analytical side of it of thinking like somebody who is warping reality in that way. So I just wanted I just wanted to share that. It if, even if you don't even even if you're not interested in the game mechanic, there's value to playing in it or reading the reading the lore to kind of take that with you in other games. Yeah, Ars Magica was not created by uh, the White Wolf Game Company, but they got um, a hold of its third edition. And while they were the owner of its third edition, that was when Mage was created. And there's so much crossover between the games. It's just very interesting. Uh, Right now, Ars Magica is on its fifth edition, and it's with a different game company. But uh, more to to his point, I can understand if, if you go from Mage the ascension over to something like D and D it would be night and day magic wise. I mean, in, in mage, you are constantly thinking about different ways to use powers. You already have to create different effects. And that, that can lead you down rabbit holes where, where you come out in this just surprising place. And then you move over to D and D and it's like, you're just, you're just playing a card game or a video game. You're pushing buttons and effects happen. You can't really, dance around it it is you do you you know you you play this card you 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 do this slot and you get this effect and that's it as you know, a player it a lot I like mage living. as a game master i like dnd <laughs> there you go yeah it, it all depends on your point of view as well because uh, a game master in mage is going to have a much harder time adjudicating <laughs> all of these different myriad of possibilities that your your specific character can accomplish Whereas in in D and D, your character is severely lim- comparatively severely limited in the things he can do, and the game master has an easier time. Just fill up your slots, and that's how many spells you get, and that this is what they do. Everyone knows what everyone's doing. Everyone's got on the same page all the time. There is no nuance. Just go. Yeah. So but Ars suppose- Magica and, and Mage can both help you. Think like a wizard. So when yes. you get to your D and D game, man. even though you're picking spells off the spell list, still, I mean, when you get some role playing scenes, the stuff you can talk and the ideas you can suggest, it can be really cool. Yes, yes, and uh, I, I understand where where Grizzly's coming from. That uh, that mindset of uh, what I said before, playing around the music. You know, your D and D when you're casting a spell, it's Mary had a little lamb. It sounds the same every time you do it. It's it, it's gonna it's gonna give you the same melody. It's gonna give you the same effect. Whereas in Mage, you learn Mary had a little lamb, and then you change a little bit. You you change the notes, make it higher, make, make it lower. You'll get a different effect. You'll evoke a different feeling using the same ability, and it teaches you to to think about magic in a different way. And in doing so, you appreciate it more. Like right, Grizzly, any any follow up with that, Grizzly? Nope, that was it. Thanks, okay. guys. Great show, as always. Thank you very much.
And uh, so, Adam, I, I would like, before I read this comment, please uh, tell us, actually, let me put it on the screen here. You should guys, oh, no, because I did it the wrong way. Let me stop sharing, share the right way. Present. I am going to share the Mage podcast. Tell us a little bit about your show and your channel and so forth. Yeah, well, um, I, I am one of the hosts of Mage the Podcast, and our producer started it, and uh, he invited me in as one of the hosts. I'm very thankful to him. There are other hosts, and uh, I'm one of about uh, three or four, possibly even more. There's a lot of... Uh, episodes uh, we bring out to people. It is an audio podcast. Uh, we do have a YouTube channel, but it's just a still image with, you know, uh, repeats uh, off of our uh, audio broadcast. And uh, uh, most of the um, hosts on the podcast are, are, are fans of Mage 20, and uh, they're bringing a lot of good content to our listeners about uh, that focuses on that edition or that that discusses it in detail. I'm kind of the the odd duck. Uh, I like uh, the first two editions of the game. And so when I talk about Mage, I tend to focus my attention more in that direction. But when you've got more than one host, uh, you, you can do something different. So if you head over to Mage the podcast, uh, some of those episodes are, are me and I'm saying what I think. And some of those episodes, I'm, I'm not in them. And, and that is the uh, thoughts and opinions of, of other people. Cool. And just just so everybody's aware, the link is in the description below. You can check that out. If you haven't subscribed, please do. Also, there are a couple other of uh, uh, items that I put in the description below. Uh, Mage, it goes into the... Fa uh, I don't have it available right here, but it goes into the factions. Just click the link. You'll see it. It's like a whole list of stuff. It's like a website that you can click on. Everything you'd want to know about. But uh, Mage, I think first edition. Yeah, Adam. Oh, Adam has. Yeah, a, I, a, I shared my notes. Uh, I was I was taking notes in a Markdown software program, and it had a. Uh, I found out there's a third party way you can convert those to HTML. So I cleaned it up some, put it out on the internet, and it focuses more on the first two editions, but it contains information from all of the uh, all four editions of Mage. So you can actually click on terms, and it will tell you what does this mean, and then it will say, okay, the early editions uh, define it like this, but later editions define it like this. And if you go to this book and read this page, you'll actually get this fact. And so I'm, I'm just sharing my notes so people who want to, you know, get into the details and say, well, this book said one thing and this book disagreed with it. It's like, okay, let, let's talk about that. I'll lay it out for you. Okay, good. good. That, that, and those links are in the description below and for each of the videos that come out. And at this point, I'm probably going to, if I have time, we'll see. This has been a long episode, but uh, I'll, uh, I'll see if I have time. I'll clip that part out because I do want that to be in one of the actual three videos that goes out this week as far as you guys talking. So I'll try to make sure that happens. Uh, all right, this is for Heathen Dog again, because everybody always talks about freaking Palladium. <laughs> Skills are how to make your PCs different from another player with the same OCC. My headhunter would have lots of aviation skills, but another headhunter has espionage. That's My fair. only critique here is that Palladium really needs to get rid of and redistribute the cowboy skills. Nobody likes the cowboy skills no. unless you're playing the New West. Yeah. That yeah. Is, out, out, outside of the New West, cowboy skills are stupid. I even in the New them. West. I just don't use them. I just don't. You you know that we get a lot of hate for not liking the New West. I know, Western. right? <laughs> it's, like, it's not the worst one. You haven't even read Australia yet. I'm like, okay, well, I haven't had my arm cut off either, but I know getting my arm broken sucks. Come on. I, have, I haven't read New West either, but a few years back, uh, I was a, a game master for Rifts. A fun okay. game. Loved it. Yeah, that, that's it. I'm, I'm an after-the-bomb guy. I like the SDC stuff more than the MDC. Not that I'm against MDC, but I just I, I like after-the-bomb is my... My channel, old TMNT. Uh, he does the superheroes and the riffs, and I do, I do the Mad Max. <laughs> yeah. Green, uh, Mad Max you know, it's it's one that we talked about a while ago. I definitely do way more post-apocalyptic games because even Earth Dawn itself is technically a post-apocalyptic type game, even if there's 
grandioseness to it. But uh, but this is too weird of a skill ca- class category. Ditches, just embarrassing. <laughs> wow, that this category that's, of skills. That's a hard line that I agree with. <laughs> okay. Um, by the way, again, the link is out there. He can put it out again if he wants oh, for okay. people to call in. If you got any questions about Mage, this is a great time because you got two people on uh, on here. One whose podcast entirely covers Mage. And he, Doug, you guys know, you know, has talked about it quite a bit that uh, that can answer your questions, maybe get a couple of different perspectives. Otherwise, as soon as I get through these, we're going to call it. OK, weird guy again says this OCC makes a bit more of a catch up. Which one is this? Oh, may- oh, this must have been me talking about the mystic. Yeah, I, I picked all OCCs that he hates he uh, did. on purpose. He did it. Oh, no, <laughs> he didn't pick the shifter because I would have left. No, I didn't. I didn't pick it on purpose. I picked it. Uh, I picked on or let me phrase. I did pick him on purpose, but I didn't pick him because you hate him. I picked him because everybody talks crap about him. But obviously they can't be too much crap if they've lasted this long. So what is it about him? Yeah, they lasted 30 years in the game. They must have something. Yeah, uh, they don't have a lot of great skills and come with seemingly useless skills. None are useless in an RP game, but that's another conversation. The takeaway here is that the Mystic has psionics and magic, and that is how they get through life. Yeah, but the problem is, is they only get up to third level. I don't care. As a role player, that doesn't bother me. Sure, I'm not going to one-shot you, but I have so many things that I can pick and choose from. Literal jack-of-all-trade, but people want the big, especially in rifts. People yeah. want the big flash, the, the big, big boom. Big, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they want that big boom, the the flashy guy, stuff like that. The mystic is not that. Yeah, yeah. In Rift, it's like, oh, you you just want a big gun. It's like, yeah, I want to stay alive. <laughs> All right, <laughs> he who kills first wins, right? Uh, I, I like mystics now. If uh, if you want to go deep into it, then bring up Mystic Knights from Federation of Magic. I don't know what that is. Or That's a good book. Yeah. Okay, or even more in the Mudhaven books. Don't never heard of them. Those guys are scary. Oh, that yeah, reminds me. There, there are there are different OCCs for different world books and source books and dimension books and stuff like that. I don't get into them a whole lot because I like to, un- unless I'm going specific on a world book, I like to stick to the main yeah. core book. Uh, this reminds me that Violent Solves Everything on Rumble said that the Kindred of the East apparently make the vampires uh, as a real danger to mages. Kin- uh, Kindred of the East have... have uh, uh, a, a different worldview than European based kindred or, or va- vampires. And uh, that they also have, have different allegiances and affiliations with, with the, with the different uh, supernatural creatures in the whole world of darkness. And uh, some, some of them have uh, even different powers, you know, it's d- a different d- rule set for, yeah, for d- different rule set, different disciplines that the, that the European vampires just, don't have and will never have because they have the wrong mindset or, or they, they they weren't blessed or cursed in this in this certain way you know stuff like that so yeah. it's i'm not going to say it's a different game i'm going to say it feels different than a normal yeah they, they're called vampires in a sense they are but instead of uh, you know biting your neck and taking blood they sort of steal life force energy out of you yeah. which yeah i think qualifies as a vampire but it's a different vampire it's a different yeah. yeah yeah it's a different it's a different feel not a different game but it definitely feels different by the way, so Fladian here says chi vampires, correct? Yeah, but chi yeah. in Japanese means blood, so they're still sucking blood. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, in Japanese, uh, ki, which in, in Chinese sounds more like chi, I think that's probably the, the Chinese. Oh, no, my, chi, so, so but... uh, my wife's Japanese, so the Jap- Japanese says chi. Oh, that, okay. That's what she says. Well, she yeah, doesn't even true. know. Her yeah, own what does culture. she know? She doesn't God. know her own culture. What does she know? <laughs> she every time Heathen Dog would cover anime and he'd say one of the names wrong, she'd come in here and yell at me. Yeah, and I'd say no. I said it perfectly. I just said it with an American accent. 
Uh, all right, damn dog was hoping to see you cover the dark magic Pokemon trainer. LOL. LOL. That's the shifter. Shifter, yeah. yeah. No, I'm not covering the shifter. You can go to hell and die. <laughs> How do you really feel? Just out of curiosity. Uh, you might find the shifter there. Oh, oops, I shouldn't have liked that one because I haven't actually responded to that yet. Uh, this is the one. Uh, I'd love to see a video of Heathen Dog dealing uh, detailing why he hates certain classes. He's done hey, that a couple of times. Responded. I already oh, responded. Did you? Okay. Yep. I don't know what I think about the shifter. I the link for part three of the of the Sean and Kevin interview. Oh, when you told Kevin to his face that the shifter sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and then he watched it and he said it was my my ten minute breathless rant <laughs> was amazing. Yeah. You know what? Ke- this is what makes Kevin and Sean awesome. They I mean, want, and, they, I, they, and they I mean that hilarious. they are adults. Number one, great game. Just, and and honestly, I truly believe that they like the fans. They love their game. I mean. Even where we disagree, how how can how can you not like Kevin and Sean? Yeah, I mean, here, Adam, this is this is what happened. If you don't if you don't want to watch it, here's the thing. I told them, I told Kevin, the creator, to his face, that he quote done fucked up when he made the shifter and made a garbage game and made and and made it in, into a, a garbage class and and your your game more garbage. And you know what he said? Nothing, because he couldn't talk. He was laughing. You know, you know, she, yeah, you know, that's true. You know, what Sean said opinions are like assholes. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, you know, fair, exactly. That's what happens, right? So, yeah, they're, they're awesome dudes, and they they knew I love the game. Yeah, they they knew I understood what I was talking about, and at its core, beyond my my hyperbole, I my you know they they could see my side. So. So yeah, well-rounded people. When you say uh, you're an idiot, but I love you, it's like well-rounded people. Like, okay, I get it. Another yeah, topic. exactly. Hey, hey what'd you say to me? <laughs> uh, I'm just so uh, nodded disciple here. Book of Nod. It's one of the few. I think I own the Book of Nod. It's one of the few vampire oh. books I think I own. <laughs> oh, that and the Nosferatu book that I accidentally spilled maple syrup on. Awesome. Got forced on that one. Uh, but you know what? It's a good book to have because Nosferatu are the only vampires worth playing. Anyway, I'm, <laughs> I'm just playing my mystic. Uh, I'm just playing my mystic as more akin to D&D Pathfinder Sorcerer. Wild talent, psionic and occult researcher that was self-taught mostly and was born with their powers instead of using a book. Not very hippy dippy. OK, fair. I hope I'm not RPing the character wrong. No, you're not. P.S. Uh, apology for bad grammar. Don't worry about that. No, no. Worry uh, about no, you worry I, about using they in the singular. Now move on. Yeah. OK, now. <laughs> Uh, the the whole idea of playing a mystic like like a, a sorcerer, Ugh. I understand. No, stop it, stop it. I no. understand. So, uh, so sorcerers uh, get 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 their power through uh, through revelation or instinct stuff like that, and that's exactly how a mystic works. That's exactly it. That they don't have formal training. They don't have that. That that's why they can't get that powerful. Right. So that that's a completely valid way to do it. You're not doing it wrong. You can rarely do it wrong. Yeah. So, yeah, you're you're on board. You're you're running. You're running. uh, You're running for gold. He picked the two things I hate most out of all fantasy gaming. Psionics and the sorcerer from D&D, which is just I want to be a mage, but I don't have to think about it. So I'm going to play a sorcerer. Screw you. You don't get a thumbs up. (laughs) All right. Uh, I didn't read. Well, what was your response on that? Oh, don't worry. Most of you try to play character. Yeah. Okay. That's that's fine. Uh, no, I mean, to be fair, it's a good comment. In case he watches, it's a yeah. good, good comment. Good. I just yeah. mm, screw psionics. All right. 
Doug, how many more of these do we have? You got a lot, and There's I don't think lot, we're gonna... dude, I I, yeah. I went through and answered a lot. You you can you can talk yeah. about the ones I didn't answer. There, there we go. Because yeah, we're we're running out of time here, and this if is you a. See my name below it, then yep. you can read it. That's real long though. Love your riffs content, guys. Keep it going. Great. All, All right. right good. Thank you. <laughs> I'll read. I'll actually. I'll go back and read this one later. Yeah, but, we uh, will read it. Don't worry. That's from a feature uh, previous episode. You were really on it this week. That's awesome. Oh, and I get one. Holy crap! All right. <laughs> Rodney Body says one host rule option to lower the negative risk of using your powers can be to roll one less die after activating your power. So if you oh, so if you only spend one feral point, you don't have to worry about any potential negative. That's not a bad house rule. No, that's pretty good. You, you, you remember what we're talking about with the oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah. Where where you, you spend the amount of feral points and you, you you get more dice, stuff like that, but there's also but, more chances to roll ones. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like it. I think that's a good house rule. Run, yeah, body. Good house rule. More animal powers. The constant volume straining, high-pitching whine of the CC's voice. Con- oh, no. I, I respond. Okay, stop, stop, stop. This this right here is uh, you you set yourself up for this because you have you have a problem of being self-deprecating. You need to be, be more arrogant and egotistical because in this video, you you said that, uh, that you have a whiny, nasally voice. I probably and say it this, a lot. This troll took it and ran with it oh. and then i responded okay well we'll see you respond uh voices insu- i'm insufferable i've been called worse by better by the way and, I'm uh, and his sidekick I'm Ed McMahon. <laughs> yes i mean uh, <laughs> you, there you go yes sir yeah i'm gonna give him a, a thumbs up fuck you uh up do it now i owe this word jerry thanks for commenting i recommend muting <laughs> captions <laughs> uh just be thankful for the rare comment pushing the algorithm you sure do need it not really Hey, you know what? And I didn't <laughs> respond to that because that's the biggest compliment this troll could give. He said that trolling me was rare. That means he was so emotionally in- involved in, in, in our content that he was pressured to actually troll us. That's awesome. Also, apparently he never watches because we get trolled all the time. But we yeah. we we take it because I know what I do out here. Um, who needs? Oh, wait, you answer this. Wait. I answered that one, too. Yep. Okay. Good, good, good. Man, you were really on it. This is unusual. I'm not used to that. Well, uh, I actually said last week that I was going to be on it every day or two. Oh, fair. Okay, look at that. I should thumb, these, thumb up these things. Okay, are we almost, how many comments did you get? A lot. I am I so jealous. When he Max is, talks, people listen. Max is a rambling SOB. Fair. <laughs> That's fair. Again, I've been called worse by better. He just joined our Discord. <laughs> um... Cool thing is the OCC, it level up faster. What? The cool thing about this OCC is that you could level up faster due to all your skills. Because what, one, one of the optional ways to get experience in Rifts is successful usage of a skill. Oh, the 25? Yeah. <laughs> hey, 25 ooh, 25. <laughs> hey, you know what? In for level one and two, that's that's fair. Because uh, really skill-heavy OCCs, all of their experience tables are much more favorable. This one's going to relate to what Adam said earlier. Never played this game, but love Gamma World. So this game sounds fun. Love your channel. Appreciate all the work and effort you put in your top shelf content. Well, you and that other wow. guy need to talk because you know there's yeah, some confusion. Top shelf, con- Ooh, top shelf. I don't. I don't think that's true. But all right. <laughs> and okay, this is all okay. I think that we're I think we're fun. done. Yep, I think we're yeah. done. All right, we went through everything. Apparently, nobody wanted to talk to Adam. That's fine. You know, he he'll live. He's got a wife. He's got kids that love him. He doesn't need your validation. And he, he sat here for over four hours. I know, right? <laughs> If I want to hear what people really think of me, then yeah, and our uh, podcast people send in emails. We've got a Discord server. I go on there, and people are like, you know what I think, Adam? So, yeah, probably. Not. 
<laughs> well, I mean, we we cultivate. Adam needs to dye his hair. He's going gray. He's not a silver fox. Wow. Dude, I mean, we we intentionally cultivate shot. people. We want people to know that they can speak their minds, and you know we're not going to get too butthurt about. But we've also fire back too. Uh, we've had people that you're a bunch of. I'd be like, oh yeah, yeah I can write paragraphs too. By the way, <laughs> yeah, if, if you're going to be irrational, we'll be irrational back. You know, whatever. So, well, Adam, if you can hang on after we stop the stream here, uh, just give us like two two to five more minutes. Uh, but uh, we'll start with you. Actually, we'll start with me. Uh, this week, Friday, remember, this is the members only live stream on Friday, although I did end up trolling on Twitter where I think I got some content to have a stream after the members only, a public stream after the members only. All the time. And no, last month I actually didn't do it for once. I, I stuck to my guns, but this time, yeah, I think they we're going to have a public one after the members only uh, again. So go check that out. Uh, other than that, next week for RPG Digest, I still have no clue what he's talking about, but I'll be talking about Mutant Mechatron. What is a robot? There are lots of differences when playing the robots versus playing the others. So we're going to have to detail those things. What is different about playing a robot? Like you actually can say, I'm building my character. <laughs> nice. I <laughs> so, see what you did there. Yeah. You like that? But uh, so you can check that. Out. Obviously you can check the description for our links to discord and so on and so forth. Now we'll move on to Adam one more time. Please shill who you are, what you do and so forth so that people can find you. And, and again, thank you very much for being here. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, my name's Adam. I live in Austin, Texas. Uh, I've been a Mage fan since 1993. And uh, when our producer started a podcast uh, just for Mage the Ascension, uh, I wanted in and he let me in. And uh, what happens after that, uh, it's his fault. Um, I've been talking <laughs> about Mage for a few years now. I've been reading through all the Mage books. And uh, so I can actually uh, discuss a lot of the, the concepts and ideas of Mage and how they've changed over time. I uh, set up some notes uh, online to uh, begin uh, helping people just uh, go through the lexicon of, of different mage terms and what they mean and how they've changed over the years. And uh, if you would uh, like to hear some of the things I have to say, uh, Mage the Podcast, I am one of several uh, hosts on uh, Mage the Podcast, uh, and I'd uh, be happy to hear what you think. And uh, I think that about wraps it up for me. There was a comment there I, I couldn't yep, quite uh, read. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll put it up right now. It says, Adam was great. Thanks. I look forward to consuming more of his content. Great show, all. Oh, well, uh, uh, thank you for listening. Awesome. And I, I appreciated uh, being able to come on here. I, I actually saw some uh, videos that uh, Heathen Dog did on Mage, and I started pressuring him on uh, <laughs> the comments, like, you got to let me talk. And he's like, no, 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 dude, no, I don't. I was like, yeah, you got to let not. me talk. Wait, wait, wait. You okay, gotta once, let me... just once. <laughs> if you watch any of our shows, we don't let people talk. We do the talking. We yeah. tell you how to make a better game. That's right. <laughs> no, but, uh, are fascist Nazis. <laughs> uh, go, all right, Heathen Dog, what do you got? Go, wait, wait, words of wisdom, Heathen Dog, so I can get everything else ready. Let me put the stuff words up on the wisdom. screen. Okay. There you go. Words of wisdom. Well, taking Mage as an example for your broader uh, gameplay uh, as, as a whole, if uh, running Mage actually makes you a better player and a better game master. Yes, that is a bold statement, but I stand by it because the entirety of, of Mage is thinking outside the box, thinking of different ways to do something. And when you go back to strictly straightforward other games like a lot of osr games or dnd stuff like that where everything is straightforward having the ability to see from a different angle to to have a different perspective it will make your gameplay more fun and it will elevate everyone else's gameplay as as they they feel compelled to to do better themselves if they don't then they're bad players to begin with and you don't owe them anything but 
you being a, a better a better player or a better game master emboldens other people to take risks as well to increase their own knowledge increase their own experience and it'll elevate the gameplay of everyone and make your games even better 